Hey, welcome to the 305th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are humongous supporters of the show. You can be a supporter and make me super happy by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. And if you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get more. You get more podcasts. You get access to the weekly bonus podcast, the ex- Patreon exclusive bonus podcast. It's it's only there, 30 minutes every, 30 minutes more. And uh, I, I sometimes talk about old movies that I haven't seen in a while, like classic cool movies, nothing like current that I talk about on this podcast. Uh, sometimes I do off of mind topics about just random different topics and in, in comics. And uh, sometimes I talk about comic series. Like I, I've been recapping, going over like just a zany, wacky Silver Age, often Superman comics where Superman appears to be a big giant jerk. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out dearly by going to coffee.com slash jmanfromheck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. And that's ko-fi.com slash jmanfromheck. All right, what's going to happen this week? I, I never know because I never like pay attention to the time. So I, I'm, I'm, to me, I'm hoping this isn't going to be a four-hour episode, but no, no guarantees because there's just so much that I want to talk about. So uh, obviously, the, the feature this week is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, and uh, I'll, I'll say right now, I enjoyed it. I had fun. I know it's some people. I it, haven't read reviews, and you know that's whole, something I can get into later, but. I I saw some rumbling. Some people are like, "Oh, I don't know about this," and but I, I don't know. It it, it worked for me. I'm uh, gonna have another episode of Secret Invasion. The second episode after that first cliffhanger. It kept you know like, what's gonna happen after that? <laughs> um, which I, I I should touch a little bit about that in in the news. There's something that that came up about that. Uh, the season finale of Superman and Lois. Uh, we got a, a, the penultimate um, episode of Silo, so you can hear about the, or you can watch the finale now as as you're listening to this. Don't listen to, don't watch it as you listen, because that would be weird. Watch doing both at the same time. Um, one, I'm only gonna do one episode of of Black Mirror because new show Hijack came out with Idris Elba on Apple TV. Two episodes dropped, and I was only gonna do one. But then I was like, <laughs> I'm gonna do I'm gonna do both episodes because I ended up somehow yeah I ended up watching both of them and then uh, I, I think I mentioned uh, the crowded room Tom Holland um, Amanda Seyfried and um, I think that's it I think that that's everything I'm, I'm talking about so let's uh, let's get into the news I don't know if I should <laughs> I always feel like I should do like a mental health check you know, just where am I at or I I don't know if if we if that's even necessary um, I'm I'm still. I'm still kind of riding the high of the Blink-182 concert. I mean, it was, it was just it was just so amazing. It was so much fun. It, it meant a lot to me just just you know that hour and a half or whatever, you know, hour and 40 minutes. It was it's just it was it was amazing. And and I I miss it. I'm sad that it's over and uh, but anyways, I I won't get into the this stuff cuz that's not what we're here for. We're here for random stuff and entertainment, right? So as far as the news goes, Superman and Lois casting. I don't think now. See, there's this thing when when I try to think about like when did this happen. I don't think this happened last week. I think it happened this week. So the casting has been revealed. Uh, David Corin Sweat is going to be Superman, 
and Rachel Brosnahan is going to be Lois. Who are these people? Uh, David Cornswet. So they were like amongst uh, the the shortlist people that was released or came out or leaked or whatever. Uh, David was in Pearl, which is is a freaky movie. It's it's a, it's a very interesting, very intriguing movie. I talked about it in an episode of the Secret Podcast. So Pearl is a prequel to um, Ty West's X, which is a, a A24 um, release. I don't know if I talked about. I don't remember if I talked about X on the podcast because I remember I didn't see it the week it came out, but I did see it. Maybe I must have talked about it. That I mean, so that was like set in the seventies, and it gets kind of dark. You know, it's, it's kind of like a horror suspense thriller, or whatever. So Pearl is a prequel, and then there's going to be a third one coming out. So he was in there, and um, Rachel Brosnahan. I think she's in the marvelous maze miss Maisie, whatever that is i i don't watch that so i, I don't know anything i don't know who, who she plays or i don't know um how she is as an actress i don't know if i've seen her in anything else i'm going to assume you know not that i'm I'm putting like all my faith or stock into you know saying everything to james Gun- and it's, it's weird that like james gunn is like gets all the credits like i'm sure Peter Safran has, I, I'm sure he's involved too, since they're co-CEOs or whatever. But, you know, everyone talks about James Gunn. So, you know, I don't want to say, oh, he, he can make no wrong decisions or anything like that. But I'm going to trust that, you know, he cares because it, it sounds like he really cares about Superman and and, the, and all that. So I I know a lot of people are, are complaining and, and a lot of it is it's the Snyder fans who are upset about that. But here's the thing. I know everyone, or a lot of people, not everyone, but I'm, I'm sure a lot of people want Henry Cavill back. But, you know, we're, we're looking at a 10-year plan. So one thing is, Henry Cavill may not want to commit to 10 years. Why hasn't there been another Superman movie? And, you know, there, there's there's lots of different reasons. It, it just seems weird that they they couldn't get a script or they had no idea, you know, what, what, what was dragging, you know, who, who was dragging feet? Henry Cavill did, you know, a mission possible movie, did two seasons of, of the Witcher. And even in that there, you know, there, there are certain allegations that were made against him, which that, that could be totally false. There's just a lot that we don't know about. You know, I'm seeing some people just really come down on the, on the new casting saying, Oh, you know, so, so dumb. They had Henry Cavill and all this, but there's so much going on. Henry Cavill might be like, you know, recently he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll play Superman again, but maybe that's all he wants to play. And, and you know, maybe, you know, he's, because he's a, a more renowned actor, I guess you would say, you know, he, he, is, he has the, the credibility. He's probably, he costs more. And he probably would have like, hey, if you want me for 10 year, you want me, I, I'm not going to commit to 10 year, but if you want me to do another movie, you got to pay this crazy amount, which is going to put the movie over budget. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I feel like there, there's just a lot. And I, I, I also feel like we just need to separate from the Snyderverse. I mean, I, my feelings on Man of Steel, I, it's not a secret. I thought Henry Cavill could have been a, an amazing Superman. You know, he just has that charisma and everything like that. Man of Steel, he just, it, it, there wasn't Superman. I mean, Superman does not kill. Don't get me started on this rant. Uh, so whatever it's, it's it's over we're it's time to move on we need you know whatever so we we have that that news <laughs> i don't want to get on, on that 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 trip uh speaking of, of james gunn so he had some things to other things to say he was on a the michael rosenbaum podcast and uh 
he one one thing he mentioned uh i guess he he feels guardians of the galaxy the, the guardians would have kicked the avengers butt if, if they were to ever fight or something like that i don't know how i feel about that i mean so we got peter quill maybe gamora you know, is she on the team or not that that's questionable we got you know rocket we got groot um mantis and drax maybe nebula too you know depending on, on when we're talking about because James, what he had to say is like, they've been out in space. They have access to space technology and stuff like that. And I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, if, if, you know, depending on which version of Avengers are you, are you talking about, there's, there, you know, there, that's questionable. Because, you know, you got Scarlet Witch, who is like extremely powerful. And, you know, Captain America, I don't think space technology would phase him if, if we're talking, you know, if he was there. Iron Man could probably, you know, put up a fight. I, I, I don't know, but I, I don't, I don't think I, I agree. And I'm, I'm trying to think because the Guardians just seem kind of goofy. And could they, they get their act together? I mean, they're maybe they have like battle tactic plans. I don't know if, if I agree with that. Uh, he was also asked, uh, any, any plans on a Suicide Squad two? And he's like, no. So I guess that's, and you know, it, it, it just doesn't exist anymore if we're, t well, I mean, you know, we have Amanda Waller just carrying on, but whatever, I, I think, I think it's, it's just done. The, the, an interesting thing, apparently there's, there's a, a little bit of, uh, not really a beef between Kevin Smith and, and Michael Uslan, who's a longtime Batman producer and everything. So Kevin Smith brought up, you know, he, he mentioned that depending on the success of the flash you know that was going to determine or could have determined whether we would get a batman beyond movie with michael keaton and michael uslan he he posted a picture of of abraham lincoln with the quote don't believe everything you read on the internet abraham lincoln 1863 and he's like to my bat friends you know there's a a lot of you know stuff on the internet this is kind of so basically he's saying that's that's not true and and he was kind of he didn't necessarily call out kevin smith directly but obviously that's what he's talking about and then kevin smith kind of being a baby about it then he's like oh you got better check your son because he's the one that told me about it <laughs> it's like it, i i don't know i mean i i feel like that's the thing about rumors he he's hearing it from a producer's son which i don't know what if his son is involved with anything like that, because uh, apparently they're at the premiere and he's like, Oh, where's your dad? And he's like, he's checking the grosses because, and then he, he mentioned whatever. I, I just, it, it just seems weird when, if he, someone says something in passing and then you're going to go out and then say, Oh, by the way, this, I heard this. You can't do that. I mean, there, there were so many things that I heard about and you just don't talk about it. There, I mean, there's stuff that I heard directly from the source's mouth and this is more in terms of comics than that, but you, you just, there's, there's no point in, in spreading rumors or talking about like, oh, here's some secret information. Yeah, you're, you're trying to pump up your credibility or your whatever, but I mean, that's all it is about. I mean, there, there's, there's no point in doing that. It just, I don't know, it just doesn't seem right to me. And, and maybe I'm too ethical or whatever, and maybe that's why, you know, I could you know i probably could have had some more hits or success in certain things if i you know broke but then you lose your 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 contacts or whatever i don't know it, it just 
seems seems weird. And then for him just to be a baby about it and and the, the call out, the you know specifically who who told him that it's like okay, so basically don't say anything to Kevin Smith because he's going to call you out. And and you know things change. And, and, you know, maybe, maybe his son got it wrong or maybe his son is like, Hey, yeah, you know, he was probably, maybe he was being sarcastic and who, who knows, but it just, I don't know, it just kind of, it, it just didn't sit right. It's just, it's too bad that, you know, he has to, you don't call someone out and you just be like, okay, yeah, whatever. I was, I was wrong. As far as, uh, whatchamacallit, Aquaman 2, James Wan says that it's, it's a standalone movie, you know, so don't expect any like crossovers or anything like that. So I, I don't know. I, I just wonder if people are like, oh, what's the point of seeing this? Blah, blah, blah. You know, they're going to they're gonna blame James Gunn because it's not doing well. I don't think that that's necessarily the case. Just like I don't think you can put the blame on The Flash 2 because of this. I mean, I, I you know, the Snyder verse is over. And it's not like the Snyder verse fans are, you know, go the ones going to the box office. You know, I say this over and over again. When you sit in a theater packed with people, I would would think maybe ten percent, twenty, maybe twenty five percent follow you know all this information. I just think most people they just go to these movies because they they kind of have an idea what to expect. Here's this big superhero. Here's this big action movie. I'm going to go see this. I really don't think people are are following the minutia detail of of all, you know what's what's going on. And I, I still feel like a lot of people that went to see The Flash, they probably don't know necessarily who James Gunn is. They don't know that he directed three Guardians of the Galaxy movies. You know, they don't know his involvement, what he's done. And I'm not trying to put James Gunn down. Obviously, I have you know a lot of respect for what he he does. I just think that there's a lot of people that are just oblivious to that. They just go to the movies, and and and, and that that's all they care about. They just want to be in, entertained. They're not looking at oh no, the universe is is or they're going to reboot it. I feel like with the Flash, there is just other factors, and and maybe some of it could have been the Ezra Miller news stuff if they've heard about that. I think there could be there's kind of like a lack of promotion. You know, there there weren't lots of interviews. If anything, you know, they just did the red carpet. You didn't see them on any talk shows or any, anything else. I mean, usually when these movies come out, my Instagram feed is just full of like like different interviews and sound bites and stuff from from different things and like like suggested you know, video clips and stuff like that. You had none of that for The Flash because it, there there were none. I don't know. That's just my, my thoughts on it. But what do I know? Uh, James Mangold, so he has some things to say. He mentioned that there was an X-23 movie, like a spinoff after after Logan, that was planned. And he, you know, he's, I guess he started working on the story, didn't actually start writing a script or and suppose like that. It's like he said that they were working on it, there was planning it, but then he's like, oh no, there was nothing ever written. So it's like, okay, you're working on a story in your head? I mean, if nothing was written, I, I don't understand that, that part. But he said that he, you know, it almost sounds like he's laying the blame on Disney, that Disney canceled it. But when you know when Disney acquired Fox and all that, obviously Disney's not going to go forward with any Fox stuff. You know, Deadpool is a rare exception because that was huge. And to be perfectly honest, I mean, I love Logan, and I, I feel like I'm due to watch it again because it's 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 been a while. I as as much as I love Daphne Keene, I thought she was amazing as as, as Laura as as X twenty three whatever you want to call her for that. 
I don't think I would necessarily want to see like a spinoff in that world after that. You know, we, we did see her in His Dark Materials, which was a, a good show. I mean, at least it was in the beginning, and I feel like it got okay after that. I didn't like the the third season. It's, it's kind of second season, third season, as much as the first. But where Logan left off with her and these other um, young mutants, new mutants or whatever, I don't feel like I w- really would have cared about them. You know, there's there's no Wolverine. There's no Professor X. We're assuming there's no one else because, you know, no one else helped them. So what would this movie have been about? You know, just X-23 doing what? Trying to survive and trying to start over? And I, it just, it didn't seem like even a, like an upbeat, like a happy world that I would care to revisit. So I, I don't know. It just, it just makes sense. I mean, and the same thing happened with, with Channing Tatum's Gambit. I, I love Channing Tatum, 21 Jump Street. I, I'm due to watch those movies again. I don't know. I'm, I'm vastly curious, extremely curious to see what he would have done with Gambit. I don't think he's necessarily the right choice, but I would have supported that movie a hundred percent. I would have checked it out, and you know that didn't happen either. And that was you know part of this. So you, I don't know. I, I I don't think it's fair to blame Disney because they're in the middle. You know they got the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they're not looking to do alternate stuff like you know DC is trying to do it. But they didn't necessarily have a really strong universe to begin with. And I know some people would argue that the Snyderverse was the best thing ever, you know, since toast, French toast. I don't know. So, you know, you, you have the Batman, which is, you know, only one movie. It's its own thing. Joker. Don't even get me started on Joker. Yeah. So, you know, DC is willing to do alternate stuff. And and that right there shows that you know people can support these things. If they don't, they don't. It doesn't matter if it's in the same universe. So why are people saying that the Flash is doomed because of that? Yet, it you can do a Joker two or you can do a Bat the Batman two, even though that has nothing to do with Snyderverse. How can those movies thrive, but the Flash doesn't? When they specifically said that. Ezra Miller could return as the Flash, depending on how this does it. He it's not ruled out, and they said the same thing about Shazam. So, oh. <laughs> um, I, James uh, Mangold also said that he he talked about his Boba Fett movie that he he was looking at. He said it would have been like an R-rated spaghetti western, single planet, single western. But then he also said some stuff that. Like, it would have been a lot darker than what they're doing. And he's like, there's no way people would have embraced Baby Yoda after that because it would taken things in a different direction. I don't know if I agree with that. Maybe, but, I mean, I, I, I think you could have something for everyone. I mean, if you look at Andor, Andor is so far from The Mandalorian. You know, it's, it's a lot more adult, if you would say that. You know, I've had some of my student hardcore Star Wars fans... Not really into Andor because, you know, it's a 12-year-old. And, and that's not really what what they want to see. Maybe in a few years, you know, they could watch that and really appreciate it. But it's not everything has to be for everyone. So who knows? Uh, the <laughs> um, Fantastic Four casting rumors, whatever. I, I'm so tired of all this casting stuff. So this one insider said that, one of his leaks or one of his sources is now saying Adam Driver might be out as Reed Richards, and it's like really. What? I, so I don't know if if I don't I don't know I didn't even note who said this. 
I don't know if this is a person that first um, claimed this rumor, but it, I mean, it's real easy to say. Like, let, let's say I'm I'm going to say that Henry Cavill is going to play Reed Richards. That's what my source told me. My source is my cat. And then, you know, a month later I can say, well, now my source is saying that maybe it's not going to happen because Henry Cavill wants too much money for it. So it's kind of a way to say something then kind of back out while also kind of putting your name. Maybe that's not the case. There could be totally legit sources. I don't know. And that that's the thing when you're saying it's anonymous sources and maybe you have a proven track record. I don't know because I don't know even know who who's saying this. You know, it's one thing if, if it's like CNN said this or USA Today said this, you know, it, you got that name recognition versus one of the countless Internet scoopers. I don't know. So who, who, we'll see. I, I, I still don't know. You know, I, I you know a lot of people want John Krasinski and Emily Blunt as Reed and Sue. I think that that'd be cool and everything. But again, the question is, would they want to do it? It doesn't seem like Emily Blunt wants to do superhero stuff. You know, she's from the comments she made about Black Widow after the fact, after she lost a job because of her commitment to do Gulliver's travels or whatever. doesn't seem like she really wants to do it. But who, who knows? I mean, sure, you give someone enough money, they'll, they'll do it. Um, are you waiting, interested in the Spawn reboot? So James Blunt said the... Uh, 2025 could be coming out. So we'll, we'll see. Um, I have no expectations for, for that movie. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just, I mean, if it comes out and it's cool, I will be so happy. But if it comes out and it's mediocre, then I'll be like, eh, that's okay. But I'm, I'm really, I, I, do, I mean, if I say I want it to be successful, that that doesn't mean I have expect high. I'm, I'm hopeful for it. I mean, I don't want anything to... to the bomb you know I, I don't want anyone to lose money or just be sad because there's too much sadness as there is um the boys season four are you excited for that apparently it's not going to premiere until after the writer strike so the writer strike's been on since may 2nd and there's no end in sight um i i totally get i don't notice if there's an i don't think there's any specifics mentioned i'm assuming and this is a smart move i would say because it's like what i was saying about the flash if they, they announce that, like, oh, we're going to drop The Boys Season 4 just in time for Comic-Con or the weekend after that, you can't promote it. You know, the, the actors can't really do that. Otherwise, they're they're considered scabs. You know, they cross the picket line. You, you can't do that. So you, you cannot promote the stuff, apparently. That's part of the deal, which is weird. Because, like, if, if The Boys Season 4 is done, if it's in the can, if they did that before, it's... Uh, see, I, I guess the, the other question I would, so let's use the boys as an example. So obviously, if, if this is a writer's aspect, you know, writer strike, writers got paid to do that. If this new deal works, are they going to make more money if, if it's already done and in the can? You know, it, I mean, unless this has to do with like residuals and I, cause I have no, I have no idea. How does Amazon make any money off their stuff? I'm a prime subscriber. I've been a prime subscriber for who knows how long. I, I don't even know. And I'm going to continue to be a Prime subscriber. I'm not going to like pick. I know some people cancel their subscriptions and stuff like that. I just keep them going because maybe I'm a dum-dum. But I don't see how they they make money off these, these shows. And, and, you know, maybe it does get more people. Maybe some people do subscribe. But I saw 
in a like I was looking at a comment se- comment section on a uh, secret invasion stuff because apparently secret invasion has like the lowest or second lowest ratings for like the first week or whatever. And I saw someone comment that they wait till everything drops and then they'll subscribe, watch it all, and then cancel, which is like a horrible like attitude to have. I, I get why people are doing that, you know, if you're trying to save money and stuff like that. But by doing that, you're not helping to show out. Because this is when they're, they're looking at it like, oh, Secret Invasion Episode 1 has low ratings. Maybe people don't want this. And then they're not going to do more. So, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a big believer. You know, you have to you have to support the stuff. You know, it, it's... If you don't support, you're, you're not going to get anything. And, and then you're just going to complain that there's nothing good. And... <laughs> and there's people, of course, complaining, saying it's it's the worst thing ever. And some people are complaining that they're like laughing because Sam Jackson recently defended Brie Larson and, and the attacks that she's gotten. And he like they, they called Sam Jackson a simp for defending her. It's like, no. <laughs> OK, moving on. So the, the boys, who knows? No, no date. We have no idea when that's going to going to happen. And um, that that stinks. Uh, then uh, I think there's a new trailer for Dune Part Two. I don't know if I've seen. It. I did I see that? I can't even keep track. Part of it is is when I go to the movies every week, I keep seeing like this, the same trailers over and over again. And when I saw Indiana Jones, there was a Dune trailer, but I know it was one I've seen before. And even if a new trailer drops, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to drop it in the theaters and the I actually I'm thinking like the old days when you had to splice the film onto the trailer at the beginning, you know, projectionists had to do that. And I'm sure now it's just a matter of loading a, a new digital file to go. I don't even know how, how it works, but I, I mean, I guess it'd be a lot easier now if, if they're like, Hey, new trailer, can you put this in? And they're like, boop, 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 boop. And then there's new, new trailer set up, but I didn't see new trailer at the theater, but who knows? And I, I don't know, uh, you know, I was talking to, to my brother-in-law last week when we were going to the Blink-182 concert, Red Lamp, and uh, he's super excited about Dune. He, he like, loves the books and all that. And, like, I'm, I'm listen, I know he listens to audiobooks, and I know he listened to at least the first two books, I think. I should look in my, my Audible library, because I don't know if I've listened to the third. I don't even know how many. So he's super excited and you know he loved the first movie, and he, like, he said he you know he watched it so many times, like at least three, so many times, like three times or whatever. I don't remember how many times. And I'm thinking it's like I I gotta watch it again. And I don't know if it's because of you know listening to the book, w- watching or rewatching the, the original one, and then watching this movie. I I think part of it was because it was like a part one, and it didn't tell the whole story. And it's like I knew that there was more, and I'm like this movie's not telling the story, you know, because there's all this others like what what. I think I need to watch the first movie again. When's the second one coming out? Like, I have no time for anything. And it's just, yeah. So we'll see. But there's a new trailer, I guess. Um, Anthony Mackie made the news recently. And not in a bad way. He did some interview. I think it was with Inverse. Because I, I kept seeing, I don't know if I'm following Inverse on Instagram. But I kept seeing Inverse, like like two or three different Anthony Mackie inverse stuff pop up on my Instagram. I don't think I don't even know what inverse is. I think it's a magazine. It's a news. I was a, what do I know? Like I said, I, I'm I'm just a, a knucklehead myself. Uh, but one of the things he he really 
wanted to play Black Panther. He just loved the character. And I guess he was like writing to Marvel, like, hey, I want to play Black Panther. Let's make a movie. Let's make a movie. I want to do it. I want to do it. And then finally they're like, hey, let's let's talk. So he comes in and they're like, yeah, we want you to play Falcon. And he's like, really? So I, that, and I don't know what the whole interview is. So I don't know, like, was he bummed? Um, was he like, oh man, it's like, I, I really want to be T'Challa. It's not going to be Sam Wilson. And looking at this, I'm, I'm so glad that he's Sam Wilson. Cause I, I, I think Anthony, I think Anthony Mackie is a great actor. I think he's a hilarious actor as well. You know, he, he he's, he's not just a, a comedic actor, you know, he can do other things. Uh, but I, I feel like it just he the the energy and you know what he gives to Sam Wilson because like I wouldn't necessarily say Sam Wilson in comics was a funny guy, but he's just like you know bam 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 and you know just like the wit and the sharpness whatever you want to call it just the way he he delivers it you know and yeah he maybe he has writer maybe he's ad lib I don't know but just the way his the way he executes the performances I mean it's just like bam 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 and that's but he's always like that he's like that in everything so you know I think there is a lot a lot on him. I don't think that would work for Black Panther because Black Panther doesn't seem to be one to be cracking jokes because, you know, he seems like he's a lot more serious. He's got his whole country to depend on. You know, he's got this image he's got to portray. Maybe he's going to crack jokes when he's, you know, walking around uh, the, the palace dining room or whatever. I, I just, I feel like he's just much better for, you know, Falcon, Captain America. So... I don't know. I, I think it was a good move, and I, I still, I'm still so ha- one of the happiest moments that, that when I got to interview him, which I, sh- I really, really, really need to dig out that that audio. I, sh- I should really do that because um, I, I think what it is, I think it's it's on an older digital recorder, so it's on one of those like micro um, SD cards, which I think and I might actually have it on my old backup laptop. I think I might have all, all the old audio files, but I don't know if, if that's something that people would be interested in on the secret podcast. You know, I, obviously it wouldn't make sense to play it here. It would just, just be weird, but we'll see. Maybe. And um, the last bit of news is what this was a surprise to me. I had no idea. Uh, Harley Quinn season four. You know, I, I figured it was coming. I think we knew it was coming. It's coming July 27th. It feels like, you know, when was the last season? I'm sure it's been a while and time just flies. But it's like, that that feels like a quick turnaround, you know, to write all the scripts and then the, do all the animation and then, then, you know, do all the voiceover. But I guess that's coming uh, less than a month now. And uh, that's going to be it. <laughs> so there, I got no quick, quick or witty outro segue but that's so that's going to be it for the news this week. All right, with comics at Image, we had Hell to Pay issue six came out, and you know this is one that I I said I, I'm behind on this. Uh, so this is Charles So Will Slaney. Uh, the bill has come due at last. The devil has arrived, ready to collect what he is owed. The first chapter of the sh- shrouded college cycle comes to a close with an epic battle that sees Maya and Sebastian facing down all of hell. There is no way out. Not with this much on the line. So this was a story about the the couple who were tasked at this magic college to find these cursed coins. There's like 250 of them. They found the 250th one, but there is also a 251st one. And then they're like, hey, dudes, council members, whatever. Our job is done. 
we are free from our debt that we owe you. Here's uh, 250 coins. But uh, just so you know, there was a, a 251st one. What the heck is going on? I don't know. Good luck. I'm trying to figure this out. See you later. Thanks for everything. And they're like, nope, you're not done yet. And they're like, what the? And then you go into that. Um, the thing, and I'll be honest, what 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 kind of because of my my um, what's the opposite of inclination? Disinclination. <laughs> because of my my the thing that I have against old timey stuff. There was a segment where there's it was like a, a a back flashback sequence like in the old conquistadorian times or something like that. I don't even remember specifically. And there's just and there was like a lot of text and like description and what's going. And I'm just like, ah. and then it's not that I don't like history, but uh, but also I I and I I know it it sounds like I'm I'm being a baby when if if there's a lot of text to read, it's like oh poor Tony doesn't want to read. It's like no poor Tony doesn't want to you know spend hours and hours reading comics and and it's it's my own choice you know i'm doing this it's just it's just it's hard to do all the stuff for the podcast and whatever so <laughs> I do, but i i think it's a good comic you know it, it, it there's a lot of potential there and uh if i had more time you know i would re- same same thing like indigo children so the fourth book is out i think i i still i think it was the second issue i i didn't pick up and i know i could just you know get a, a digital copy i'm sure comics out i yeah so the fourth book is out it, i think there's a lot of potential with this series too it just it was really cool from the, that first issue so I, I would recommend that even though i'm not keeping up with it local man issue five i've been enjoying this series and this is um i think it's it's ongoing it doesn't seem like because this is like the end of the first arc so local man and i feel like i describe this every month where he was like on this 90 superhero team. He gets kicked off. Um, there's a lot of controversy. He was like having an affair with a, a member of the team who was like kind of married or hooked up with the leader of the team. And there's all this stuff and people hate him. There's kind of like a lawsuit or something against him. And he's not allowed to be a hero or use like a shield or any sort of weapon. He goes to his, his hometown. People hate him there because they blame him for whatever. And then uh, a supervillain gets murdered there, so they blame him. But then there's like more, there's like some big, dark, whatever stuff going on. So I just, it was a lot of fun. And and the thing is, you know, he's he's not like your typical, like, hero, heroic lead character. You know, he he's a, a bit of a, a, a mess up, a, a fudge up, whatever you want, want to call him. It, you know, that, that kind of adds to his... Uh, I don't even know what what you'd want to want to call that, you know, but it, it's just it's nice. It's something where he, you know he's he's a, a basically a flawed character is what I'm I'm looking to, to say. So you know he he's not trying to be perfect or anything like that. And so there's that was interesting. Um, scumbag, uh, deluxe edition. Um, the what is this complete deluxe edition? I kind of stopped reading this. And I'm I'm really you know I I absolutely hundred percent love Rick Remender. I mean I think he's a brilliant writer and, and he's a super cool guy. It was just this main character was just it was a bit much for me, and you know it this was a case where you know he's far from uh you know a, whatever this is a majorly flawed character and it was just a, it was a bit much, so 
I just kind of lost a little interest in it. And, and because, you know, there's so much other stuff I'm, 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 I'm trying to read. But I, I'm, I'm really tempted to pick up, you know, or, or just start over and just, you know, check this out. Because, yeah, I mean, it, I'm sure it's good. It just, whatever. Again, it's that, that pesky time thing. Vanish issue eight came out. Um, this is what, this is the end of a story arc. I'm just, I'm having a hard time with, with this series. And it's almost like, you know, we were only at issue eight. But I almost feel like I need to start over and read it. Because I'm not fully clear on just the dynamics of this world, this universe. And, you know, because there's, I feel like there's like two worlds and then there's like, you know, magic stuff. And then like, even like we, who's vanished or whatever is this, you know, who's good and who's bad. And, and yeah, it's just, yeah. But, you know, I, I just, I love Ryan Segment's art so much. I mean, it's, it's just, I, I, yeah. So I I feel really bad that I'm not reading it. Yeah. I feel really bad. Um, and then World Tree issue three. Oh my gosh, this, this this series is just so freaky. So this is James Tynan and Fernando Blanco and Jordi Blair. World and it's World Tree with a zero and with two threes. So basically, there was these, these kids years ago. They found this like undernet. It was like this dark internet stuff, and it was like just really horrible stuff, like some evil present, whatever. And it's like it could be like the end of the world. The first issue is like where this guy gets exp- you know gets access to this this thing, and he is like kind of like possessed into like he I think he kills like sixty people or something like that, and it's just like all this like weird freaky stuff. And so there, there's like this darkness out there. So the people who found it back you know these these kids they were able to trap it, and then now they realize that it's been unleashed again. So it's like we need to you know come back and stop it and everything like that and. And then there's a, this naked woman that's going around killing people. It's just like part of this. And it's just like, what? And then like some, I don't, I don't know if they're in the FBI or some government like group, you know, they're like investigating this too. It's like, you know, they're trying to put a stop to things. And it's just, it's, it's, it's good and it's freaky. And, uh, you know, it's, that's, I, I just, I, that's what I love about James Tynan. You know, he's one of the nicest guys in, in comics, but he just, he comes up with this crazy freaky stuff that just it's like what's going on so it's, it's really good i highly recommend that uh tim drake robin issue 10 i feel like this and again maybe you know i don't read solicits i feel like this is the final issue and i just i don't know how i felt about this series it just it's it's been weird, you know. It feels like a lot of focus on this series has been about Tim and his boyfriend Bernard. You know, whatever the whole thing is like. Oh, all of a sudden, after all these years, after not a single single hint of any inner thoughts or anything like that, now all of a sudden, Tim Drake is bisexual. Maybe that's how it works. I cannot speak on that. I do not know. You know, maybe he was just in complete denial, forcing himself. And we just never saw those inner thoughts. We may have seen his inner thoughts, his word boxes, word balloons or whatever, where he's thinking this or that, whatever. And maybe we just never saw the moments where he's kind of struggling like, wait, do I like guys too? Do I, what? you know, it just, it just, it seems weird, complete, you know, like almost like 180 turn, whatever. I, but I, like I said, I, I can't speak on that. So I have no issue with that. If that's the case, it feels like, it was done just to do it, which I'm all for 
more diversity or I, I feel like I've talked about this so many times and, and I don't even know if I'm saying things right or PC or you know, what if people are, are taking offense or not offense or whatever. And, you know, I, I, it, what it just comes down to, it's like, you know, yeah, we should have more characters of, of all preferences or anything like that, because that's what the world's like, whether you agree with it or not, this is what the world is. You know, the world is not just white dudes white straight dudes you know we have everything all over and you know whether you're anti-rainbow or not that's what the world is like it or not comics should represent that as well and you have a choice not to read that if that's something that really offends you or you don't agree with or you don't understand or you can't accept i mean that's unfortunate that is your choice you do not need to support it it just feels like that if you want to do this create a new character but I, I get the aspect of it also where it's it's harder to sell a new character because you're looking at, oh, here's Robin. You can say, oh, Robin. You can say, quote, unquote, Robin is bisexual. You can say, quote, unquote, Superman is gay by saying Superman is, is actually the son of Superman who's now currently calling himself Superman because Superman was off planet. You know, it, it seems like, you know, that, that they're doing it for reasons like that. And the same thing with Jonathan, you know, I, I, it feels like Jonathan being gay came like out of nowhere, but whatever that, that's who he is. Fine. Great. Awesome. No, no problem whatsoever. But it just feels like, I, I think that the hard part with this Robin series is where we have Robin here and we've had Robin in Batman. And I'm trying to think if he's been appearing in anything else recently, it feels like like the, these these series aren't existing at the same time where in Tim Drake Robin he's living in a houseboat and I don't think I don't know if, if I could be wrong I don't know if in Dete- I don't even know if Robin's been a detective because I I did read this this week's issue um, I haven't been reading that lately but like in you know there's there's never been any mention of him with Bernard being in a houseboat and it just I, I don't know it, so with with this issue, was this the last issue? I'm trying to think. Did they resolve the the, the whole business uh, with Batwoman and everything? And then he gets rescued by his friends, and that's that's the other thing where they they manage to get like the rest of the Bat family to to come. And then when they all bust in, you know, we got like Batman, we got you know Spoiler and Cassandra, and or Batgirl and Batgirl and you know just everyone coming to the rescue and then you got like these people who live like in a marina like they're like front and center it's like okay this is this big dangerous killer cult or whatever and you bring these civilians in I'd be like okay go go wait around the corner <laughs> uh, I don't know it just yeah um, Harley Quinn issue 31 I'm not reading this and even like that cover it's it, you know it's a gorgeous cover and all that it doesn't compel me to buy this. Like I, I look at that cover and I'm just like, I don't even know what what this issue is about. And then you know when I, I start flipping through trying to see, and I see Captain Carrot, um, I I just I feel like you know no offense to the character, but I feel like uh, to me it feels like when he's used, it's like oh here's this wacky. We're actually using Captain Carrot. Uh-huh. I don't. Moving on. Um, Unstoppable Doom Patrol issue four. This was, um, <laughs> I guess I like my, did I finish this? 
Oh, wait, did I finish this? I just opened up and I'm in the... Oh, man, I didn't finish this. I'm on. I'm halfway through the, the, the comic. Um, one of the bummers, and I don't, I don't even know who was the third issue. So when I was looking at this, I was like, wait, where's Chris Burnham? Did he, did he work on issue three or two? But we have a different artist. It's like, I thought he was like, this was like his, what do I know? Um, but I, I do like this character, just the directions of this book and just everything. Um, this, this was, you know, there's this, uh, therapist with like powers and fifth dimensional, like five minds in this therapist brain and, you know, analyzing people and everything. I need to finish that. And so there's some interesting insights on, on the different characters and stuff like that. But I, I like that it, it, it feels different. It, it's, you know, part of the DC universe, but it's also kind of a little on the outskirts where it's kind of has like, not necessarily a different attitude towards things, but I kind of like how, how, how it's, it's, it's going. Then Green Arrow 3 came out and uh, there's some weird stuff going on with, with Oliver. It's like, where the heck is he? You know, he's not even on earth. Is he in the future? He's in another planet in space. And then, you know, we, we see Roy Harper's daughter, but she's older. It's like, wait, what? And, you know, we have uh, Connor Hawk and we have Black Canary. But the whole thing is like, one of the main things is like the, they can't be together. Because if they're together, that that's, could be like a dangerous thing. So, supposedly this was always like part of the, the, the deal. Like this is why Ollie kind of went to the island in the first place, even though it wasn't intentional, but like, maybe he, he kind of forced things and... There's some some weirdness there, and because part of me is like I just want them all to be together, and I want them to be happy, but that I guess that would make a boring comic. So I don't know. Then we have Detective One Thousand Seventy Three, and oh my gosh, like what part is this? This is uh, let me find it. It, it. I feel like this has been like the the longest ongoing story arc where we have. This this group this is a uh, Gotham not Act Eleven is that possible is that right is this Part Eleven and yeah I just I don't care about this group of people whatever that claims that Gotham is should be theirs and and then you know they're trying to turn things against Batman saying that you know Batman's the cause of all the misery and. And, you know, Batman's like, I don't need their support. It's like, I've been doing this from before and whatever. And and not not that Batman's being arrogant or anything like that, but, you know, he's 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 not trying to save... Is he trying to save... He's not trying to save Gotham for himself. He's trying to save Gotham for Gotham. Because, you know, he doesn't want anyone to go through what, what he goes through. And, yes, he's very protective, you know, he who wants control over how things are fought, but I don't think it's... I think he just wants it done the right way, and he, he thinks that his way is the right way, but I don't think it's for himself. I could be wrong. I mean, that could be a whole, like, psychoanalysis, you know, topic to, you know, that I'm not really qualified to delve into. City Boy, issue two. Uh, this I, I, I'm on the fence with this, this series, and, you know, I, I want to give a new new character a chance, obviously, and, you know, I... I I love Greg Greg Pak. I think he's a great writer, and he's also super 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 duper 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 nice guy. So you know, I, I want to support him. This character is interesting. You know, we we've kind of seen the origin when 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 we first saw the story. It's like, oh, he can find hidden things. The city kind of speaks to him and whatever. It, it seemed a little weird to me. 
but I, I kind of like the aspect of it. And then how we, we see it kind of how sort of this power works and the connection to the city. I, I think that's, that's kind of interesting uh, how, how that's working out. And then um, there is a, a, a cliffhanger teaser on the last page as to like who's probably going to be in the next issue. So that, that's, that's cool. Um, Batman Brave and the Bold. This is like a you know 60-page-plus book, which you know how I feel about those. And I just I feel like it's it's hard when you have these anthology books. I, I feel like it's it's hard to sell these these books. I would think from a, a, a comic like retailer, you know, how the heck do you order numbers on these? Because you know you you have different characters, and you know are pe- people going to want to keep reading this? You know, do, do they even know who's in this? And like if if you miss the first issue, then you're going to be in the middle of a story arc because. The point is these aren't complete stories. So like this one has, we have, uh, let's see, we have uh, Batman, the winning card part two. So this is by Tom King and Mitch Gerards, which, which like right there, it's like, holy crap, you know, Mitch, this is going to be good. And it's, it's looking at like early, like Joker appearance and, you know, Batman versus Joker. And it's, it's, it's really interesting and and dark story. But like, if you miss the first issue, then you will be like, what's going on? And, and because it's, you know, sharing this the space with you know three other stories that just makes it shorter than if it was like its own ongoing thing. Then there's Stormwatch Down with the King Part Two. This is by Ed Brisson and Jeff Spokes. Um, then we have Superman Order the Black Lamp Part Two. This is by Christopher Cantwell and Javier Rodriguez. I really like this. It kind of has like an old school feel to it, so I, I thought that was really cool. Um, and especially with uh, Javier's uh, art and the, the colors, just really like pop and everything. And then all things considered, Joel Jones does a story of arts, and this was a this was kind of a cool story as well. But I feel like it's so easy to just overlook. Like people may not even know that that, that story exists in the back of this comic. So I, I don't know. It's just it's just weird. But maybe it's it's a good idea. I don't know because maybe some people are like I want to read a lot of different things. It's just who knows. Um, then there's Action Comics one thousand fifty six. So this is basically the end of the kind of Superman and Friends versus Hank Henshaw. I really don't like Hank Henshaw. I, I think the character design is cool, you know, because you have kind of like a cyborg Superman. But the fact that Hank Henshaw, you know, because he, he blames Superman for the death of his wife and whatever, which is just it's just it's it's just it's it's kind of dumb it's like okay you need to realize that that's not the case and if it was you know how long ago was this it's you know been going on you know you can't have a grudge forever and then there's the fact that hank is in the phantom zone but he's able to control the his, his whatever a new body from the phantom zone i don't even i don't even i must have missed how he made a new body and then he's able to manipulate, uh, what's the name, uh, Hank, or not Hank Henshaw, um, John Corbin, uh, Metallo. And then he's able to infect his sister to use against John and Superman and I don't know. And then there's a steel back. Oh, there's also Lois and Clark, the, the Dan Jurgens, uh, Lee Weeks, um, Elizabeth Weiser story uh, with young Jonathan, which is cool. And then uh, there's another steel story, so um, that that was a that was a good issue, I would say. Over at Marvel, 
we had Amazing Spider-Man issue 28. Uh, I'm not I'm not digging the story arc. I'm I'm I haven't been super happy with Spider-Man lately, and it's 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 disappointing. It's it's upsetting because I I love the character so much. Spider-Man working with Norman Osborn, and you know I I think there's potential there. It, it, there's potential, but it almost feels like just a little redundant because you know I I feel like we we we've seen this so many times. You know there was Peter or Spider-Man and Parker Industries, you know, getting all this, this super tech to help Spider-Man out. Okay, cool. And then we had ugh, uh, Ben Riley and the Beyond Corporation doing all this stuff, which, like, that's got to go down as, as one of my least favorite story arcs ideas ever. Just And just in, in the, the the conclusions. Worst. So, so dumb. I'm going to flat out say that. It was dumb. I did not like that. That's my personal opinion, just because I love Ben Riley so much. Ugh. And then now I'm, I'm intrigued with the idea of Norman Osborn having his sins cleansed from him and that, you know, he's trying to redeem himself. Do I, is it the best thing? I don't know. But having cackling Green Goblin Norman Osborn, I feel like that's just been done so many times. And, and then, then if you're throwing the fact that Norman Osborn knows Spider-Man is Peter Parker, I feel like any time a superhero has a secret identity and their arch nemesis finds out and doesn't do anything to use that information as a huge major leverage against the character, that to me makes zero sense. The fact that Deathstroke knew like Batman or Robin's secret or Teen Titan, whatever, and doesn't do anything with it, but then he'll get defeated by the Teen Titans. And and then whatever. Send me to jail even though I know your secrets. That doesn't make sense. So if you're going to have Green Goblin knowing Spider-Man's uh, you know, identity, all he's got to do is like, hey, Aunt May, come over here, and then Spider-Man's done. <sighs> I like the idea of him trying to redeem himself and, and just the fact that you know he's living with that guilt, you know, he's never going to, you know, get over that cuz you know he did horrible things. So I think there's 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 potential there, but I I don't know, even him as a the golden goblin's not really working for me. It just it seems and here he so Doc Ock decides to attack and he wants revenge against Norman Osborn for one. And he's just so quickly takes down his security system. Doc Ock, maybe he's a genius. You know, maybe he was a superior Spider-Man or whatever. But I just feel like it's just so fast to just take everything down. I don't know. It just And Doc Ock, it's, it's also weird because we've seen him at different places. It's like, did something happen to him and I'm just forgetting that like now all of a sudden he's like pure homicidal again when he actually had some like redeeming qualities was doing nice thing he may be a little arrogant and stuff like that but now he's just like hey, hey, hey. he's like cackling villain and and I mean you look at him on the cover just like his face and everything I think that like says it all that that's that's who he is right now and it's just like eh. and then his new arms are there's it's interesting but. I don't understand how it works. It, you know, maybe I'm just not smart enough to understand the tech, not advance in technology. But it's just, I, I'm just, I'm just really not enjoying the book. And and that's usually like when there's a week the Spider-Man comes out. That's usually like the one at first. That's like the first Marvel comic I'm going to read. 
and now it's just like just haven't really been happy um avengers beyond uh issue four uh, i'm i'm okay with with this series it's uh i i don't know how i feel about the use of the beyonder it is better than having oh the beyonder was just an, a mutated inhuman who thought he was this being from beyond that was that was horrible that was horrific and i will never forgive that that it, it makes no sense i don't i just no 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 <laughs> that doesn't make any i love secret wars so much it just makes no sense um but here now that the, there's like a race of beyonders and all this stuff like that and that he's like on the run from someone else he's like actually scared so he's like trying to build up the avengers to help him out and then he like traps this force on earth and and an interesting uh development with him at at the end of this so it's like what is that going to mean so uh, captain america uh symbol of truth issue 14 what's uh, interesting to me i haven't really been paying attention there's a legacy number on here this is 749 so is there something big planned for issue 750? But when we've, we've been having two different Captain America books, the Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson, have they both been counting towards like the legacy numbers? Because I haven't really been paying attention to that. So this issue, there, there's not a whole lot that happens, and which is fine after the big um, so-so story arc crossover event we had. Sam comes back home, you know, he's with his friends and his family, you know, they celebrate his, I think it was his birthday. And, you know, it's just like having some downtime and they go to the Apollo because there's a comedian that's going to make jokes about, you know, that roasts Sam a little bit. The jokes weren't even funny. I, I, it's just, and, and you know, there, there's just like other jokes just about like life in a Marvel universe and that. And it's just like, I don't know. I mean, you know, they, they showed people cracking up laughing. It's like, that's not even funny. And then, you know, there's stuff with Joaquin, the, the new Falcon. And yeah, I just, uh, whatever. Hey, wait, there was a Carnage Reigns. It all ends here. I didn't read that. And I, I, I you, you, yeah, you could pay me to read that, but I, I just, I don't even, I, I don't know. I don't even want to read what it's about. Uh, Daredevil and Echo issue two. I'm I'm not super crazy about this this story arc. I love Phil Noto's art. That is the only thing that's getting me to read this. And maybe it's that that old timey stuff because <laughs> it's going to it was a, it's not 1835. I don't know why I have that that in my head. Uh, but we're we, until like maybe it's 1885. But we're like seeing some stuff with like Tommy uh, Murdoch. Uh, eighteen was it eighteen thirty-five? So basically, one of Matt Murdock's ancestors, and uh, yeah, eighteen thirty-five, and and sort of like you know, I don't know. I think the other characters, I don't know if it's one of Echo's ancestors or whatever, but just this, I, I it's just it's demon or whatever. It's just I'm not super crazy about this the story, and the other it's it's weird. That so Echo's you know whole thing is you know she can't hear but she can read lips, and you know at one point Daredevil's like oh like oh she, you know there's too much smoke or whatever so she can't read my lips she can't see what I'm saying, <laughs> but it's like so he had, then they're walking down the street talking and it's like he's got to be like he has to make sure that he's looking at her 
so she can read his lips. I, I don't know. Dare Deadpool. <laughs> Deadpool issue eight. Oh my gosh, this comic. I like Deadpool, but I don't like this comic. And one, I, I don't understand Deadpool's girlfriend. What's her name? Valentine. And uh, what was kind of cool here is uh, um, he wakes up and Ellie's there, his 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 daughter, quote unquote daughter. And uh, but then he's like, wait, he's human. What's going on? And then uh, it's really where he goes in the, in the kitchen and uh, Cable's cooking, making pancakes. Uh, Domino's sitting at the table. Wolverine's there. And Spider-Man's like on the roof. This part really bothers me. Really bothers me. So stupid. It's stupid that it bothers me. He's he's on, on the ceiling, which I don't even understand how he's on the ceiling because his feet are on the ceiling and maybe like one hand because it's, it's, it's his butt wouldn't make him stick but the way it's drawn it looks like his he's sticking by his butt too by his feet one hand and, and his butt and then he's spinning a web to pick up some bacon off off the table okay so he's gonna web some bacon but then he can't eat the he doesn't want to eat webbing so he you're losing a chunk of the bacon because there's webbing on it but whatever it's just and it's just oh i just don't like that series and his his baby his dog or whatever you want to call it it's just whatever and then uh she hulk ish 14 ah i don't know um so things are weird between she hulk and uh jack of hearts yeah i'm not really sure what, what's going on between them and then she's kind of like falling for this scoundrel that's literally his name this thief guy who has ha- has a crush on her and I don't know where this is going. I guess there's not much to say about that. I mean, I, I do like the series, but uh, one of the things that I find kind of weird is is this cover was a little more sort of along with what's going on. But a lot of the covers are, they're, they're kind of just, I don't want to say generic She-Hulk covers, but they're just, it's just She-Hulk on a cover. It's like the covers don't really have anything to do with the interior. It's just She-Hulk sitting on a chair, She-Hulk in a dress, She-Hulk doing, it has, which is fine. Silk, uh, issue two, I I don't like this series either. So we have the return of some characters from, I don't think it was the last volume. I mean, it was two volumes ago, but it's, it's like, so we you know we we've been having I think this is, is this the third Silk miniseries whatever or is this the second where we get this like five or six issue story arc but it's it's one of the things that I kind of have issues where it's like the same villain for the entire arc I want things to be kind of you know more mixed up or whatever because the problem is if if you don't like the villain or whatever it's not really an interesting or compelling you know story arc. So we have here. So basically, what, what's happening here is this woman, and I think it's, her, it's. I don't know if it's her brother, maybe it's her partner or whatever. But they they're they're using they're trying to do something with 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 Cindy, and she's like in this kind of trance, and she believes she's in these fake worlds, and then you know, and because like it starts off, she's like in this noir world, like old tiny whatever, and then when she figures it out. It, the world resets and then she starts over. And so like um, in this one, she's in a Western world. And it's just, to me, I, because it's, it's like it's a fake world, it almost feels like, well, this is like a fake story. Even though, you know, she's she's in this world, she's playing this out, but it's like, what? 
I don't I, I I just really like the character. And I, I just, I don't know. I, I feel like something more should be done with her. And I don't understand why she's just being shoved in this little corner with these like so-so villains that I just, I, I don't know. I'm just not, not, not digging it. And if other people are great, awesome, fantastic. And, you know, I'm not being sarcastic at all, but it's just, I don't like it myself. I, I just want more. Um, there's a Silver Surfer Ghost Light. This was issue five. I think I don't think this might have been the last issue. Um, I so I didn't read that. I didn't read Storm issue two. And part of the reason um, the first issue I thought I thought was fine was with everything, but it was uh, one of those like kind of like flashback stories. You know, it's Anne Nascenti, which you know should be enough reason to read it there. But because it's an issue taking place in the past, I just I you know and when it comes to time. It's, I'm not going to read it right away. And there, there was, it was also, it was, you know, there's, there's a lot of tension between Storm and, and Kitty Pride. It's like, oh my gosh, it's like they hate each other. And even Storm was kind of being rude and everything, but whatever. Um, Star Wars, Dr. Aphra. So I'm reading this obviously just because Luke Skywalker's in it. I like the character, but I'm not, uh, I, you know, this one that I, I fell off of, I, I forget when. I'm so happy that this book is at issue 33. I think that's great that this book has lasted this long, and I hope it keeps going um, because I, I'm, I'm assuming that means that people like the character, and I think that's great. I think she's a cool character, but I just I just fell off on, on, on the series, so maybe this will get me you know back started. I think she she's an interesting character, and, and she's definitely different in the Star Wars universe, which is is kind of like a breath of fresh air which it's not just like the same thing you know she kind of she's she straddles a line between good and evil and she kind of has like this attitude and uh i i i kind of dig that so i i'm i mean i should go back and read what i missed but this issue so she's with luke skywalker you know they're, they're it's kind of like a mutual thing but you know benefits where they're looking you know she's like hey do you want to find some old jedi artifact stuff you know this this is what you need and you know she obviously wants to try to sell some stuff whatever so they're at this like temple place and everything <laughs> what what i i think is funny is often luke kind of seems like a big dum-dum which he he kind of you know he that's he sort of was he was kind of like a whiny you know knucklehead and uh I, I think that that's kind of funny and everything. And, and so there's some interesting things here. And, uh, you know, there was a couple Jedi masters that appeared in the last issue. And it's like, wait, what? They're supposed to be dead. So we, we get more of that here. So it's, it's, it's definitely, um, I, I enjoyed that. And then, uh, wait, uh, no, I, I was gonna be like, I didn't read Darth Vader. Is Darth Vader black, white, and red? I didn't even click this. Uh, let's see. So we had uh, the Jason Aaron um, Leonard Kirk part three. I like that, that first one. Um, I would have read this. I don't know why I didn't, I guess I thought I read this. Daniel Warren Johnson and, uh, Mark Bernardi, Bernardin, Thor. I haven't been reading Thor and, um, yeah. Uh, Warlock rebirth. So this is issue three. And I think I just totally missed when issue one came out. Cause I remember when issue two came out, I'm like, wait, what? What's going on? Because this is you know Ron Lim doing the art and and uh, Ron Mars. Um, I I need to go back and 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 read these. So and then uh, oh my goodness, uh, I, I shouldn't have ended this. I should not end with this one, but I this is the last one I got. X Men: The Heralds of Apocalypse, issue one. I hope this is issue one of one. 
I just could, could not care less. I couldn't care less about these characters. So we have Apocalypse. I'm not the biggest Apocalypse fan. And now whatever he's calling himself, this symbol name, I just, I don't care about Apocalypse. And then now he's with his wife or whatever, and they're like on this, the other world after he left. And just, I just, I just don't care. And trying to read about these, it just, it was just so hard for me. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's poorly written or anything, you know, this cool art and all that. I just did not care, do not care for these characters. And it's just, I, I tried. I, I honestly, I tried. I, I got like maybe like 10-ish, 10 pages in. And I just started flipping through. It's like, okay, now what? Now what? Now what? And it's just, I hope you liked it. But I, I don't know. I, mean, I guess I've never really liked Apocalypse. And, you know, I think that's good as a villain. You're not supposed to like the villain. And, you know, he's done a lot of bad things. And But it's, just, I don't know. <laughs> but what I do know is that is going to be comics for the week. Wah, wah, wah. All right. I wasn't planning on doing this. And be full disclosure, I actually, I recorded the whole podcast already through the magic of editing. I'm going to like splice, insert this in, <laughs> into wherever I, I end up putting it. So I'm going to talk about Gotham Knights. Uh, I talked about the first episode and then I kind of left it at that. And the reason I, I, I didn't continue was one... It wasn't great in the beginning. I mean, that first episode, I, I, I was I was on the fence. But it, not so much that, you know, I continued watching it. And, and what I, what I've, I don't know if I've, I've mentioned this at all, but I would actually watch the show, like, on, on weekends. Like, when I would, I would you know, make my, my, my big fake breakfast, and by fake, with the fake lunch meats, we won't get into that, and, or lunch meats, fake bacon, fake sausage, eggs, you know, potatoes. And and it was it was kind of like my 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 something to look forward to on on weekends. I, I watch this, and I think part of what I enjoyed about watching it is one, it was kind of a mess, not not quite exactly a train wreck, but it it was it was intriguing. And I think the other thing that that what made me enjoy it so much is that I was kind of watching it for fun. You know, I, I've mentioned this several times when I watch these shows. Obviously, you know, if I'm going to be doing like full on recaps and everything, I have to be like paying 100 percent. You know, I, I have to be taking notes, mental notes, whatever, just, you know, keeping track of what's what's happening, who's saying what in case this person comes up later. And 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 it's you know, it's it's, it's just it gets kind of nuts sometimes. And it kind of takes the, somebody enjoyment away because I can't just watch something for fun. I have to be like totally engaged you know, working through the week when I'm teaching and then, you know, trying to watch all these shows and read all the comics. And even on the weekends, it's like, oh, I want to watch something for fun, quote unquote fun. But then I'm like, no, I got to watch the next episode of Silo or next episode of whatever. And and then I got to take notes. But with, with Gotham Knights, it's like, okay, it's Saturday morning or Sunday morning, whenever I decide to watch it. And that's the other thing. It's like, I don't really feel compelled to watch it right away. Like when Superman and Lois would come on, you know, and that's the only reason I really have cables, you know, I record on DVR. And, and then I would just, you know, check it out and at my leisure and I could just watch it and just sit back and, you know, have my breakfast and drink my coffee and, and just watch this bizarre interpretation of these characters that that we know and love. And I think that's part of, you know, why people one, I, it was not a good idea to call it Gotham Knights, especially with the video game. I think there's a lot of confusion. If you search Gotham Knights, 
I actually, you know, I, I tried looking, you know, I, I, I tried looking up like GIFs. Like I looked on, you know, the different, just trying to search GIFs on Twitter and Giphy, whatever. And you search Gotham Knights, all you get is video game stuff. There's like nothing for the show because the, sh- the video game obviously has a, a bigger reach. You know, more people are talking about it or playing it or whatever. So I, I think that was a mistake. The other mistake maybe was not having Batman. And I, I totally get why they didn't have Batman. But that, you know, you're, it's, it's a Batman show without Batman. So then some people are like, why am I watching this? And then your lead character, and I'll go through all the characters and tell you like who I liked and who I didn't like, and, and I'm going to be totally like straight honest about it. But the, the main character, you know, Batman's quote-unquote son, it's not even, you know, because at first I went like, who's this going to be? Is this going to be Dick Grayson? Is it going to be Jason Todd? Is it going to be Tim Drake? Is it going to be Damon? It was none of them. Totally made up character Turner Hayes. Who the f- heck is Turner Hayes? So that, that I think those things kind of worked against it. And then there's just some other weird mashup, like, you know, all these different characters they brought in. And I think that's what, what I enjoyed about it. It's, it's just, it, it got nuts. It just, they were like, what, we're going to do whatever the heck we want. And I kind of like that. So starting off with, with uh, not having Batman, I think in some ways that, that, that was, that, that did kind of work for the show, at least for the, the premise of the show. Cause if Batman was there, the show, you couldn't have the storyline that we, we got in the first season, but by not having Batman there, it, it kind of shows that maybe Batman isn't unstoppable. Maybe Batman isn't perfect. You know, he got caught off guard. How did he get caught off guard? He got caught off guard by the court of owls. So it kind of amps up the threat of the court of owls and, and, and the fact that they use a court of owl, I know, I, I believe, Gotham, the other show, use a court of owls. I I stopped watching. I couldn't really get into the second season of that. To me, I I would much I preferred this show over Gotham. To be totally honest, and and you may not agree with me, and that's totally fine. But this show really kind of uses the idea of the Court of Owls, the secret societies. They even had the hidden freaking floors, which I love that, that Scott Snyder put that, that, that you know, buildings had a, a secret 13th floor in the buildings. And then they go into the whole thing about like Alan Wayne and how he was, he was kind of, kind of a little, little crazy and obsessive and, and, you know, doing all this stuff, you know, building things and, and then, you know, they had the talons and they had, the, you know, the, the surviving and, you know, uh, so they they really pulled in a, a lot of actual comic legit lore into the show. And I think that's really cool. So the fact that you have this court of owls, that they were able to take out Batman, they were able to catch him off guard, which is like unheard of. You can't do that. You can't kill Batman, but they did. So I, I think that that kind of adds some credibility or whatever, just amps up the, the threat of everything and then like i said you know if you had batman even in any capacity even if he was just like injured or whatever you know they would be able to find he would find a way to defeat them so by not having him there it it, you know put things on a different level now going through the characters okay so i mentioned uh turner hayes so turner hayes oscar morgan uh not sure let's see what, what what has he done before if anything Nothing that I'm, and I, that's the other thing. I wasn't really familiar with these characters or these actors. They've done different things before, but I, I, for me, it was good not, you know, knowing who they were because they were all fresh. So Turner Hayes, and you know, this is no nothing against the actor, but the character, I really didn't care for him at the beginning. You know, he went to Gotham Academy, and you know, he he was he had no idea that Bruce Wayne was Batman because Batman didn't want his adoptive son 
Turner Hayes' parents were killed, so Batman, you know, took him in, and he wanted to keep him from this life. You know, it, it's not like we've seen in the comic, which, you know, if you think about it, okay, here's Dick Grayson. He loses his parents, so what is he going to do? He's going to train him to be a force, you know, vengeance against, you know, I, I get that. It's like, okay, let's channel that outlet. But Dick Grayson always had such an upbeat personality. He didn't need that channel. It's like Jason Todd is a different story. He had all that anger and would need an outlet, you know, that it could be directed towards. So in, in some ways that you, you got to give some, you know, whatever, tip your hat off or to Bruce Wayne for trying to give this kid the life that he couldn't have. So as we see this character grow over, you know, he, I, I found the character a little annoying at times and everything, but he started to grow on me. And, and by the end, I, I, you know, had a little more respect for who this character was and who he could become. Okay, then we have uh, Duella by Olivia Rose Keegan. And again, I, I don't know her from everything. She, I'm going to be perfectly honest, she was, she's my absolute favorite uh, character on the show. She's just brilliant performance. The first episode, there's like a, a police, you know, scene. She's in the backseat of the car, tipping the, the police hat. It was. I was like, oh my gosh, they're 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 trying to do the Heath Ledger thing. I was like, you no, you can't do that. That you just don't go there. You can't can't touch that that performance. That aside, I I loved her, her character. You know, she's she was Joker's daughter, and. The whole, I mean, it's, it's an absurd story. Her her mom was locked up in Arkham and, you know, she, she was born in, in Arkham and she was kind of raised, you know, was able to roam free and in, in, the, in the hallways, you know, the guards felt sorry for her. It's totally crazy. But I, I just, the, the, the actress's performance was just, just really, I, I just loved her, her character and just her quips and her dialogue and, and just the way she delivered everything. So she she, she became my, my, my favorite character. And just because she, you know, a lot of times she would think things are stupid. You're like, like oh, we're, we're forming this team. We're going to do this. And, and they didn't mean like mean to form a team. The, so the oh, I should back up. The premise of the show was, if you missed or didn't, don't remember from when I talked about the first episode, is they were um, Duella, Harper, and Cullen were framed for the murder of Bruce Wayne and then Turner got like pulled into it as well. So you know, she just wants to clear her name. She doesn't want to join these others. She doesn't even care for them. You know, it was just like a job that she like hooked up with, with Harper and Cullen. So I, I thought she was great. Um, then we have, uh, speaking of, of, actually this was kind of crazy. Um, so Navia Robinson played Carrie Kelly. When I saw, it, I was like, wait, you're bringing Carrie Kelly, who's supposed to be from The Dark Knight Returns, supposed to be like years in the future when Batman's like old old man Batman, you know, not quite Batman Beyond, but this older Batman, and he has this new Robin. They brought Carrie Kelly into the present, and not only that, and and basically she was Robin. She was working with 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 Batman, <laughs> and it's just just kind of crazy, but. At first, I was like, uh, "I was like, what are you doing?" She grew on me as well. I, I, I think the actress, uh, she, she did a good job with that. Her mom was like this emergency room, like you know, ER nurse, and and you know, so there's like you know, trying to keep things from her and the expectations, and, and it, so there's some good night dynamics there. Then we had uh, Harper Rowe was played by by Fallon Smith, and at first, I'm like, 
like, oh, this is cool. You know, we, we have Harper Rowe because I've always liked the character and I feel she is, she is uh, atrociously underused in the comics. And, and even like the recent stuff with Punchline, I didn't care for that because that wasn't the Harper Rowe that we first had. I mean, I, I feel like she was such a cool character when she first came on the scene. And then I, it just, I don't know what happened. It just kind of fizzles somewhere. And, and, and maybe, you know, we needed Scott Snyder to, to bring her in, you know, to do stuff because I, I don't know. Uh, it just... It just didn't work. So her character here, you know, she's got a, a major chip on her shoulder. You know, the, the rough life, you know, trying to protect her her brother. And, you know, but she's got sometimes a little too much uh, tech savvy. Like, the, the, there's a lot of convenience stuff, which sometimes it's like you're majorly rolling your eyes. For the sake of the show, it goes long. So I, I, I liked um, her presence. And then they also, um, you know, they, they made her bisexual, which again, you know, which is good for, uh, what's the word? Um, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for representation. Uh, what, what, you know what I'm saying? So, but it wasn't like, like a totally in your face thing. Cause you know, at one point there, you know, she was bisexual. I think I said she was bisexual. You know, she has to call up like an, an ex-boyfriend who was like the son of a, a gangster dude, you know, cause they could get into this warehouse or whatever and everything like that. And then she ends up falling for, uh, someone else, which, <laughs> um, I'll get to that later. Uh, so then we have, Tyler Tichiara, who played Colin Rowe. I didn't like him so much at the beginning either. So a lot of these characters, I don't know if it was just a script for the first episode or just watching it. He I, he came I, to Gromia as well, and and he he became an important part and kind of kind of was almost like the the heart of the team because like when when the this group they didn't want to be together, but he would kind of like keep them together and you know kind of keep them grounded and kind of keep them on the right track so you know that was important then we had uh stephanie brown played by anna lore uh she was you know friends with with uh with what's his name uh turner hayes they you know they went to gotham academy but they're like best friends you know there there's always a thing it's like oh do they like each other or not but it was more like that they were really good friends she's a uh, super smart with technology again almost too smart and her her dad is you know a host of this game show because you know he's clue master and her mom is like addicted to like painkillers like drugs and stuff like that so you know she's dealing with that stuff so you get a lot of those those things there and you know her dad's basically like this big celebrity you know and they're making all this money that's how you know she goes to Gotham Academy but it's it's just you know it, it's it's a bit of a mess there. What ends up happening? So we first see is Stephanie is like kind of hooking up with this Brody dude, uh, who's played by uh, Rehart Adams. He was annoying in the beginning because he was he was basically Turner Hayes' nemesis, and you know he was kind of like the the jock bully in in the the first episode. And by jock, they're on a fencing team. You know there's there's an incident between Brody and Turner fencing you know fighting in a fencing whatever practice match and uh so she stephanie and brody were kind of together but then later uh harper starts falling first for stephanie you know so you get some of that teen angst love triangle whatever tension stuff like that but um brody so he was actually the son of lincoln march which you might remember lincoln march from scott snyder's batman run they brought him in there, you know, and obviously Lincoln March involved with the Court of Owls and everything like that. And there's like other stuff, which I don't even go into with that. The main kind of uh, character, there's no Jim Gordon, but we have Harvey Dent played by Misha Collins. So Misha Collins, uh, you, you may be familiar with him. He's he's done 
tons of, of, of stuff before. And he, um, he's just Harvey Dent. But then as a, the season progresses, it, it kind of comes up that there's like, he, he does have like the, the, the two-faced persona, like the, the associ- dissociative, whatever identity disorder, something like that. And, and you kind of see that come out a little bit. And, when he does, this is totally spoilers, but the season's over. So when that kind of comes out, he he plays both roles perfect. And there's some like really cool scenes, you know, as cheesy as the show is, you know, being totally honest, there's like one point where he kind of, I, I think he like punches a mirror, he does something. But then there's a shot where he, you know, he's like looking in a mirror and the way they have the mirror cracked, like on his face, it was like, to- I, 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 it was so brilliant the way they did that. Cause you know, they're alluding to the whole Harvey Dent Two-Face thing and a split personality and the mirror split I thought that I loved just that imagery the way the lighting of that scene and everything and you know this is getting totally technical like outside of you know the being confined in the story of the show but I, I just thought that that was 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 really good and um that's basically the 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 main cast and even at towards the end they, they even mentioned like Henry Ducard which you know that that is important you know in, in Batman's lore and everything like that so I think they did a, a really, they did a decent job. It was, like I, I said, it, it was a bit of a mess. It was kind of all over the place. But I, I, it, was, it was fun in, in a way is, you know, if, if you can just let go that this is not Batman. This is not meant to be DC cinematic, you know, universe. This isn't trying to be the Arrowverse. This is trying to be its own separate thing. And it's kind of like, you know, whether it's an Elseworlds or a what if, or even like a science experiment, but it's like, let's take these characters and just stick them in a bottle, like shake it up or whatever, just pour it all out and see what the heck, you know, you come up with. So I thought it was, it was just a lot of fun. And it was just, it was, it was just, it was interesting to to watch. And I, I think part of um, my, my fast, the other fascination with, with Duella is uh so i mean and let's let's add this if you know the, the this is how much they they look into the history of, of, the, of the characters so if you know joker's daughter and this is this always confused me when i when i first found out about this character joker's daughter because wasn't she like from the 70s she was like from before i started reading comics and i was like okay she's joker's daughter but then why is her her name duella dent I was like, that makes no no sense because Dent is Harvey Dent's last name and Joker's has no relation, nothing to do with Harvey Dent. You know, they're not brothers or anything. So it's like, what does this mean, Duella Dent, Joker's daughter and everything like that? I'll just leave that out there. Um, but I, I think part of the other reason why, aside from the actress's performance i think part of it is is like as a father of a daughter it's like i i kind of wanted to protect her because you know she she had a horrible life and you see you know she didn't choose this you know her 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 mom is a complete um i don't want to say sleaze bag or anything but you know she's you know, she was locked up for a reason and you know when she gets out you know she's quick to you know turn on on anyone and the fact that you know Duella, you know, she what she wanted, she basically wanted uh, you know a family. She wanted a father, and, and she was robbed of that. You look at the other kids, you know. Yeah, Stephanie Brown has a messed up life as as you know as well with her parents being a mess. But at least she had the the, the money and the privilege. So she, you know that not that that is everything. You know Turner Hayes, his parents were killed, but Bruce gave him a life. Carrie, you know she's living with you know single mom. 
but you know she's super smart and studious you know she was also going to the academy and so she had a, a decent life and then you know she got to go out and, and fight you know crime with 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 batman to you know whatever extent um colin and, and harper they had each other at least you know they you know they may have had things rough but it's like so i think duella i i felt like sorry for her the most and i just wanted to like protect her whatever as, as you know as like a father type of thing so it's it's just a shame that the show ended, and it was so absurd at time. And there there is a, it, it it did get better as the season you know wound towards its end. But but even in the last episode, there's like some some lines I'm like oh my gosh, and like my eyes are rolling, and I have to like you know catch them from popping out of my my eye sockets. But it was just it, it was fun and. With what they lead up to, you know, they they do tie up a lot of loose ends because you know maybe they they're, they're like, well, we don't know if we're gonna get another season. So most things are kind of set like that, but there it does kind of leave with a bit bit of a cliffhanger, and it would be interesting to see, you know, almost like where the heck could they go after this? Because you know they they really shake the core of a lot of like what's you know was established. So it's it's just too bad that it's over because. You know, I, I look at some of the other stuff on the season. Even like, you know, if you talk about the Flash, like some of the seasons of the Flash, a lot of the episodes of the Flash, I just did not care for them. And I think part of it is because the Flash was meant to be a little more accurate, a little more, and and it just it didn't really always work for me. But this this was just fun because it it wasn't trying to be as accurate. But it it did have deep respect for a lot of the roots of the characters and ideas. So if you've watched it and you might be like, you're crazy, Tony. I, I couldn't watch that. It was a piece of garbage. It, 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 I didn't think it was that bad. And again, you know, we're all entitled to our own opinion. I just I had fun watching it, just turning off my brain a little bit and just enjoying it for what it was. And and even though there's lots of eye rolling moments, I think that there is some some redeeming aspects of it that made me it kept me interested so that is uh the memoriam or whatever for gotham knights it's over and you know maybe if i would have talked about it it would have survived i doubt it there was there's no hope for that with cw and warner brothers everything like that that that's the end um i was hoping that superman and lois would go to max and then cw could survive on the cw but that wasn't meant to be so that that is it. So rest in peace, Gotham Knights. Thank you for thirteen weekends of you know entertainment as I ate my breakfast. Now I guess I'm going back to watching ridiculousness while I eat on the weekends. So that that was that was Gotham Knights. All right, with Silo season one, episode nine, the getaway. <laughs> okay, so um, update again. I I have not. Have I even listened to any of the books since last? T- I haven't listened to any of the book yet. I think I'm just gonna wait uh, since uh, wait for the season to be over and then finish the audio book. And because uh, I mean, honestly, I haven't really been driving a whole lot since I've been on, on summer break. And and when I'm in the car, when I when I do drive it, I just I have music playing. So I, I will get to it. Uh, now with with this episode, if you remember last week, Juliet was kind of. She got busted, and you know they the Sims and the mayor made up that she wanted to go outside, which she didn't say that, and and then she breaks away from them and she jumps over the ledge, and it's just like what what the heck? 
this episode starts off where she jumps over. She lands like like maybe like a level or two down. It's it's not that far. So the thing is with with the structure, to, I I, I it'd be really cool to see how the the structure really is because it's not just a spiral. You know the the floors are like different levels or anything, or you know different size, different shapes. So she jumps over the ledge. She lands on a another landing. You know there's there's you get what I'm saying. So she she hits she lands pretty hard. But uh, she kind of gets into wind knocked out of her, you know, there's nothing broken or anything like that. She still has her bag, so which is weird. I, I guess that's good because you would think that they would just grab it from her and carry it or whatever. So Sims and the other day, they, they go to the ledge, they look, and they, they see her. They start running down. She slowly gets up, and she starts running, and she heads, like, into the level wherever she's at, and she, she somehow manages to lose them. And there's there's people, like, looking around her, like, what the heck is going on? So Billings tells Sims, you know, she's still in that uniform, still wearing that badge. You know, it's not hard for her to get in a door. And then Billings and Sims, like, kind of look at the people, and and he's like, everyone, please go back inside. Everything's okay. And then, then Sims is like, Paul, how did she get away? And he's like, you think I let her go? Because, you know, he was, was escorting her, but we'll see. So Sims talks alone with the mayor, and and mayor's, you know, uh, Bernard's like, why would he let her go? And he's like, I don't know. I sent him home for the time being. And, and you know, Bernard's like, well, where the fudge is she? And Sims like, you know, they've searched the level, every apartment, every closet, under every bed. It's like, it's possible she circled around or, or climbed up or, you know, down the far side of the shaft. And then he's like, have you searched that level? And Sims is like, we did. I also brought in all off-duty watchers. We have eyes on every screen. And Bernard's like, have them track her movement yesterday. Maybe that'll tell us something. And Sims is like, I think we have to assume she somehow got off that level. Maybe made it back to the stairs. We're going to talk to anyone who might have, you know, who might give her shelter. And the mayor, he, I don't so I don't know where this thing came from. Because there's like this little like cylinder thing, like, like on a chain or something. It has a number 18. And it's has like a light in there. It's like glowing. And he like picks it up. Then he's like, Rob, I hope you understand what we're facing here. He's like, now go. So in the hall, Sims tells this one dude, I forget keep forgetting his name. He's like his like the top raider dude, whatever. He's like, talk to her friends, family, see if anyone's hiding her. And then he's like, and I'm gonna need an escort. It's like, what does Sims need an escort for? Is he scared of her? Billings holds his wrist, he's like looking at his hand. His wife tries comforting him. And, you know, he says that he lost his grip. It's his fault. And you know, he's like, she's like, are you okay? He's like, I feel fine. It's like physically, you know, I feel normal. But even now, you know, his, his hand won't, won't stop. And he's like, you know, all the medicine and herbs at this point, he's like, I'd rather people just know I have the syndrome than think I'm incompetent. And she's like, you're not incompetent. You worked hard to get where you're at. You know, maybe it's time to, to go back to judicial. You know, they liked you there. And, and you, you did well and, you know, you didn't have the same kind of requirement. He's like, I'm not going back to judicial. She's like, well, so the plan is to tell people that you got syndrome and hope that they look past it, ignore the pact. He's like, I wasn't being serious, cat. He's like, I was just saying how I feel. So they kind of start arguing a little. And then she says that, you know, he lied, but, you know, he, he couldn't go back to judicial. You know, he sternly says that, you know, he's more more than qualified to do this job. And she's like, you know, she's not saying that. He's not, but one sheriff was already sent out to clean, and another is on their way, and neither of them had children. So this part, I don't like. She's like, so when you think of your secrets and your pride and what you're qualified to do, picture your daughter growing up without you. Think about that. And he's like, Cat, that's not fair. And she's like, it's the truth. So he gets up. He's like, when I was 17, there was this other kid 
who, you know, Justin Carlson, who had the syndrome. Most kids didn't know, but I knew. I saw him trying to hide it the same way I did. And he knew I had it too. One day he approached me and asked me about it like he was trying to make a friend. I hit him so hard, I knocked one of his teeth out. I told him if he ever told anyone or if he ever talked to me again, I'd hit him harder. That's how important it was for me to keep that secret, to keep people from knowing that I had some defect, that I was someone the pack said could only have a job with no physical requirement because I was different. He's like, I am not limited by what others think I'm capable of, and I'm allowed to make mistakes. And he puts on his jacket, and he like grabs something from the kitchen. He says he's going to catch the person, and he let go and make this right. So I guess what I'm, I never really thought about up until, honestly, like this moment now, like what the heck is this syndrome? I, I, I mean, I'm sure there's some medical explanation that, you know, what causes your hand to shake or something like that. M- muscle control, m- muscular dystrophy. I don't know. Um, it, it, but here's another interesting thing that why does the pact kind of come down on this? You know, why do they say that, that this isn't, uh, you know, this doesn't allow you to do a job that has physical requirements. You know, why is there no other way, you know, medicine or anything that can combat this? You know, because I'm assuming, again, you know, this is somewhat in the future, not in current time. I don't know. So Hank and some others, they go knock on, on Walk's door and she's says, uh, you know, she's like, come on in, whatever. And she's like, I don't have anything to hide. And we see a mother uh, tells Pete, uh, Juliet's dad, the baby didn't wake for her 5 a.m. feeding. She's like, I was so tired. She's like, I didn't wake until 6. And he's like, it's okay. He's like, you know, you know, because she thinks she's a bad mom or something like that. And then some judicial soldiers like barge in and that one dude. And Pete's like, we're in the middle of it. And he's like, do you know where your daughter is? And he's like, no, now please leave. So Sims comes in and talks to the man. He's like, I think you'd better do as he says. If you wake that baby, this poor woman might just kill you. And she's just like, you know, kind of looking where she wasn't, didn't look like she doesn't kill him, but you know, she's just like, what's going on. So he motions for, for Pete to step out in the hall. Sim says, he's like, I remember when getting, you know, our boy to sleep was a, the high achievement of the day. And Pete's just like, he's like, what do you want with my daughter? And he's like, Dr. Nichols, I imagine Juliet is the most important person in the world for you, but for the sake of everyone in the silo, I need you to tell me where she might be. And Pete's like, she is the most important to me, but I don't know how she thinks or where she might go, you know, until this week, I hadn't seen her in 20 years. He's like, what happened? And Sim's like, she said she wanted to go out. Now the whole silo is looking for her. He's like, help me find her before some overeager raider does. And Pete's like, if that's meant to be a warning, I don't need it. I know all about them. And he's like, I guess you do. So then he's Pete's Dr. Nichols. He's like, there's a spot halfway around the level one balcony where the railing is worn smooth by all the people who might have gripped it tight before going over. I never imagined my wife would be one of them. But thanks to your raiders, Jules is all I have left. Let me ask you, Mr. Sims, if you were in my position, would you help the people hunting your child? And he's like, I would, because no one person is more important than the 10,000 or the thousands to come. And Nichols is just like, he's like, I have no idea where she is. And he just like walks away, go back to work. Now, this is a, a bit of a, of a fib here, what, what Sims says. What, what you, you'll just come to this next scene. So Sims' wife and, and the kid, Anthony, are, are, are walking. And Anthony's like, he's like why did they close the school? Like, is daddy coming home? And mom's like, you know, he's probably very busy right now. And he's like, well, I made something for daddy. So it's like a desk nameplate thing. It says Robert Sims, like you know, carved in there or something like that. And then a couple of soldiers call out to her. 
and says that her husband sent them to escort them both home from school. And she's like, well, you're a little late because our door is right here. So the dude apologizes and asks, he's like, well, can we at least make sure you get in okay? She opens the door. She's like, okay, we're in. And dude's like, well, can we check the inside? And she's like, you are not stepping foot inside. And you can tell my husband that you did your job. He's like, ma'am. And she says, I was a raider for 12 years before I moved over to IT. I can take care of myself. Yes, ma'am, but we'd feel a lot better if you two drew a lot of attention running up, yelling my name. You think my husband would like that? And he like steps back and then he leaves. So they they enter, turn on the light, and she noticed like something on the floor, like something dripped or something, whatever. So she tells uh, the kid, Anthony, to go in his room, work on his homework while she makes him a snack. She you know, closes the door and then she pulls out a gun from her purse and she sees like the hard drive in the other room. She picks it up to look at it and Juliet comes at her from behind and puts a blade to her throat. She's like, I'm not going to hurt you, but I will if I have to. And it cuts to the intro. So I guess she should let those guys in. And then it's, it's like weird because then he, the, the Anthony is out and he's showing the mom because she's like, where's my nameplate or whatever. So he's like, I made you one too. And he's showing her. It just says mommy on there. And she's like, oh, I love it. She's like, can you hang on to it for me? <laughs> this is like, why? Because she doesn't really want it. <laughs> she says that, you know, she's going to close the door, but, you know, everything's all right. She just needs to, you know, talk to a person. So it feels like we missed something here. I don't think I missed anything. <laughs> so Julia is like holding a gun. And then, uh, so Sim's wife, I forget, forget her name. She's like, do you know how to use that? And Julia's like, no, not really. She's like, I figured you're so close. It doesn't really matter. And my wife, she's like, well, there's only one shot there. And she's like, and how many will I need? She's like, look, I'm not here to hurt you. She tosses handcuffs at her. And she's like, are these mine? And Julia's like, yeah, your husband took mine. Cuff yourself to the rail in the bathroom. And she's like, no. And Julia's like, look, me firing this gun, whether I hit you or not, it's going to be enough to give your son nightmares for the rest of his life. You want that? And she's like, I'm not going any place where I can't see both you and the door to my son's bedroom. And Julia's like, kitchen now so she cuffs herself to this like metal pipe going running along the wall julia starts looking around she finds some tools and she turns on a computer and plugs in the, the drive and it, it starts like downloading billings walks into julia up to Juliet's place and it's being searched and the officer tells him that you know he's like you can't be here you know judge said only ju judicial investigators are allowed inside he's like as acting sheriff i have a responsibility to conduct an investigation to anyone who requests going outside and then she's like, and I have orders to arrest anyone who tries to get past me. She kind of pulls him aside and whispers. She's like, I don't know if you remember me, but I took your class on the pact last year. He looks at her. And he's like, Jean? And she's like, Robinson. So she's like, look, if it were up to me, I'd let you inside, but I can't. I don't have a choice. I have to do what they say. And he's like, can you tell me if she left a note? And she's like, no note. The place was a mess. So he looks and he sees like the broken mirror and like the empty compartment, you know, behind the mirror. He's like, I was just thinking, if I found out why she said she had to go out, maybe I could figure out where she is. And she's like, I don't know, but you should go, sir. So Sim's wife asks, so who was it that gave you nightmares? And Julia like shakes her head. And then, you know, Sim's wife's like, that's not something you say if you don't have them yourself. So Julia's like, you said you were a raider. You know, when I was a little girl, about the same age as your son is now, someone like you broke down our door. They destroyed our apartment. My family, that's judicial. That's who you used to work for and who your husband works for. She's like, my husband works for the good of the silo. And Julia's like, you believe in the good of the silo? She's like, I do. 
And Julia's like, but not enough to let two raiders into your apartment where your son sleeps, even though your husband sent them. And she's like, my husband's not in control of everything that happens in the silo. He's certainly not responsible for something that happened to you when you were a child. Julia's like, you have no idea what your husband is responsible for. And, and Sim's wife's like, what do you think will happen when he finds out where you are right now? So the hard drive's like at 70%. And the kid's kind of peeking out of his door and sees his mom cuffed in the kitchen, which is like, dude, get back in there. Mayor's pours a drink, uh, but then he decides to pour it back in the bottle. So he looks at this like 18 keychain thing, whatever. And then Sims comes in and says he spoke to Juliet's father and, and their down deep teams talks to her friends in mechanical. None of them have her. And, and Mayor's like, did you send teams anywhere else? And Sims like, just those places for now. He's like, the watchers tracked where Nichols went yesterday. Most of it was normal until she went to the dispatch on 10. So she hired a porter to deliver a message. Mayor's like, the sheriff's department has its own porters. He's like, yeah, I know. I sent an agent up to check it out. The message was delivered to someone in a cafeteria. He's a cafeteria worker? And Sims like, like, no, someone who was just sitting there. Lucas Kyle works in IT. We don't know what the message said. But we do know what Mr. Kyle did after he got it. He went to Nichols' apartment. So this judicial dude puts up a crime scene, do not enter sign in Juliet's apartment. Others walk out with like a couple boxes. Billings like watches from around the corner. And then when they leave, he goes in and he like breaks, breaks in. He hammers like a, a piece of something under the door. So I guess no one can barge in on them. And he looks at where like the mirror used to be. They actually, they, they removed all the broken glass. So it's just like a, just opening now. And but he finds a, a piece of broken mirror on the floor and he like holds it up, turns it over and sees that it's actually like a one way glass. But he doesn't really I don't know if he just doesn't really process it. Then he goes over to vent, feels there's nothing in there. So Sim's computer reaches 100 percent. She hits some keys, but isn't sure how to open any files. Meanwhile, Sim's wife pulls out something from her pocket. I don't know if it's like a bobby pin or something like that. And she starts like picking at the, the handcuffs to lock. Juliet thinks um, to look at Allison's writing on the back of the sheets of paper, and she sees library. So she types it in, and then she sees all the folders. And she has no idea that Sim's wife is like about to open the handcuffs. So Billings is, meanwhile, searching Juliet's kitchen. He thinks about the Pez dispenser that he found in the medicine cabinet that you know obviously she put there. So he goes in, into the bathroom, looks in, in her medicine cabinet. It's empty, because of course they, they removed everything. But then there's there's kind of like like black rubber like tubing like around the, the mirror to keep it in there. So he pulls it out and he's able to like pull out the, the mirror compartment and he finds like a wrap folder or like wrap something behind it, opens it up. It's the Amazing Adventures Georgia book. The mayor goes to visit Lucas, pours drinks for both of them. And then he asks, he's like, are you a curious man? And Lucas is like, you know, no, no not more than anyone else. So Bernard's like, but I understand that you like to go up to the cafeteria at night and chart the lights in the sky. Is that true? And he's like, it's uh, just a hobby to pass the time. Uh, he's like, I would say that I'm more analytical than curious. It's it's why I like working here in IT. And Bernard's like, do you have any idea what they are? He's like, no, sir. And Bernard's like, any guesses? What about Sheriff Nichols? Does she have any idea what the lights are? He's like, Lucas, yesterday when the sheriff sent you a message by Porter, you went directly to her apartment where you had a conversation. It was hard to hear over the water that she left running. Nichols then broke her mirror, destroying the air quality monitor behind it, which is a load of crap. He's like, a criminal offense. And then on top of that, she showed you a hard drive, a restricted one. And what did you do? He's like, I, well, nothing. I didn't do anything. Exactly. 
The sheriff showed you a restricted red-level relic, and you told no one. A judicial security team even came to our apartment, giving you the opportunity to alert them, and you slinked away. And Luke is like, I I didn't know it was a red-level relic, sir. It's like, how would he know? There's not no list. Like, oh, if you see a hard drive with the number on here, you know, it's restricted. So then he's like, tell me, you're an analytical person. So what do you think the consequences should be for such inaction? So the mayor, Bernard, he is such a bully. I mean, it would, it would like, it would just suck living, you know, but besides being stuck in a silo, not being able to go outside, it would suck. Just, uh. So Luke is like, sir, the, the consequences. And Bernard's like, come on. He's like, you're a smart man. Otherwise you wouldn't be in it. I mean, before today, while I wouldn't have known your face, I'm certainly familiar with your performance numbers and they are quite high. So consequences, how about the scavenge room? And uh, so with the scavenge room, I don't know if they talked about it so much in the show or if I'm thinking back to the book. So the scavenge room is is basically where the people, all of the garbage chute goes down to, to the bottom. And um, basically there's like different trash chutes and people have to kind of sift through this stuff to see if it's really all trash or if there's anything that can be repaired. So I think they, they mentioned it when, uh, maybe when Julia went there, how Pete, you know, they, they complained that not everything is trash. You know, some of the stuff can be fixed. And the way it works is you're, you're basically, it's kind of like nonstop because I think there's like four different trash shoots or different numbers and they, they kind of get dumped on schedule. So basically you have like five minutes to go through the, the garbage and then another shoot's going to dump it. And then maybe there's more than four. But anyways, so I think that's what the scavenge room is. And then he's like, the mines? You know, you're talking about that. Which they, they don't really go into the mines, but that's where they have to get like the oil and whatever so they can run, you know, whatever their machinery and stuff like that. So Bernard's like, considering the scope of your betrayal, maybe a cleaning would be more appropriate. And he's like, Mr. Holland, please, I... And Bernard's like, with 10,000 of your fellow citizens, depending on your judgment, you turned a blind eye. Why? Because of a, a crush? I'm not sure I see another way out for you unless you help us find her. Here we go again. You're such a bully. He's like, I have no idea where she is. Slams his hand on the desk. What does she want from you? He's like, just, <laughs> and it's so funny. He, he just bangs his, his hand down. He's like, she just helped with the hard drive, but I didn't help her. He's like, describe it to me. The hard drive. Describe it to me. It's old. What else? Slams his hand down. It, it's, it's beat up. It was there a serial number. He's like, I, I didn't really look at that closely. BS. Slams his hand down again. He's like, you're lying to me. What else? He's like, there was a number on it. Not a serial number, just a, a number. 18. And the mayor's like shocked. And then he, the next scene, he like he drags him out, kind of like by his like shirt collar or whatever, hands him to Sim and is like his goon, and he says, like, put him somewhere, but don't let him to talk to anyone. And Sim's like, what is it? He's like, come with me. I didn't realize. I thought it was just like number eight, but it's actually eighteen. And what does that have to do with this keychain thing that he has? Is is this like the only one, or are there are there seventeen other ones? So Juliet's um clicking away she finds like it's kind of like the blueprints or whatever the wife's still working on on handcuffs in like the watcher room which i don't know what it's called where all the, the, the camera screens are the mayor says that he needs a system-wide scan for a hard drive serial number 18 and a dude at, at the computer's like sir serial numbers have nine digits 
And Bernard's like, this has two, a one followed by an eight, otherwise known as 18. Find it. He's like such a jerk. Billings like looking at the, the Adventure Georgia book. He sees the beach page. His hands like shaking a little bit, turns the page. Sims asks the mayor if he's okay. And then Bernard's like, I've been very negligent in appointing a shadow. And I know you think it should be you, Robert. But earlier today, you had an An- Anmason. Is that what's his name? You had Anmason send agents to accompany your wife when she walked your hon- son home from school. We are facing extinction. And you chose to protect your family before the silo. I suppose that it is completely understandable. But now I wonder whether making you my shadow would be fair to you, your wife, your son, or to Silo. So here's the thing. So this is what I was talking about before, where Bernard told Juliet's dad that he wouldn't place his, you know, his son above everyone else because he's like, no one is, is above. He did the same thing. So even if there's just two raiders that were... A, to accompany his his whatever wife and, and daughter, those, those are two guys that that could have been out searching. You know, they they could have maybe even found Juliet or something like that. The dude at the screens yells out, "He's like, got it!" And she's like, "That drive is connected to computer and apartment and an apartment in level seventeen. Sims like seventeen, and the, the dude's like, "Yes, sir, apartment one fourteen. Sims psh, runs out, <laughs> and and Bernard's like, "You got to be fudging kidding me." So Sims runs, shoves people, yells on the radio, get every available writer, you know, to whatever, level 17. He's like, levels above and below. Juliet's still scrolling at the, so she has no idea. So she's scrolling, looking at the, all the different folder name. Sims' wife is still working on the lock. So she's the slowest lock pick, which whatever. Then Juliet sees a, a folder labeled start here. There's a video. She clicks it. It's from George. And he's like, hey, Jules. Pretty crazy, right? This is a video, or at least that's what they called them in the before times. So I guess they didn't have they don't have any videos because they don't have any screens known, you know, because uh, other screens are locked away. They only have the the monitor, the outside, the cafeteria screens. So he's like, um, I'm making it on an old camera that I found. It was on its last legs, but I got it working because I'm a genius. Hopefully you're watching this and I'm right next to you watching your reaction. And Sim's wife is like free. She got the cuffs open and she's moving towards Jules. And now Juliet, she's like engrossed in this because she's seeing, first of all, she's never seen a video. And then she's seeing the, the dude that she was in love with. But so he continues, he's like, but if not, and you're watching without me, well, first off, that means you found all the clues I left behind. Sim's wife grabs a hammer from a toolbox. Like this isn't good. And George's like, but if you're watching it alone, that also means that Judicial found out that I have the hard drive and things haven't gone the way I wanted. Please know that I never meant to put you in any danger. But Jules, there is stuff on this drive that people need to see the truth. And then Sim's wife softly, she's like, stop. And Jules like looks at her and then she realizes she's right there because it didn't like really click in. She was still like, you know, didn't realize it because she's just so focused on this video. She reaches for the gun, but Sim's wife grabs it and she's like, stop. And she's like, the second you connected that drive, they knew you, where you were. You can either run right now or keep watching and die. So that's kind of interesting that one, you know, she sees this video. So is she aware of that? If she's part of Judish, maybe she's seen the monitor screens. She's aware of what a video is. 
and and then you know you're talking about the truth and so she, she doesn't seem too surprised by this and then she, wait she's gonna help her she tells her to run and she could have smashed her in the back of the head i thought i was, I was like okay she's probably not gonna do that she's probably not gonna smash a computer but she's gonna smash a hard drive sims and a bunch of raiders they're on they're running i think they're on the, on the level so they're like headed there mayor is like watching on, on the, the monitors and then the cameras start glitching and dude's like all the alleyway cameras are going dark too so something's happening and, and the, the screens are, are like flickering off. So Raider's about to bust open the apartment door and Sim's like, wait. And then he puts his hand in there. He pushes it like the door wasn't even latched. So he just pushes it open, finds his wife and son like in the bedroom. And he's like, are you all right? So then the mayor's like, how does she keep getting away? So IDs are being checked. This guy nervously waits his turn. The Raider's like, travel restrictions are still in effect. So dude holds up his ID. He's like, well, I'm IT. And the guard's like, how is IT travel essential today? And the dude's like, well, it isn't to me, but it is to my boss. And and then he's smugly, after he lets him go, he's like, thank you. He knocks on the door. It's Patrick, the dude that, uh, the painter dude that kind of that helped uh, Juliet and Billings to, uh, find uh, Regina. Was that her name? When, about the, the hard drive and, and the book and all that. He, he's like, it's, it's better be important. He's like, I just lied my way past a bunch of checkpoints. Inside, he goes in there, and he's surprised because he sees Juliet there. And he's like, uh, Patrick, why is the sheriff here? And he's like, I'm pretty sure she's an ex-sheriff now. And then this dude's like, a better question? Why am I here? And Juliet's like, because you're part of a ring that hacks the silo security network and fences stolen goods from the marketplace. And he's like, you traitorous fudge to, to Patrick. And Patrick is like, hey, I said you were the best. And he's like, why are you helping a cop? And Julia's like, I saved his life. Patrick's like, she likes to think that that's why, but really, I'm doing it for that watch. And then she says to the new guy, she's like, I have a job for you. And he's like, do you have another watch for me? She's like, no. Then he's like, well, then I'm not interested. And Patrick's like, yeah, you are. And she hands him the hard drive. And he's like, oh, poop, George Wilkins. And then Patrick's like, yeah. So he like he just looks at the hard drive and he automatically knew what it was. Billings is still looking at the book. He closes it. It's almost like does he have tears in his eyes? He gets up, doesn't know what to do. Puts it in the oven, but then he pulls it out, tears out a sheet, puts it back in, turns on the oven, and and folds up the the torn out sheet. I and I didn't see like what page he he ripped up. Juliet's so she's like, there's a file I need to finish looking at. And the, the new dude, he's like, why do you need me for that? And she's like, it needs a computer with size op clearance. And I'm betting they wouldn't give one to a criminal. And he's like, not easy, but I can get around it. And then she's like, and they're looking for that drive. So as soon as you plug it in, they'll come running. He's like, uh, that's a little harder, but doable. I can make them think it's coming from somewhere else in the silo. Anywhere you want to send a team of raiders, old boyfriend, boss. Patrick's like, how about that a-hole in 98? And then the dude's like, the one who turned you in on a counterfeit? He's like, done. And he's like, I spent years trying to crack this drive before I sold it to Regina. It was just collect, you know, collecting dust by the time you know, she offered me a trade. Then she gave it to George. And he's, then he's like looking at like the, all the, the stuff on the back of the sheet. He's like, Holston's wife did these? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, data recovery. No wonder she went out to clean. She got, got around to directory problems. Like George couldn't crack it. And he's like, wow, there's like thousands, thousands of files in here. How am I supposed to know where to start? She points to a folder, just let's start here folder. And then the video starts. And Patrick's like, what the actual fudge? Because they don't know what video is either. So it's weird because I, I guess, you know, the computer monitors are so 
like old looking. So um, the, the monitor dude, he's like, got it. It's on 98. And the mayor's like, she was on 17. How the fudge did she get to 98? So the video, uh, George is like the, talking about the truth. He's like, since I'm being honest, you should also know that I transferred to mechanical so that I could find someone to use as a guide down there. And it didn't take long for me to realize that the know-it-all down here is you. My plan was to get all the knowledge that you could provide and then leave you behind. But then the most annoying thing happened. I fell in love with you. Patrick like kind of taps the, the dude on the shoulders, like you know, give her some space, but he's kind of engrossed in the video, but then he like pulls him away. So George is like, I wanted to tell you today at Cooper's shadow party that I found a door I've been looking for. It's huge, maybe 15 feet high. It's metal. I can't get through it. Maybe you can. I'm guessing you're wondering what I did about the water. Well, it turns out it was nothing to worry about, which what does that mean? He's like, the important thing is the door is down there. You just have to find it. So Billings goes into Juliet's office and he closes the door. He sees a copy of the pack and like slides it into the drawer. Then he looks, takes out the folded sheet of paper. But again, we don't see what was on it. So with the video, he's like, I'm recording this video in case I don't make it. But people need to know why Allison Becker went out to clean. Remember what she said when she was asked to go out? And he, he holds up the hard drive. He's like, on here. He's like, look for a file labeled Jane Carmody Cleaning. You'll see why. Sim says to his wife, he's like, I wish I got here sooner. And she's like, it's a good thing you didn't. I let her go, Rob. He's like, you what? Why would you do that? And she's like, just listen. To what? You had her right here and you let her go? She's like, I knew you were coming with a bunch of raiders with their fingers on triggers. He's like, no, I gave them orders not to fire. And she's like, I've been given those orders. I know what can happen. And she takes his hand. She's like, we have one goal, one ambition, and we will not lose sight of that. And then he's, then she's like, looks at him. She's like, what? He's like, Bernard, he, he found out I had an escort bringing you and Anthony home. And now he's wondering if I'm the wrong person to shadow him. And she's like, tell me exactly what he said, Rob. He's like, I can't get into that now. I have to get back. And Anthony runs out to him. Mom's like, I told you to stay in your room. She's like, Ma, or she's like, you know, we have to let daddy go so he can protect us. And Anthony's like, are you going to send that lady out to clean? And he's like, well, I don't know. He's like, I don't want her to ever come back. So you little brat. <laughs> On the video, George is like, I got to go hide this drive and then head back up. He's like, one more thing before I go. I'm so happy that I got to be the lucky bastard in this fudged up place who got to be with you. So in case I wasn't clear enough earlier, I love you, Juliet Nichols. And then she mouths, I love you. So sad. Sims returns to the TV room, the whatever you want to call it. Bernard asks, how's Camille? I think that was her name. And he's like, you know, how's your boy? And Sims like, scared. Both of them. I heard the drive, you know, popped up on 98. And Bernard's like, it's not there. She has someone bouncing the address. He's like, they're good, but I'm better. We will find it and we will get her. It's like, which is, uh, I mean, he probably is better, maybe. I mean, if he's ahead of IT, I hope not. So Juliet finds a Jane Carmody cleaning folder, September 13, silo year 97. She clicks it and there's a voice on the video. It's like, oh my, it's so, and she calls. She's like, guys, you need to, you know, you got to see this. So the video is like, it's so beautiful. Can anyone hear me? Can anyone hear me? The display in the cafeteria, people have to know. They have to see. And then you, you see like the outside and um, Juliet's like, Allison was right. And she like, she whispers, she's like, the display is a lie. So you see the blue skies, the green grass, the trees, a little bit of clouds, birds flying by. 
And that's the end of the episode. And these other two dudes, they see it too. So what does this mean? And uh, I think there's one episode left of this season. So now, obviously, spoiler or whatever, if you don't want to wait, this episode is available. The next episode is available. Uh, I, I, part of me, like, it's like I don't want to watch it because now how long are we going to have to wait till season two? One of those things. But, man, I, I'm, I'm really curious how the season's going to end. And then with uh, The Crowded Room, season one, episode five, Savior. So just a... Uh, a warning, I guess. Uh, there's some some heavy duty stuff going on here, dealing with with uh, Danny's past. So, just just be aware of that where you're listening, who you're listening with, or and, and stuff like that. Um, I'm not. I mean, it, the, the, it doesn't get too graphic, obviously, but it's it's it can be disturbing. Uh, Rias sets up the room. She puts a plan on the table. Then later, so it, it picks up some time because last time she was talking to Jack. It's like, wait, what the heck? Then. After she sets up, Danny's just sit, sitting there. He's like staring. And she's like, it's okay, Danny. You know, this is going to be a process. You know, and she's like, how about we go further back? And he like slowly nods. And she's like, how about we talk about you when you were a little boy? And he's like, what about it? She's like, well, can you tell me about the good times? Can you tell me a happy memory? So then we see Danny and Adam are lying like in a, in a bed, which, so here's the thing at first I'm like, cause I, I said this before, I was like, Oh, watch now Adam wasn't real. Right. But okay. So here they're, they're laying together next to each other. But again, that doesn't necessarily mean anything because we've seen him with is like, is Ariana real is Krychek or Krychek. Um, not Krychek. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What's his, you know who I'm talking about? Um, I can't think of his name. Anyways, Danny's, you know, he's like counting like how many times their their team struck out. But Adam's like, oh, this is our year or whatever. And the mom comes out. She's like, it's bedtime, whatever. So then um, one of the kids brings up London. So I guess just Adam's going, which is weird. And Dad, Dan says that he wishes Adam didn't have to go. Um, Adam says that, you know, he's like, well, I'll be saying the same thing come Christmas. Because then I guess they're going to switch something like that, which is just really weird. Rhea it's like you were twins right and he's like mm-hmm. my mom used to say that we were joined at the hip and then she's like and when was this danny's like we were in grade school it was summer you know the tail end you know like when when school's back and and she's like and that was the first time you two had been apart he's like yeah so we see a flashback kids getting off off to school you know off the bus at school and danny's like voicing her he's like the thing is adam was the one who always had my back so there's like some bake sale or something going on in, in the gym. And Danny's like looking at all the choices. This other kid, Bill, comes up to him. And he's, he's like, oh, he's like, they he's like some cookies. He's like, should we get some? And then um, Bill looks in his pocket. He's like, oh, I forgot my money. And he's like, do you have any on you? And he puts pulls out money. I think it was like a dollar bill. And Bill's <laughs> and Bill is like, wow. Danny's like, I get my allowance today for the whole week. And then he's like, we should get change. And Bill's like, I'll pay you back. And so Danny gives him a dollar, which is stupid. He's like, why didn't he just buy it? And But Danny's like, just use 10 cents, okay? And he's like, don't worry. Like I said, I'll pay you back. So he grabs bags of cookies and he gives one to this other kid. And then he's holding one in each hand. He goes, Danny's like, pick a hand. So Danny picks one. He, like, he takes the cookies. And then Bill knocks it out of his hand onto the ground. And he kind of shoves Danny. He's like, pay back. And the kids laugh at him, 
which ugh, kids are just, just suck. So, you know, he's just staring at him. Then, then Danny gets mad. He starts, like, throwing stuff off the table onto the floor. Ends up in a principal's office. And he's like, we keep trying to reach your mother, but keep getting no answer. And then Danny's like, the machine's broken. She says it's not worth fixing. She works afternoons at the hospital. And his dad's like, well, since your dad, this is why Mr. Jones is here. He's our guidance counselor for elementary school. He's like, this is not a good way to start off. You know, clearly what Mr. Carter did was unacceptable, but neither is throwing a tantrum like that. And then so Jones is like, it's okay. And he kind of leans over. He's like, do you have something you want to say, Danny? And he's just like, can I go home? He's like, of course. Of course you can. You and I can meet once a week. So then the principal like folds like a comment form or you know referral form or something like that. Gives it to Danny. He's like, just give this to your mother. So he gets off the school bus. And he sees a moving van and movers at the ghost house. So at first I was like, is someone moving in? But they're actually moving out. So he looks and he kind of runs home. Mom's home from work. She's in her nurse's uniform. And she's like, oh, how was my boy's first full week in third grade? He's like, oh, fine. And he mentions, he's like, people are moving out of the bed and breakfast. And she's like, yeah, it's closing up. So Danny's like, who's going to live there now? And she's like, I don't know. Ghosts, maybe. And he just like smiles. So she made him a PB&J. And because she has to go back to work or something like that. He's like, do you have to? And she's like, well, you know, we only have my paycheck now to put food on the table. So she goes up to, to get change. And he, he kind of like follows her, which is, is a little, little weird because she's, you know, she's starting to change. But then he like lights, lights a cigarette for her and she's smoking, which is that's the other weird thing is like smoking inside the house. But it's the 70s, I guess. So he asks, he's like, can you not go tonight? You know, he's like, I, I don't like being alone. And she's like, do you miss, I think, did she say that he missed, I think she asked him if he misses Adam. Oh, now I kind of want to go back. It's like, did she say that? Because I don't think she said, do you miss your dad? I think she said, do you miss Adam? But then he says, you know, it's not fair. He's like, you know, send me to dad's. And then she just replies that, uh, you know, that Danny has a list of numbers and to call if he gets scared. And he's like, well, can't you just let me come with you? And she's like, you know, you can't. He's like, just this one time, please. He's like, I'm begging you. And then, you know, she's she goes in the bathroom, whatever. Then she hears, like, the door close. So she goes out in the other room. She goes to her closet, like, whatever. And then he's in there, and he kind of, like, scares her, which, again, is kind of kind of creepy whatever. And, and he's like, please, please. And then she relents. She's like, fine. Then she's like, you know, choose which, which outfit I should wear or whatever. Rhea says that she's like, I spoke with your mom. And he's like, what? We You spoke to my mom? And she nods. And he's like, is she okay? How is she? And Rhea's like, she's okay. Yeah, she's okay. She says that, you know, she wants to come see you. And he's like, really? And he like smiles. So back in the flashback, they're driving in a convertible. And then he looks at the note from the principal. He's like, it's kind of kind of crumpled or whatever. Then he just kind of re- releases it from his hand and it flies out. She kind of noticed. She's like, what was that? And he's like, nothing. Because, you know, they're all smiling and everything like that. So he doesn't want to ruin the mood. She arrives at a bar and the bartender's like, he's like oh, I thought you fell on the a well. Your shift starts. And he's like, uh-uh. Kid can't come in. He can't come in here. It's like state law. He's like, I could get shut down. So she puts Danny at a table with like coloring book, whatever. And, and she's like, I'll, I'll handle this. So she like talks to him or whatever like that. And he's like, you know that you can't do this. You know, we've talked about this. Then Danny goes up to the jukebox and puts let it be on. He's like, oh, what are you doing? She's like, oh, Mario's like, I can't help it if you two have the same favorite songs. So then, then this softens him up. He's like, get him a Coke and a burger. He's like, he's thin as a reed. So he, he relents. Night goes on. And then uh, 
this is this is annoying. Uh, two black couples come in, and everyone like stares at them because you know they're all ignorant and racist, I guess. Candy, you know, takes her order. You know, they ask for a couple pitchers of beer, and then one dude starts talking. To Danny asks him, you know, he's like, "Oh, what's that? It's like a dinosaur coloring book." And he asks him, he's like, "Have you been to the museum, whatever?" And Danny's like, "Yeah, the fourth floor, like that." And the dude's like, "Like, yeah, there's a mural on the wall. It's like yours is better." And then this dude playing pool starts asking him. He's like, "Oh, where you, where you, you folks from?" And one dude's like, he's like, "We're just having a beer." And Candy tells, you know, you see Dan, things are getting tense. So Candy tells Danny, he's like, "Why don't you come over here?" And dude's like, "Yeah, you, you better best listen to your mama." Then the white dude's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" It's like no one said you could talk to him. And then the 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 black guy's like, "No one said I had to ask permission." And then the white dude headbutts him and then punches him. And then, then he, like, calls him the N-word and stuff like that. It's just, like, oh, it's just so disgusting. So Danny just, like, covers it. He got, like, from the, the either the headbutt or, you know, he got, like, blood splattered on his face. And he's just, like, covering up his ears. Candy comes and, like, shields him. And then in the present, Danny's like, sometimes I think the blood that night marked me. And Rhea's like, what do you mean? And Danny's like, well, from ancient Judaism to Shakespeare, blood, especially blood spilled in violence, has magical powers. It can ward off evil. Or it can even summon it. So then there's like some more memory flashes. You see like car keys, you know, in, in ignition. Someone gets out of a car, like a shot from under underneath the car. You see like you know, feet, it's like a countryside or something like that because there's like grass on the side. There's like this big like farmhouse or something like that. And then there's like barn door closes with like Danny, I think it was, like standing outside. Maria's like, is that what you think? Uh, that what happened to you is your fault? And Danny's like, well, everything that came afterward couldn't possibly just be a coincidence, could it? So Danny's watching TV. He's he's watching uh, Star Trek. His mom comes in. He kind of like ducks down on the couch. And she's like, why aren't you asleep? He's like, I can't stop thinking about the fight. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. And she's like, do you want to sleep in my bed? But just tonight, okay? So in the present, Danny said, dad leaving them left them vulnerable. He's like, my mom was perpetually disappointed, always thinking she wanted someone to fix things or help make life turn out the way she'd expected. You know, we needed a, a, a savior which is uh, the name of, of the episode. So then in, in the past, we see Marlon, he go, he arrives at work. He, like, at first he's like, is this a prison? So it, t- it turns out he's a senior counselor at a, at a juvie, a juvenile detention place. Th- this kid come, gets brought in, a little, little kid, and he tells him, he's like, you can trust me. And then he's like, you want some coffee? And he's kind of surprised. He's like, seriously? He's like, yeah. So you know, he tells him he can trust him. He's like, I know you think that's BS, He's like, but you know, anything that you didn't turn in or surrender, you can give to me right now, no consequences. Because he's like, if they, he like points out there, if they f- find anything on you after you leave this room, can't make any promises. And the kid's like, nah, man. He's like, I ain't got nothing. So Marlon like looks over his, his in his file. He's like, breaking and entering. And the kid's like, my grandma locked me out of the house. He's like, I was supposed to be staying with her. He's like, now, you know, how are you going to arrest me for breaking in my own house? And he's like, that's a good point. Looks some more at his file. He's like, wow, your birthday was yesterday? You made Juvie by a day. And then he's like, tells him that, you know, he can try talking all tough and hard, but he's small and he looks young. He's like out there, like in, in the center. He's like, being too small gets tested hard. He's like, you're going to need a friend. He's like, I can be that friend. I can watch out for you. And the kid's like, nah, man, I'm good. Then Marlon's like, whatever you say, kid. He's like, look, follow the rules. Don't get pulled into poop. You can avoid and, you know, you and me will make sure that you do your six months and get you out of here. He's like, hopefully in one piece. So it kind of looks like they're done. 
calls the guard. The kid is like starts walking out and he kind of looks back at Marlon. And then Marlon tells the guard, he's like, oh, you know what? I, there's one more thing I need to ask him. He's like, what's up? And then the kid reaches his mouth, pulls out like a razor blade from like inside of his mouth, like in, in, inside, like next to his teeth. And he's like, a guy from my block taught me that. Then he like kind of hands it to him. And he's like, and that thing you said about watching out, he's like, not that I need or anything. And Martin's like, no, no, yeah, yeah. So he takes the blade, he, he sticks it in his file, and then he like calls the guard. After work, drives into town, d- decides to go into the bar. He goes up to Candy, and he says, he's like, I passed this place a hundred times and never came in. And she's like, you know, why today? So he's like, I decided to take you up on your sign or something like that. So he asks for a beer, and he's then he's like, uh, would, would you join me? And she just kind of, she pours his beer, his draft, and she you know, gives it to him. She just kind of stands back, and he like looks, and he's like, uh, um, am I drinking alone? She just like looks at him, and then she grabs a glass, and she pours another. So Rhea's like, you don't really know that any of that happened, though. Not really. And Danny's like, no, not exactly. But there's a difference. And she's like, how so? And Danny's like, well, there are things that you know because you've lived them, things you know because you've read them, but there are some things you know because you've been told a story a thousand times. You know them as well as if you lived them yourself. She's like, your mother told you? And Danny's like, they both did. All the time when we were growing up, they told Adam and me. She's like, so what happened then? Danny's like, they talked and talked all night until my mom's shift was over. You know, whatever they said exactly, I don't know. But it's what people say when they fall in love. So we see them like talking and drinking and holding hands at the bar. And then she comes home. She's smiling, maybe a little tipsy. So Danny's like, I guess my mom hoped Marlon could save us, that he could be someone who could keep the monsters out. And like the present, he's like, I guess she thought that Marlon was a guy for the job. I guess we both did. Raya's like, but? And Danny's like, but the truth is, is that we didn't stand a chance. The monsters were already there. So in the past, we see mom, Danny, and Marlon are eating uh, like a some little burger place. They're, you know, then they're holding hands and Danny sits on his lap while they're driving. And he's like staring. Then he wakes up one night and he like hears some noises. So he goes out in the hall. Mom and Marlin are going at it. And uh, so when Danny sees him, he kind of like ducks back in the hall because like Marlin kind of turned. He like hears like him hit the wall. But then Danny must go back to bed and he's like sleeping. Then uh, breakfast time. Mom's making bacon. Marlon's reading the paper just like when the show started when we first saw Danny. So he's like, you make breakfast every day? And Danny comes out and Marlon's like, hey, you want to come sit down? He's like, no, I don't want to be late. Adam's back today. So Marlon tells him, okay, kid. He's like, have a good day. And mom calls out. He's like, don't forget your lunchbox. So he has to like run to catch the school bus. And then as he's getting on, you hear, Danny, hold up. Hold the door. Danny just like walks to get a seat like towards the back of the bus and Adam gets on the bus. It's like, wait, where did he come from? Did, did he just get dropped off? Did, what? So they, they sit next to each other and he's like, hey, Danny's like, how was dad's? And Adam's like, it was okay. And Danny's like, mom had a guy over. And then Adam's like, dad asked about you a bunch of times. He really misses you. He's going to London again. He said that when he gets back, he's going to ask mom if he can come over. And Danny's like, she's only going to say no. And Adam's like, yeah, but you know, dad, he'll keep asking. He's like, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't just come over and kidnap you. And Danny's like, I wish. And this other kid, like on the other side and like a row back, he like leans over. He's like, Danny, heard you got beat up by a girl. Adam turns. He's like, heard you choked on your own cock. 
And the kid's like kind of like shocked. And he like sits back and he kind of looks at the other kid sitting next to him. Then Adam winks at Danny and Danny like winks back. So it's just like, <laughs> I mean, is that, <laughs> that's like a weird insult. And the present, Danny's like, I really miss him. You know, like I said, he always had my back. So then we see Danny giving a presentation like in, in front of the class. And he's, he's like, my dad travels a lot, which is uh, why we don't really you know, get to see him. He, he's, his company is opening a, an office in London, and he's, he's going to have an apartment there now. Uh, you know, that's why he got me this. And he holds up this, the tourist guide to London, which is the, what he took when he went there, where he got his number or whatever. He, and so Danny's like, so when my, my dad's work gets settled at his travel agency, we're, we're going to uh, go visit all the places in his book. And the kids in class, they're, they're like so bored, not really paying attention. And Danny's like, like it, it says on, on the, the cover, from A to Z. So then the, the counselor's there. At first, I'm like, why is the counselor the teacher? So he kind of like motions Danny to sit. But then you see on the board, it's like substitute Mr. Jones. And it's like show and tell. So he thinks Danny, he's like, that was very good. And then the girl in front of him turns around. She's like, knowing she's like, teacher's pet. And the class like laughs. Jones like, that's enough. Then it cuts to, I don't know if it's time goes by, but then the bell rings. So the kids are leaving. Then he calls out to Danny. He's like, can you hold, hold back a minute? So then he closes the door, which you don't do. You don't ever do. You never have the door closed. He pulls up a chair like on the side of the desk. They're sitting like facing each other. So Danny's in a chair and then Mr. Jones like in a rolling chair. And he gets up real close to him. So Danny's legs are kind of like between his and, and Jones is like, you're a sweet kid, Dan Danny. And his hands are like on Danny's thighs. He's like, sensitive. I can tell that. Would you say that's true? And he's like, uh, I guess. I, I don't know. And Jones is like, I think you are. I think you feel things deeply, very deeply. Your dad's not around, huh, Dan? And and your mom works a lot. It's like two jobs. Seems to me like you need a friend, someone to talk to, someone that thinks you're special. And then he like whispers, he's like, I see you, Dan. I think you're special, which is just is so just disgusting. He's like, you don't have to feel so alone. He's like, I don't want to hurt you, son. I want to help you. And then he kind of moves his hand, to like touch like Danny's hair, like tuck it behind his ear or something like that. He's like, if something's bothering you, 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 you know, and then the door opens and Marlon's there and Jones like slides his chair back and he like gets up and he, and Marlon's like kind of look at him. He's like, what's going on here exactly? Jones is like, oh, just talking. And Marlon's like, boy's mom asked me to pick him up. He's like, let's go, Dan. And he just kind of looks and, and they walk out. So in the present, Danny's like, he seemed just, you know, like what the doctor ordered. You know, it's funny, right? And she's like, not really, no. And Danny's like, no, I guess not. So in the past, Adam's waiting in Marlon's car, like in the corner in the back, because it's like a Jeep, but like the, so the top's up now. And, you know, you can see uh, Marlon and, and Danny walking towards it. Danny gets in, Marlon walks around, and Adam's like, I got worried when you didn't come out. But Danny doesn't, like, say anything back to him. So they're driving, and then Marlon looks at Danny. He's like, you okay? He's, he's like, what were you doing back there? And he's like, nothing. And Marlon's like, did he touch you? And Danny just, like, shakes his head. He's like, you can tell me. And Danny just, like, shakes his head again. So then Marlon's like, so I'm thinking of proposing your mom. And Adam's like, Really? From, from the back and Marlon's like I think she'd like that don't you don't you think and he's like truth is she's having trouble making ends meet she's you know having trouble with both jobs you know real truth is I'm not even sure how she could keep you you know 
which is weird that he's only talking to Dan. And Adam's like looking at, at Danny, and then Danny kind of like looks back at him. So Marlon's like, I'd be willing to help her out, but we got to make a pact, you know, like a secret. Think we can do that? And Danny's like, sure. He, and he's like, yeah. Then they pull over to like some rest stop or something like that. And then we see the shot of like the hands reaching for the car keys that, you know, we saw in the flashback, whatever. And the president, Danny's like, can I stop now? And she's like, it's, it's really important that you try to continue and we can stop at any time, but it's important that you try. So in the past, Marlon's like, we're going to do something and, and you're going to like it. And it's going to be our secret. He's like, come on. He gets out of the Jeep. And then we see the shot from under the car, like his feet getting out. And Danny looks back at Adam and Adam's like, don't. Danny gets out anyways. Marlon calls him over, like around this big tree or whatever. He's like, I just want to show you something. Come on. And he puts his hand on, on Danny's shoulder, like slowly. He's like, you don't want to upset your mom, do you? He's like, I, I want you to look at me. Be a good boy. And that's what he was like saying before, like that Danny wouldn't look at him. He's like, come on. I want to, I just want to show you something. So Adams, then we see like, I, I don't know if it's, someone's catching lightning bugs. It's, it's hard to tell who it was. Like, because the kids almost look, they look very alike. But not quite. So then uh, Marlon grabs Danny's hand with a little more force. And Adam runs up. He's like, I want to see what's in the barn. Take me instead. He's like, I won't tell mom. And Marlon kind of like slaps his hand. He's like, none of that BS. Which is like, what, what does that mean? Because at first, because it's, it's kind of like a pullback shot. I was like, did he hit, hit him? But was, I'm pretty sure he just like hit his, his own hand. And then we see like the scene of catching lightning bugs again. Then Adam um, has his hand on Danny's shoulder. And he's like, it's okay, Dan. And then Marlon puts his hand on top of Adam's. Then he takes Adam inside. And then Danny like walks the door. And we see the shot of the barn door like with Danny sitting out there. So Adam ends up going in the barn. So obviously, you know what happened. And, and the, <laughs> the sucky thing is, so it's like, was Marlon always this disgusting piece of crap? Did he, did he, he sees like the, so poor, poor Danny, he gets rescued by Marlon because the, the scuzzy counselor is trying to make the moves on him so marlin saves that stops that but then he he goes and and does it instead so so gross so in the present Rhea's is like how long after did he marry your mom and danny's like it was a few months that winter and she's like and he kept it up and danny's like why stop and she's like and your mom danny's like she never knew Rhea's like and it was always adam and danny's like every time he he was my savior Saria nods and she's like so what happened to him how did he die and we see that shot with the building with like full of water which i don't know what what this i can't make sense of this scene so danny's like what does any of this have to do with ariana he's like i thought you know we were here to talk about ariana in the rockefeller center and then we see that it's it's actually danny catching the firefly while you know it's getting dark marlin and adam are in the barn and that's where the episode ends. Oh, so, so disturbing. So obviously, I'm pretty sure it's it's not totally clear. I mean, Adam's not real. Adam didn't really go in there. When Danny had to go in there, he went into the Adam persona. So he was acting like, you know, he wasn't there. He didn't, he could just, you know, put a blinder on it. But what's weird is... Uh, because his mom, so his, you know, his mom must have known that he had an imaginary brother or something. Because she's like, you miss Adam. 
And it was weird because, you know, he did say that Adam was coming home today. So it's it's just, it's unfortunate, you know, it's that he had to create like a coping mechanism to deal with the, uh, the, all this crap in his life. Oh, boy. So <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, a little, little, little down, but um, that was uh, episode five. Right then, Superman and Lois, season three, episode 13, What Kills You only makes you stronger. So this is the season finale. <laughs> and I'll be honest, when it ended, I'm like, wait, is there one more episode? Is this this it? Oh, we'll talk about that. It starts off, uh, Lois narrates, it's been 32 days since Lex has been released after serving 17 years for a crime he didn't commit. It's, 32, it's been a month since the last episode, I guess. I was like, okay. Uh, so she's like, big question is, what now? So we see her, like, her and Clark at, with Chrissy at the Gazette. Uh, then we see like the halls of Smallville High, so I th- guess it's like the last day of school, maybe because like kids are making a mess. And then <laughs> stupid Jordan sees a picture of him and Sarah in his locker. He grabs it and like crumples it. So Lois narrates, you know, after that kind of setback, who do you become? So Jonathan is practicing, you know, rolling up a fire hose, whatever. And Lois is like, is it possible to pick up where you left off? Is it possible to reinvent yourself, or is it more likely you just stay who you were before? Sam meets his dating app. Um, date for at, at a bar Lana runs into John Henry at the store and they both smile as she walks away and then Lois like only time will tell but one thing's for sure all the world including me is wondering what will Lex Luthor do next and then I think Lois gets like another scan or whatever you know just a follow-up thing so Sam's at the farm he tells Lois and Clark no one's seen or heard from Lex since he showed up there Lois like well he can't just vanish and Clark says that you know wherever he is he has been able to find them Sam says, well, maybe that's good news. And Lois is like, Dad, he threatened me. He told me to retire from journalism or he'd come back. And I I published a lot of articles since then. And he's like, well, Luther knows you'd have to go through me and Superman to hurt you. And that's not going to happen. Then the boys come in. Jonathan grabs an apple and and, and uh, Sam's like, how's it good feel to be halfway through high school? And they're like, good, fine. And Sam is like, it goes by fast. And stupid George's like, not fast enough. And Lois mentions a meteor shower thing in town. You know, she's she's said it's good of them to like volunteer to help coach Gaines. Then uh, Jordan says something like, "Well, Jonathan did destroy his football program." And so she asks Jordan if he has plans for the summer yet, and he's like, "No, not really." And Clark's like, "Well, you're not moping around here all summer." And he's like, "Well, I'm not helping you save people either, right?" And he's like, "Nope." <laughs> he's like, "I didn't tell you to pose for those photos. I told you to go home. This is on you." And they both walk out. Sam asks, you know, how long does he plan on keeping Jordan from using his powers? And Clark's like, that's completely up to him. And Sam's like, I get it. But as a parent who's made a lot of mistakes, he's like, don't let that anger fester inside him for too long. Kyle brings Chrissy's, uh, like, some breakfast in bed. It's like a, a spinach omelet or something like that. You know, she's like, oh, I just want to stay here all day or something like that. Because then when he describes the omelet and everything like that, she darts up, runs to the bathroom and throws up. And he just, like, puts the omelet down and, like, he gets up. And she comes out. He's like, are you? And she's like, pregnant? I think so. Then he's like, did you take a test? And she's like, last night. He's like, okay. Um. And he's like, sit down. She's like, I wasn't sure how to tell you. You know, we're not married. We don't even live together. He's like, I, I can only imagine what you're thinking right now. He's like, I, I'm thinking that I love you. And this is the best thing that happened to us since the first time we kissed. She makes a joke about kissing him now, you know, because she just threw up or whatever like that. Then he's like, oh, crap. He's like, we're having a kid. And she's like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. You? She's like, yeah, I'm just wondering, how do you want to tell Lana? 
John Henry goes to visit Lana, speaking of Lana. And, you know, she's like, oh, this is a nice surprise. He, he's like, well, I, I got a new alert on your security system. So I just want to make sure everything was all right. She's like, oh, that's weird. She's like, I didn't get one. He's like, oh, it's probably nothing. So he's running like a diagnostic test, whatever. She's like, I haven't seen you around town for a bit. And he says that he, uh, he's had some things to take care of at, at, at Argus after the, the Mannheim situation. And she's like, I never thanked you for all you did during all that. He's like, oh, it's the least I could do. She's like, it was way more than that. It's like, not only did you protect us, he also made me a great meal. He's like, uh, we should do that again sometime. And she's like, are you asking me to dinner? He's like, uh, or drinks. He's like, you know, there's no pressure. She's like, uh, yeah. And she's like, no, drinks sound great. So he gets a clear signal alert on the tablet. He's like, oh, looks like it was nothing. And she looks at her. She's like, uh-huh. Clark tells Lois that he found some old files that can look over at the Gazette, see if they can dig up anything on, on Luther Corps. She's in the other room, and she's like, Clark, I think I'm ready. And he's like, uh, ready for? She's like, for us. And he's like, okay, are you sure? She's like, I don't want to be afraid to be intimate. I don't know how it's going to go, but I want to at least try. And he's like, right now? She's like, right now. And he's like, right here? And she's like, not here. And he's like, where? Then they're in a hotel or someplace, like far off place. Uh, like I don't, I don't even know where it was. Maybe it was Italy. She comes out of the bathroom like the silky robe. She's like, I'm nervous. And he's like, you don't have to be. So she like takes off her robe and she brings his hand up to like her chest or whatever. And then they start smooching. His shirt comes off. Do, do, do. Cut the commercial. The boys come out of the house. You know, they're it's like, they're going to be late. Lois and Clark outside by the truck. And they're like, we need to talk first. And the boys are like, oh, crap. You know, this can't be good. And they're like, no, it's not good. It's great. We're taking a family trip to Italy. And they're like, are you serious? Lois is like, like your Uncle Tal has a villa there that no one's using. They're like, how do you know about it? Then they kind of mix up their stories because Clark's like, the lawyers told us. And Lois is like, the DOD. And then Clark's like, the lawyers at the DOD. <laughs> so Clark's like, it's been a tough year with, with mom's cancer and Bruno and Luther. And Lois says that, you know, Clark thought it'd be a good idea just to get away, you know, just them as a family. You know, take a break and some time reconnecting. Jordan's like, it sounds like you're trying to bribe us into hanging out. And Jonathan's like, yeah, that is working. So Lois says they can talk more about it. Dinner tonight, six o'clock at the diner. They head out. And Lois says to Clark, she's like, I'm excited. He's like, me too. And smooch. Lana walks in her house and she finds Kyle sitting at the table with Sarah and Sophie, <laughs> who's like hardly ever on the show. She's like, look, she's like, well, you know, what are you doing here? And Sarah's like, dad's been acting really weird. Won't say anything about it. Then Lana whispers, she's like, you're not sick, are you? He's like, no, no, no. There's like nothing like that. It's, um, Chrissy's pregnant. Lana's eyes go wide. Sarah has a big smile on her face. And he's like, there's going to be a baby. So Lana's like speechless. She's like, uh, wow. And Kyle's like, I know. It kind of surprised me too. Sophie's like, finally, I'm not the baby anymore. And Sarah's like, Sophie, shh. Because she wants to listen to like what they're saying. So he gets closer to Lana. He's like, look, Lana. Um, he's like, I know you always wanted another. And I just want you to know that this was not planned at all. And she's like, I'm happy for you. He's like, yeah. And she's like, yeah, of course. And she, she gives him a hug. And she's like, listen, you were a great dad. And that baby is so lucky to have you. He's like, thanks, Lana. That means a lot. And she's like, all I ask is that you let me spoil that baby rotten. And he's like, I wouldn't have it any other way. And she like wipes some tears away. So it was a touching moment. You know, it would be weird, you know, but that, that's good because they, they've moved on. Nat is uh, helping John Henry pick out clothing and she's, he has holds up a shirt. She's like, I'm not sure about that. She's like, it's a little too 1991 Wesley Snipes. He's like, what? That's a bad thing? He's like, please. There's a knock at the door. So he's like, come in. 
it's Sam. He's like, oh, good, you're both here. And he sees a shirt <laughs> in his hand. He's like, is Lana doing another clothing drive? He's like, there's been a development at the DOD with some of the gadgets you've been making. And he's like, what developments? And he's like, we want more, a lot more, and we'll foot the bill. He's like, there's one caveat. We'll want you to set up shop in Metropolis. You know, Brass is going to want you, you know, close to headquarters. So Nat says, she's like, does this mean I, I'll, I'd go to the DOD Academy? And John Henry's like, like, where Mateo just enrolled? He's like, we are not making a decision based on your feelings for him. She's like, yeah, I know, Dad. She's like, this is huge. You can finally open up Steelworks. And Sam says that, he's like, I'm going to leave you to think this over. He's like, the clock's ticking. He's like, I'll need an answer by the end of the week. But it's weird. How could he open up his own business if he's doing business, you know, making stuff for the DOD? I don't know. Or maybe because I'll pay him more, so he'll have more money, so he can set up his business. But it's like, how can he run both? I don't know. Um, In town, people are setting up like telescopes. And so just like there's this meteor shower viewing parade celebration. You know, there's like a marching band playing. Coach is like barking out orders to everyone. Jonathan's rushing around, like put out folding chairs and everything. Because he's like, I'm going to make it up to you for, you know, losing your team and everything. And he's like, you mean the team, you know, first team to go to state in 10 years and blah, 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 stuff like that? He's like, you know, that's never going to happen, right? Because he's never going to let him, you know, he's never going to forget it. Lois and Clark walk into the Gazette. Kirstie's there and she gets up, she knocks over some pens or they look at her. And Lois is like, why do I feel like you're about to tell us something? And she's like, okay, here goes. She's like, I'm having a child. They're like, what? Lois's jaw drops. And, and she's like, a baby. I'm, I'm having a baby, whatever. And so Lois gives her a big hug. She's like, congratulations. And Kirstie's like, you know, she's like, you're the first people you know, I told, you know, other than Kyle, the baby daddy. And, you know, Clark, unfortunately, he hears something. He's like distracted listening. And Lois like, this is so exciting. He's like, we're gonna have a baby in the office. You know, she turns and she sees Clark and, he, and kind of gets serious. And Chris is like, oh, don't worry. He's like, it won't be here all the time. He's like, no. He's like, I'm so happy for you. He like hugs her. And then he's like, I'm sorry. It's like Judge Regan's been murdered. So then they're at the crime scene in Metropolis. Like, it's like, oh, it's almost like under an overpass or something like that. He's like, I know Mannheim's been blackmailing her for years, but do you think he had anything to do with this? Lois is like, this wasn't Mannheim. She like, you know, walks up the stairs to the street level and the Daily Planet's like right there. She's like, it was Luther. He's sending me a message. And she's like, you know, Luther's going after everyone that he blames for putting him in prison. Judge Regan is just the first. He's not going to let this go. Something's going to happen. And Clark's like, not to you. You know, your dad and I won't allow it. And she's like, we have to have my dad call strikers. When Luther showed up at the farm, he made that comment about Warden Ellis being a friend. And he's like, we'll make sure he doesn't get to Mannheim. We just have to get back to dinner with the boys. So in Smallville, Jordan, Jonathan, and Nat are, are sitting far back in some chairs. And Jordan's like, why are we you know, so far back? And Jonathan's like, oh, it's just Coach Gaines messing with me. Then Sam comes up and he's like, oh, I want you to meet Gretchen. And you know they're like holding hands. He's like, these are my grandsons, Jordan and Jonathan, and my granddaughter, Natalie. Which was very sweet that you because know, he considers her his granddaughter because she kind of is. And they're like kind of speechless, and they're like, "Hey, you know, nice to meet you," and everything. Sam says, "You know, Jordan's the one who showed me the Senior Swipe app, and you know, put, you know, so I put myself back out there." And she's like, "Oh, so it's you? I have to thank." And Jordan's like, "Uh, more like the algorithm," <laughs> which I thought was hilarious because it's all about algorithms, the pesky algorithms. I shake my fist at you. So Nat is like, um, how long have you been? And Sam's like, oh, I don't like the kiss and tell, but we've gone on a few dates, and she kind of like hits him on the shoulder. He's like, oh, I'm going to show her around. He's like, you know, save us a couple seats. And to Nat's like, now I want to talk to you more about Metropolis. So then they just kind of take in like what they just saw. Then Jonathan turns to Nat. He's like, wait, what does he mean about Metropolis? 
Lana and John Henry are having drinks, like this bar, diner, whatever, bar, pub. She tells him about, you know, not knowing how to react about the baby news. He's like, oh, that must have been tough on you. And she's like, yeah, you know, it's soon, you know, but she's like, I truly am happy for them. She's like, I honestly think that me and Kyle are, are better as friends than we were as a couple. And, you know, sometimes she thinks that they were together because of the history they shared. And that was the hardest part of signing the divorce papers, you know, saying goodbye to that history. And he kind of sighs. He's like, yeah, I know what that's like. You know, he didn't get a divorce, but I guess he's talking about the death of his, of his Lewis. She raised her drink. To, here's to a new history. And he's like, speaking on that, Sam offered me an opportunity to do stuff on a larger scale at DOD and even start my own company. But it mean relocating to Metropolis. And she's like, soon? He's like, I'm sorry, Lana. If I'd known about this yesterday, I just wanted to be upfront about it. She's like, you don't have to apologize. And for the record, I'm glad you asked me out. He's like, so am I. At the diner, Jonathan says to his parents, like, did you hear Nat and John Henry might move to Metropolis? And they're like, what? And, and, and Grandpa has a girlfriend. Clark and Lois's eyes get big. Lois is like, what? And with a, she has a big grin on her face. And Jonathan's like, yeah, it's because of that app Jordan showed him. Lois is like, you are the only person in the world could get him dating again. Nice work, Jordan. And he's like, yeah, I'm a hero. And Clark's like, we were thinking, if we pack light, Jordan and I could get us there. And Jordan's like, but I thought you said I couldn't use my... And Clark's like, talents. He's like, your talents, because they're around other people. I, I thought you said I couldn't use my talents. And Lois is like, no, we said not until we said it was okay. Wait, so I can use them to take some trip, but not to save people's lives? That makes no sense. And Clark's like, neither does using them just so you can get attention. And Jonathan's like, oh, it's like, dad one, Jordan zero. And Lois like, Jonathan, he's like, sorry. And Clark's like, Jordan, it's not about whether or not you use your talents. It's about why you're using them. People knowing who you are, getting your picture taken, all that's not going to fix what you think it will. Now, if wanting to help people make a difference in the world, if that's your true north, you'll never need the other stuff. Sarah comes up asking if, if she can get them anything else because the other waitress had to take care of some stuff. With her. And Lois and Clark are like, oh, no. And Jonathan's like, oh, I'm stuffed. And then she's like, Jordan? And then, he, you know, because he's ignoring her. He's like, don't bother. And she's like, okay, I'll ring you up whenever you're ready. And Lois like glares at baby Jordan. Sam takes Gretchen by the Gazette. He's he's like, oh, yeah, she works there, but, you know, she's a real journalist, not like some blogger. And Gretchen's like, oh, you're really proud of her. And he's like, yeah, I am. And he's like, I should tell her that more often. Then his phone buzzes. He's like, oh, it's, it's my granddaughter. You know, we, we should probably go or we're going to lose our seats. Then she grabs his phone out of his hand. She's like, or we could do something else. So they kind of go in this alley. And then she, like, sets his phone down, like, on a, like a... a wooden pallet like leaning up against a brick wall she kisses him and it's like that and he's like oh we should get going and she's like we have plenty of time so they're like smooching and then the van pulls up and this guy gets out sam looks at this guy pretty sure it's that otis guy he has a missing ear from from bizarro and sam's like can i help you with something and then gretchen tases him from behind which you kind of saw this coming i didn't see it right away but after a while i'm like hmm this is like too good to be true sorry sam so she like tases him and then they uh, load him up in the, in the van. And she's like, let's get him to Luther. You load him up and let's get him to Luther. At the diner, Clark um, says, you know, for the trip, he was thinking, we all got matching t-shirts made. And he's like looking at him like, and they're like, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and Jonathan's like, dad, please don't go full Griswold. And he's like, what? Slow says, how about instead of matching shirts, we just take a lot of photos together. Jonathan hears 
uh, the coach on the mic and he's like, oh, I'm probably gonna have to help him with the PA system. So he gets up. Lo's like, I'll go with. And she's like, Jordan, stay here with your dad. And then he's like, wait, what is this about? And Clark's like, we need to talk about Sarah. So Jordan starts to get up and he's like, Jordan? Jordan is such a baby. It's like, okay, your dad wants to talk to you. You don't just get up and leave because you're too much of a baby. And, oh, I don't want to talk about it. So Clark's like, I know what it's like to have your heart broken, but it's not an excuse to be mean to someone. It's not like that at all. And he's like, really? Because it sure feels that way. He's like, look, sometimes when people are hurt, they take a small thing and they turn into a big thing. And in my experience, when you do that, the person you end up hurting most is yourself. And then Jordan's like, oh, I guess I just wanted her to be as sad as I was. But I felt terrible all the time when I'm around her. And Clark's like, it's been months. Does it really still feel that way? Uh, maybe not as much. And he's like, good. He picks up the bill and some cash. He's like, I want you to go make things right. And he gives it to Jordan to go pay. So they get up. Clark goes out. Jordan puts the money down and then the bill on the counter. Oh, I don't need any change. So she takes the money and tip without really looking at him. Then he's like, uh, you have every right to hate me. So I was making up things to be mad at you about when the real reason was that we're not together. And she kind of looks at him surprised and he's like, I'm sorry. And she's like, look, Jordan, she's like, thank you. I appreciate your apology, but I think it's pretty obvious you and I shouldn't be friends right now. Yeah, I think I just really need to figure out my life right now. Maybe do something like what you're doing here. And she's like, you're going to become a waitress? And he kind of snickers. And she's like, well, I hope that things do get better. He's like, thanks. Then he extends his hand and she kind of scoffs, whatever, but she shakes it. Oh, I'll, I'll see you around. At the bar, Lana's like, I always wondered what it'd be like to live in Metropolis. It seems so sophisticated. And he's like, it's like everything else. You know, the reality is never quite what you imagined. And she's like, was there really something wrong with my security system yesterday? He's like, what? You think I made it up just to ask you out? She's like, well, I don't hear you denying it. So John Henry's like, okay, maybe I did need the excuse to work up the courage. You know, it's been a long time. And then she like puts his hand on top, sort of like holding hands on the table. And he's like surprised. Then he looks at her. He's like, are you sure? Because I'm moving to Metropolis. She's like, guess I'm going to have to make sure you wish you weren't. So what if they do this? Like, what if they're going to move to Metropolis too? Like, what if Lana gets the opportunity to become a council member, governor, or something in Metropolis? So that's going to explain why John Henry and Nat aren't in Smallville next season and why Lana and all them aren't there. But as far as Chrissy and Kyle, who knows? Maybe they're moving somewhere. I, I don't know. So they go to John Henry's place. They start smooching, slam against the wall, dun, 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 shirt off. And, you know, it's hanky-panky time. Nat's, like, looking around. She sees Lois and Clark. She's like, have you seen Grandpa? Lois is like, no, but I heard he has a hot date. Nat's like, yeah, but he was supposed to meet me 20 minutes ago. And he stopped answering his texts. So Lois calls him. And then Clark, like, hears the phone ring. And he's, like, uses an x-ray vision. He's like, I see it in the alley behind the, the diner. So, you know, And then Lois is like, you know, he'd never just leave it. And she's like, this is Luther. And he's like, I'll see if I can find him. So a, a goon is bringing a cow on a chain in the tunnels. And he's like, do you think this will be enough, boss? And Lex is like, unless you want to be dinner too, that's all it gets. So the, the dude takes it on a train. And then the, the train car, it, he starts running because the whole things are shaking. There's blood splattered on the windows and stuff like that. Gretchen and the goon come in. And he asks if, if Lane is taken care of. And she's like, won't be an issue. And he's like, Superman's the only one left to protect Lois. And then to the goon, he's like, you get what I asked for? 
and he hands him like i think it's like a superman call device or something like that maybe i don't know maybe it was lex or maybe it was sam's then he's like it's time to go kill the man of steel which so this lex luther this whole thing is is so stupid it's so petty and okay he's been locked up for 17 years he's locked up for a murder that he didn't commit how many murders has he actually taken part of so he's upset because he's busted for something that he didn't actually do, even though he probably did worse, like dozens and dozens of times over. And then he's mad at everyone when the person that he should be mad at is Bruno and Pea. You know, Pea is the one that set him up by doing the, the fake thing. Bruno obviously was, was behind it all. But he's, blamed, he's mad at Lois because he told her he was innocent. And she even was like... That's not what the facts said. But I told you. It's like, it doesn't matter what you said. If, if she asked, did you like cause anyone else any harm? Is he going to tell her? Yeah, I did. And so he's he's mad at everyone because Bruno, it's basically because of Bruno. And because he's just a you know, piece of crap. The, it's just, it's so stupid and annoying. And I, I just don't like this Lex Luthor. I, I don't like how things are just so convenient. Like that he stumbles across Bizarro, as I'm going to call him. And that he's that they're not dead. That they didn't get chopped on thirty days, thirty-two days ago, whatever. Actually, thirty-three. It cuts to thirty-three days ago. So back when they first entered the tunnels, and they see Bizarro, um, Lex, you know, watches as it rips off Lotus Otis's ear and like kind of tosses it, and then he picks up like some tech rifle. I don't know where the rifle came from, but it, he shoots Bizarro with like this blast of yellow energy, and he keeps shooting it like like five times, and he's like he's dead. He's out. Then Lex tells Otis, he's like, oh, just keep pressure on it. Because he's like, it tore off my ears. Just keep pressure on it. Then he notices that that thing is still moving. He's he's like, I thought you killed that thing. And he's like, I did. He raises his rifle, shoots again, waits. He's like, come on, you can do it. Then he sees a hand twitching. He's like, you're growing. Welcome back, friend. Pew! And he starts laughing. So they hoist him up on like chains. You know, His arms are spread. He's hanging in the air. Gretchen's there, so she's been with Lex all this time. And then he's like, I told you, every time you die, just makes you stronger. How, how, how would you know? How can you tell? It's like, there's no lab or anything to analyze this. He's like, this is a gift, a wonderful gift. If you let me help you, can I kill you again and again? Let me kill you so nothing in this world can stop you ever. Nothing. Do you want that? Do you? And he, then he's, he's like up to him. He has his, like his face in his hands. And then it cuts to, you see this cassette collection because Lex is supposed to be cool. He has like Dead Kennedys, Black Sabbath, KMFD, NWA, Suicidal Tendencies, Ministry, Tool, Slayer, all also like that. So he puts on Ministries, uh, NWO, and he's, he's <laughs> he fondles like his bald head for some reason. He looks at this table of tools. He's got like hammers and axes and saws and blades and everything. He shoots him with some tech shotgun, comes back, has a hot axe. He's drowning him. He uses a chainsaw, grenade, flamethrower. He's like, stay with me. We need more, more, more. All four of them shoot him at one point. More drowning, more flamethrower. Shoots him with a bazooka. And at this point now, Bizarro is like insanely like pumped up. You know, he's got a huge body, little tiny head, uh, and he has like shards of something sticking out of him. And Oda's like, "We, well, you, you made him indestructible." So basically, now he's doomsday, is what it comes down to. Okay. So Coach in the present, he's talking to the crowd, talking about the amazing kids who made all this happen. He's like, there's one kid who's, who's tiredness, what are tiredless work, can't go unnoticed. And he's like looking right at Jonathan. But then he's like, and that kid is 
Jimmy Chan. <laughs> this other kid, he's like, what? <laughs> and Jordan laughs. John Henry and Lana walk up their arm in arm, and they kind of separate when you know other people are around. Then John Henry's like, Nat's probably going to notice that I changed my shirt because he has the, the Wesley's red Wesley's sniped shirt on and whatever. And she's like, oh. Coach is going on about how this is going to be a meteor shower like none other or whatever. Then Kyle jumps up and he interrupts. And he's like, uh, do you mind? Whatever. He goes on. He's like, you all know, you know, I love this town and the people in it and my family. But I also really love that woman sitting right there. She's made my life so much better in so many different ways, which is kind of an insult to Lana. And then he, he tosses the mic back to the coach and he jumps down. And he's like, so without further ado, he gets down on a knee, takes out a box. Will you marry me? And Chrissy's like, ah, yes. Everyone cheers. Coach isn't too thrilled because he's kind of you know taking the spotlight away. Lana's jaw drops and John Henry's like, are you okay? But it's like, they're moving on, you're moving on. And whatever. Clark is floating at the edge of space listening for Sam. Then he hears something. So he hears like a, a truck. Lex pulled up to the Kent's farm. Superman lands right in front of him. And Lex's like, there you are. And Superman's like, I won't let you hurt Lois or her family. And Lex's like, they're not who you should be worried about. And he's like, where's General Lane? I told Lois I was innocent, that the case was built on a lie. There's no way she could have known. I told her. She knew. I went to her and I told her. But Lois didn't listen because she didn't have to. Not with you and Lane protecting her. So it's basically, oh, Lois Lane wrote an article in the paper, so that put him in jail. Because um, wouldn't he have gone on trial by a jury of his peers that they would have never read the article or whatever? So it's just so stupid. He's like, and you're not a hero. You're a tool with a cape, a lapdog and tights. And Superman's like, where is General Lane? Then he looks like, everything about dying, Superman. And he pulls out like the modified Superman signal device because you're about to. And then... Big flaming crash in the barn behind him, and I hope that you hear some cows moving. Hopefully, they're fine. Then there's like some growling, there's like all the smoke, and then like ten foot tall Bizarro, and again looking like Doomsday with no clothes or whatever, has a symbol like scarred onto his chest somehow, and you know he's got like spikes, like you know massive muscles, and he's bald like Lex, I guess, and he growls like the Hulk. Superman flies up, kind of floats up, so they're like eye to eye, and he's like, "What's he done to you?" Then Lex is like, "He's going to kill you." Unless you kill him. He's like, Lo should have taken my offer. And in Bizarro, Doomsday grabs Superman by the head, slams him down, then picks him up and whips him back, whatever. And then he's, Lex says, when you're done, bring me his heart. So Superman gets tossed, goes flying, 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 lands in town. John Henry, Nat, Lois, and Jonathan Jordan, they like run up towards him. And, and you know everyone else is running around. Superman's like, don't, don't. So, and he gives Lois like a long stare. And then Doomsday spews flames out of his mouth at Superman. He flies towards him, carrying him away. They're flying through the air. Doomsday is like hitting him as they're flying, whatever. Then he throws him. Superman lands in the water. Doomsday goes, you know, charging after him. Then Superman tries, you know, he frees him in a big block of ice. And he lifts him out and he's like carrying him. But then the ice is starting to melt from within, from his heat vision or heat breath or whatever. So he, he Superman's like looking around the city. He tosses him and impales him on his giant tower. And Superman lands hard on the ground. So I guess Superman's like, I got to kill him. Which, eh, okay. I think there could have been other things. So he lands hard and there's scared people, whatever. He's like, it's okay. And then um, Soundgarden comes on and he like slowly looks looks up. Doomsday's starting to twitch. And Superman flies up, but then he gets like 
swatted down. So they're like in the tunnels. Doomsday pounds on him, like tosses him, runs up and drags him along the side of the tunnel, slams him like over and over again, tosses him again. Superman gets up. Doomsday charges. Superman charges. Double punch each other. Superman's like in pain. Doomsday pounds him over. Blam! Both fists. One, two, three, four, five. Like six times or like that. And then he, he flies up and people like see them flying up. He's like carrying his body. Then in Smallville, Jonathan's like, what's happening? And Jordan's like, I can't hear him breathing anymore. And Lois has like tears. So this is the end. Again, this is the last episode of the season. And so they fly out into space and there's, there's like some flashes. Basically Superman, his life is flashing in front of his eyes. You know, he's seeing his family and you know Lois and the kids and everything like that. And then it starts getting brighter. The sun starts shining. Bad idea, Doomsday. So Superman starts moving. He's powered by the sun. Rips free from his grasp. Punches Doomsday. Doomsday crashes onto the moon. Gets up. Roars. He rips off a couple spikes from both shoulders. He's like running. Superman flies towards him. Doomsday leaps up. Superman pulls back his fists and hit him. That's the end. It's like, what? We don't even get the... It's over. Now, here's the thing. If... The season, if the show wasn't picked up, that would have been the end of the series. That would have sucked so majorly. <sighs> so I now the question is, if since this is moving to Max, is it gonna start in the fall? Or is it gonna be like January, February? Like when's Yeah, worked up just announcing <laughs> like sports announcer or something. So that's the <laughs> that's the end of the season. So kind of crazy. But this Lex Luthor, man, and if, if he's going to be the main bad guy in the next season, I just, I just, I, I don't know. I, I'm not super crazy about, about this Lex because he's just angry. And, you know, he, he doesn't really seem like smart, diabolical. It's like, oh, he got lucky and found Bizarro and now he's going to do this. Pl- and somehow, maybe because he's so smart, somehow he's able to figure out that by killing Bizarro, He's getting stronger, and somehow, somehow he can convince him into killing Superman for him, which is just so stupid. But that's the end of the, of the season. All right, then uh, I, I think just gonna do one episode of a Black Mirror. I almost said Black Mask. Uh, so season six, episode four, Maisie Day, and uh, there's two more, but I, I think I'll save the last one for for next week. And with this episode, also. Uh, I, I'm kind of tempted to spoil the whole thing. So this this one, um, it, it's kind of weird. It was a you know I I forgot how long it was. I think it was like like an, just under an hour, but it, it went by pretty quickly. It, it felt like, anyways, it starts off with with a Zazzy Beats. I think that's that's how you say her name. So she plays a bow. And it starts off, she's sitting in a car, she's like listening to radio. The news says that, you know, Tom and Katie have named their baby Suri. So Suri Cruz, like it's 2006. I, I looked up, I was like, how old is, is, is Suri? She's um, sitting outside a motel. She calls some dude named JP. She's like, I've been waiting here two hours. And she's like, there's no sign of him or whatever. Then a couple dudes come out of her room. She grabs a camera, has a big lens. So she's obviously a paparazzi. Then she... Um, you know, she takes a bunch of pictures of him coming out of room and like kind of going down the stairs, or whatever. And then she starts uh, uploading the pictures on her computer. And then one of the dude like knocks on her window, and he's like, "Are you from an agency?" 
and she's like, okay, you know, close her laptop, whatever. And he's like, I can pay. And he's like, 500? You know, and she's just like digging for her car keys. And he's like, you're killing me, whatever. She starts, gets her car, takes off. He's like, you're killing me. He's like, what? And he's like, curses at her. So she's in some dude's office showing the pictures. And he's like, TVs, Justin Camley enjoys a little afternoon delight with the male buddy. So he's like, I'll take this one, this one, and this one. And he's like, 250 each. She's like, 250. She's like, come on. And she's like, 300. And he's like, Camley hasn't been on TV in like four years. She's like, he was on that VH1 thing. And, and he offered me 500. But he only offered 500 for total. But So he's like, okay. He's like, three each. And he hands her some cash. So then she's cooking in a small kitchen. Um, her roommate comes out. And she, you know, she had headphones on. She bought like an iPad. I, iPod. I always do it. I always, uh, whenever I want to say iPad, I say iPod. And when I want to say iPod, I say iPad. It's like this. So she bought an iPod Nano, the little square things, which are, look ridiculous. So he's like, I, you know, I don't like to judge other people's lifestyle choices, but when you fry garlic and ginger, it makes the whole apartment a little acrid. And she's like, uh, yeah, sure. He's like, I'll, I'll open the, the window, Nathan. He's like, oh, thanks. It's like, okay, so right away, this this guy is like kind of annoying. Then she's in line for coffee. Um, some lady's reading a magazine article, you know, on the cover is like Maisie Day. So it's like, who the heck is Maisie Day? That's the name of this episode. TV news is on, you know, above the, the counter or whatever. TV actor Justin Camley has been found dead in his Hollywood Hills home. TMZ are reporting that he was found hanged in an apparent suicide. Only days ago, the scandal broke that Justin had been cheating on his long-term girlfriend with another man. Then outside a club, she's with a, she's, this dude's like talking to her. Then I realize that they're all like paparazzi. You know, and uh, he's, you know, he's like, oh, you know, well, this, it's sad, but, you know, it's not your fault. And this other guy, he's he's like a, a, a little more harsh. He's like, if you didn't want his face out there, you shouldn't have been an actor. He's just like, you can tell this is like a scumbag dude. And then this limo pulls up and this actress named Sydney steps out. And they're like all flocking like vultures. And it's, it's, it makes you feel uncomfortable. It's like, ugh. Then the scummy guy yells out, it's like, Sydney, you skank. And she turns around, which is what he wanted, you know, so he can get some pictures. Then he's like, I love your sex tape, you fudging whore. And then, um, and you can see Bo's like feeling uneasy. She's kind of like, like, what the heck am I doing? So the actress, she like turns around and she yells at him. She's like, why don't you say it on my face? And she kind of like hits him, whatever. He's like, oh, it's assault. He's like, I have witnesses. He's like, you hit me again. You'll hear from my lawyer. And then, you know, Bo was just like looking at all these slimy dudes and, you know, they're like smiling and, you know, looking at what pictures, shots they got and stuff like that. She just like walks away. Then it cuts to the Czech Republic, like the mountains, beautiful scenery, like big, big lake, blue skies, whatever. And this man with a Scottish accent talks like Miss Kettermole. And he's like, is everything all right? And then she like turns, she's like, never better. And then you hear, cut. So this is Maisie Day. She's filming the scene. And they're like, that's a wrap for day two, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Later, she's like, it must be night. She's sitting in front of a fire. She's drinking, going over lines. And then um, one of the like, production guy like left her a little treat in her jacket pocket or something like that. So she eats like a mushroom. And then she's like dancing. And I think at this point, like uh, Super Massive Black Hole by Muse. I love that song. Cause on, she's, so she's like dancing and everything. She knocks over a wine glass. And so she starts to pick it up, cuts her finger. And then she like looks around. She decides to go out driving. I, I don't know if she's going out to get a Band-Aid or something like that. And it looks like the wipers are barely working. She can't even see anything. It's, it's, it's such a downpour. She kind of gets distracted by her cut. And she's kind of waving her hand around. And then, so she like stops the car. 
she manages to stop it. She's like, right when she's like in a tunnel, she like kind of looks in her, her rear view mirror and you see there's like a, a body in, in a road. You know, you know what, what does she do? She, she gets out of the car and it's like, end of scene. Then she's like back at her place. She, uh, she starts like cleaning up the, bro- the broken glass and the mess, you know, paper and stuff like that. She gets driven to the set. She's in a car, and then the, by the tunnel, the police have blocked off the, the tunnel. And the driver talks to you know one of the officers. He's like, the "Road is closed." He's like, I'll, "I go around." And she's like, "What did they say?" And the driver's like, "They found man in road. They think hit and run." She must be sitting in her trailer or something like that. She's like just breathing heavily, whatever. There's a knock on her door. They're like, like uh, Maisie or Miss Day or something like that. They're like, you know, hair and makeup are ready for you. And she's just like breathing heavy. Then she grabs like a bottle, dies a Pam, and, and then she gets up. So Bo hears on a TV, the TV news announcer say that it's been two weeks since Maisie Day has a, uh, you know, star of the Everwish saga abruptly left the set of the third installment of the franchise. Her roommate comes in. She like you know, turns off the TV or whatever, and you know, there's a little TV in the kitchen. I think it was either laptop or what. It doesn't matter. He's got these note cards. He's like, you know, uh, this is really hard for me. I'm not good with confrontation, but my therapist says she used cue cards. So she's just like looking at him, and he he reads. He's like, he says that you know her share of the rent is late. She's like Nathan. He's like, let me finish. He's like, I've, he looks at another card. He's like, I, I've noticed groceries disappearing from my clearly marked personal shelf in the fridge. And then he's like, and while I deeply value our friendship, I do not feel it is appropriate for me to financially support. And she like cuts him off. She's like, I'll, I'll get you the money. And then he's like, oh yeah, there's another card. He's like, thank you. <laughs> so she, she's working at the coffee shop now. Her friend, the, the, the nicer paparazzi guy, heck, he like wants to talk to her. So then, you know, she must get a breaker like that. And she's like, I told you, I'm, I'm out. And he's like, you know, I respect that and everything. But he's like, well, I wonder if you can help. You heard about, you know, Maisie Day, you know, erratic behavior. She got kicked off a set, you know, all this stuff like that. And he's like, Nick's offering 30K for the first photo of her. And she's like, 30? And he's like, 40 if she's looking like a junkie. So then she's like, well, what does this have to do with me? And he's like, are you still, you know, keeping up with your snitch? And she's like, I deleted him from my phone. And he's like, well, if, you know, you find anything out, whatever. So she starts, you know, deciding to look in because she could use the money. She starts looks looks up some leads and stuff like that. And she worked out at this gym. She hasn't been seen there. She reads this interview in a magazine. She loves this, like these Thai noodles from this one restaurant, whatever. And we saw, um, so Maisie's staying at this like mansion and food gets delivered there. The housekeeper like opens it. And, um, and, and, you know, she tells Maisie, she's like, oh, well, you're, you know, guest of Mr. G's or something like that. You know, it's, it's on him or something like that. But the delivery girl saw, must have seen, um, Maisie in there. Cause she kind of like, like looks at her. So, um, after Bo sees this, this, this article, she goes to the restaurant. She's like, oh, Maisie Day loves this place. And, you know, gets it every day or something like that. And the guy's like, yeah. And the driver's like, you know, she's saying, yeah, she's staying at some producer's house. You know, I, I, I saw her, you know, the other day or, so Bo goes to the house and uh, sits like in her car outside. So inside, Maisie's having nightmares, whatever. Housekeeper pulls up, but doesn't see Bo. I mean, Bo's sleeping in her front seat of her car. You would think it would stand out like outside this big, rich house. She goes inside the housekeeper. The place is trashed. And so then I, I'm, I'm assuming this producer dude shows up, whatever, you know, saying she has to face things. He knows the place he can take her to get her away from everything and everything like that. 
they get in his Escalade. They start driving. Bo decides to follow, but it's like it's one of those annoying things. It's like you are following way too closely because then they're driving down. And she's because she's like, where are we going or something like that? They're going down this windy road. There's no other cars on the road. And it's like he she's like within like a car, two car lengths from them. Escalade pulls over to this, this diner. She pulls over to the diner and, uh, it, you know, driver gets out. She gets her cameras, whatever. The, the back window opens. You know, she misses a shot, whatever. And then she sees driver goes in the back, opens the back, grabs something. And then, you know, she's like looking at her camera. He starts walking towards her car and she's like, doesn't make sense of it. And then he's like, goes to her front tire. He's like, starts popping like all four of her tires. So she's, you know, then, and then they, they take off. So she goes inside. She's like, ah, you know, cause what's she going to do now? She's got four flats. She talks to the, the guy behind the counter. Cause he's like, Oh, rough day, whatever. She's like, yeah. And then she's like, is there anyone around with a tow truck? And he's like, Oh, he's out. And she's like, well, you know, when he'll be back. I mean, he's like, no, glug, glug, glug. You know, he's, he's out for the day. He's you know, been drinking. So she's like, is there a place that I can crawl to, you know, nearby or something like that? He's like, well, the only closest place is this one, whatever, Cedarwood Resort. And she's like, well, can I, you know, get there? He's like, uh, probably not. You know, it's, it's for like a hippie place for like the rich and famous. Or He's like, my cousin works there as a masseuse and you know, the whole place is rented out, you know, all for just one person. She then calls Heck. He comes on his motorcycle and they, they drive away. And the, it's weird because the diner guy kind of stares at her as they leave. It's like, what is that about? It's like, is there something going on here? They they go to this place, and there's like huge fence. Like, and he's like, what is this? Like Jurassic Park or something like that? It's like big wall wall gates or something like that. <laughs> and he goes to the, there's like a keypad on the you know thing. He goes like one two three four pound, and she looks at him. He's like, well, it's worth a, a shot. And he's like, well, what would have you know? What if it would opened? And then a car comes, pulls up, and they, they recognize it. It's the other two scummy paparazzi guys. It turns out the worst guy put a tracker under Hex's gas tank. And so he's, like, pissed at him or whatever. So they start looking around. The, the other dude, he digs a little bit. There's, like, a kind of, like, broken fence. So they, they're able to crawl under the fence. And, and she's both, like, starting to question. It's, like, you know, kind of, like, what, what am I doing here? You know, it's, like, I'm literally crawling through the dirt. But she needs the money. At the diner, the sheriff goes up there, and it's weird because Bo's plate pipe, because she had some pecan pie, supposed to be like the best. It's still sitting on the counter. It's like he didn't put it away, and there's like not really a lot of customers in there. So it's like, okay, what's up with the sheriff and all this? Inside the the gate, the the four paparazzi, Bo and the three dudes, they see like the driver come out of this like cottage place. You know, it's like on the second level, and this one doctor dude, and they recognize him that he's like this really bad. They're like, you know, what, what kind of drugs is she on or something like whatever. So they leave. They go up. And then uh, two guys, the, the, the scuzzy guys, they like ain't pulled their cameras up. So there's like this fa- this fan like above the door. So they're like snap some pictures inside. It's kind of grainy because it's dark in there. But you can see a body laying in the bed. They're like, oh, that's her or whatever. And Bo kind of like looks like, is that a chain around her neck? And she's kind of concerned. And she's like, that's illegal. And then she, there's like some stones on, on the, the deck outside the door. She, she grabs it, you know, and she starts like pounding on, on the door, you know, get in there. And they're like, what are you doing? Whatever. And then uh, opens the door. The guys come in. 
started, started taking pictures of her and Bo was like concerned. She's like, she's burning up. And then, you know, she's got this chain around her, you know, around her neck and everything. She's trying to get it. And they're just like snapping pictures, snap, 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 snap. And then uh, Maze is like, oh, I got to get through this alone. And then Hex, like he's taking pictures too. He sees a couple goats in the room and he's like, what? And then um, she's like, run, you had to go, run away. And she looks up, whatever. And then she like flashes to the accident. You're hearing like glimpses of supermassive black hole. And then um, there's, you know, we're getting flashes, you know, the, the camera flashes are going off and then she's gets out of the car. She walks up to the body and it's like, it, it's a body, but then it's like a creature. It's like, what, what the heck? You, uh, Bo's like, she's like, stop, just stop, stop for a moment, you know, cause she's trying to get the chain out. She like busts the, the chain. They're still taking pictures of her. And it's like, how many pictures do you need of the same exact thing? It's just like, it's ridiculous. And then she like, her hands kind of like, and her ankles kind of change and her like her spine. So she starts turning like, like a werewolf. And so Bo and Heck run out. The other two guys, he's like, oh, just a couple more shots. Like the, the main scuzzy guys, you know, taking picture. And then Maisie as the wolf thing, creature, kind of looks at her, lunges, grab, bites his neck. The other guy manages to make it out. They, um, Bo and, and Heck crawl under the fence. The other dude, he, he's, a, he's a little uh, chubbier. He kind of gets stuck, even though he was the first one th- underneath there. He's he's like, come on, help me, whatever. Then Heck starts like grabbing at the camera because he's like, that's worth half a million right there. And um, the, the dude's like kind of mad at him. But then he gets pulled back by, by, the, by Maisie, by the creature. They get on his bike. They take off. But then they almost get hit by this driver coming. And he like yells at them. But then the creature grabs the, the driver. He's like chomps on him. So they, they start running through the woods and everything like that because the motorcycle got knocked over. It's like you should have picked it up, whatever. At the diner, the sheriff's still there. And then you see Bo and Heck like run past the windows. They come in and they're like, what's going on? So they like, you know, clock the door and the, the diner dude's like, what are you doing? And they like move this like big shelf or I don't know if it's a cigarette vending machine, something like that in front of the door. And then they see the sheriff and they're like, you got to call back up, whatever. And the sheriff's like, you need to calm down. What's going on? Bo sees his gun. She starts like, she reaches for it. He's like, whoa, whoa. He like grabs her, gets her on the ground. He's like, but, you know, handcuff her. And they're like, like, no, it's, it's coming. And Hex sees that the creature's out there. And then uh, the the cook, you know, because there's no, there's only like one couple in there. There's no one else in the diner. He like went to take some trash out or something like that. And then you hear some noise. So the creature comes in through the back goes towards to attacks the first attacks the dude and then the, the woman um because she like tries hitting the creature with a chair and then uh heck gets gets bit the sheriff he's like aiming his gun he he gets like kind of attacked accidentally shoots a diner guy so then you know gun goes flying uh bows immediately she's like hiding under a table like you know in a booth and then uh, the gun kind of falls by her. So she grabs it. The creature jumps at her and she like, shoots like in the air and then she just falls. So then she, she goes to Heck, who's like kind of like sitting back, his blood all over and he's like dying and he like gives her a camera. And then, uh, then we see Maisie. She's like lying naked in a pool of blood and she's like sobbing. She's like, kill me, please. She's like, just shoot me. And Bo's just like looking at her. And then, you know, she's got the, like the, she puts, takes a gun puts it in Maisie's hand and then um, Maisie just like turns a gun to her head. Bo raises a camera and then he's shot from outside. Blam! And that's the end. So that's the whole episode. Spoilers! But it, it, was, it was just weird. It just, it went by so fast and it, it was a good episode. But again, what's going to be my complaint? Wasn't a, 
a whole lot of like a technolo- technological angle to it. Uh, I mean, I, I guess there's the whole paparazzi aspect, social media, you know, the obsession and, and that stuff. But there, and it, it wasn't even that like the whatever medical procedure, there wasn't any, you know, the, normally you would think that there'd be something with that, that they're doing something that that's what caused her. Because, I mean, if, if the dude that she hit was a, a werewolf or something like that, that's like old school, you know, whatever mythos and so I don't know, but it, it was a, a, a good, um, good, good episode. So I wasn't really sure what to expect. And, uh, but yeah, so that was good. So we got one more next week. All right. Then there's new show on Apple TV plus. So if you are not subscribing to Apple TV, you should one because severance is on there and you should watch season one because that is like such an amazing show, you know, the, the crowded room, then we have Hijack, uh, got the awesome uh, Carpool Karaoke episode with Avril Lavigne and Youngblood. Uh, I don't watch the show, but when I saw it there on there, that was a hilarious episode. No James Corden on, on that, that series. But there's other, other shows, uh, For All Mankind, and it, it's a lot, of, a lot of good stuff. Yeah, so Hijack is with Idris Elba, and I, I tried avoiding, I don't like want to know too much about this. So so basically, it's a series. I think it's a six episode series about a plane being hijacked. Because when I first heard about this, I'm like, oh, Idris Elba's, you know, Apple TV's doing a movie with Idris, Idris Elba on a hijacked plane. Okay, cool. But then it's like, no, it's a series. I'm like, how are you going to do a series about a plane hijack? But I, I guess you know, it is a six hour flight whatever so you can kind of do it sort of in real time you know not like you know 24 keeper sutherland style but but similar to that and uh so i'm like okay that's that's fine i'll watch that and i was planning on just covering the first episode because i i thought it's like oh it's gonna make this this show this episode too long but after i watched the first one i'm like oh i kind of want to watch the second one and i think i i watched the first one wednesday tuesday wednesday i forgot maybe it was wednesday and I was like, oh, okay. So then it was like late Thursday and I had read pretty much all the comics that I was going to read. I just had a couple left. And it was like after watching Indiana Jones and I was like, maybe I'm going to watch that last episode. And so I did. So we're going to talk about two episodes. Now, the thing is what we, we don't know what I'll just say state right now as I do my full recap on these two episodes is we we don't know a whole lot about Idris Elba, Sam Nelson is his character. You know, and what I, what I mean, but we don't know a lot about him. Is like, I'm not fully sure what his background is, like what his profession is. I don't know if we're supposed to know that. Is you know, because you kind of assume, and what I kind of assume, and what I I'm not really sure is like, is he like this secret agent, you know, government dude, you know, he's he's gonna kick butt and take down all the terrorists on a plane, or is he just a regular business guy? So that that's something that we'll we'll find out and. Um, there's one part where it's kind of mentioned, but they don't kind of go into specifics. We'll find out about that. And and so that's what I like where, you know, he could just be a regular dude. You know, he doesn't have any like super training. You know, he's not like, you know, James Bond or, or, or um, uh, what's the, uh, Tom, uh, Ethan Hunt, <laughs> Mission Impossible, or he's not like, he's, you know, he's just seems like a regular guy. All right. So the first episode, episode one, it's called uh, Final Call. So we see Idris Elba, 
he, you know, he's he's about to get on a plane from Dubai to Heathrow. He's just kind of dawdling to get on. He's, you know, no rush or anything to get there. He doesn't have any luggage when he gets to the gate. You know, the, the, the flight attendant's like, oh, no carry-on? And he's like, no, just just this, you know, gift for my wife. And it's like a little, like, jewelry box or, like, necklace or something like that. So he gets on. The gate closes. There's this other guy who's been rushing to get on, like, going through TSA and everything like that. So I was like, okay, what's the deal with this guy? And then she says to the guy, she's like, the gate's closed. And, you know, he's like, oh, come on. He's like, oh, whatever. You know, because, like, it just, uh, Sam literally just walked through and then she closed it. And then she's like, the gate's closed. Even, But the door wasn't even closed. It's just a little turnstile thing. And Sam kind of turns, he's like, how bad could it be? So here I'm thinking that maybe this guy is like one of the terrorists, right? Because when he gets on a plane in his seat, he's like on his phone. He's like, yeah, I made it. He's like, go ahead and make the trade. So it's like, who is this guy? I'm going to call him late guy because I don't don't know what his name is. I'm not looking it up. So Sam, he's in the first class. And Sam is, again, is Idris Elba. And so he's, you know, he, they're like in those kind of big chairs and there's like a little partition, like you can like open and close it so you can, you know, the person next to you, but the, the dude next to him, you know, this white dude, he's like on his phone playing like Candy Crush or some, some loud game. And, and he's like, uh, could you turn that down please? And he, he makes like this big gesture. He like holds up like, like, the, you know, like turn it down. Like he's doing this huge favor or whatever. Then, uh, Sam texts his wife and you, you know, so you pause, you look at the, the text. She's it's like, like, I'm not ignoring you. I told you it's over. And he's like, well, I'm flying back. And he's like, I need to go back to London for work meetings. And she's like, stop playing games. And then he puts on like the time that he's flying or something like that. And she's like, do not get on that plane. And then right now he's like types in too late in sense. So we see his wife, she gets texts on her phone. It's like on her nightstand or whatever. And then, uh, you see an arm roll like over her. So she's in bed with some dude. So it's like, wait, his wife's cheating on him. So the plane takes off the flight thing display six hours and 48 minutes. The guy next to Sam, he's like, Oh, we got off on the wrong foot. He's like, I'm Hugo. You know, I do marketing, you know, UK startups and, and stuff like that. And he's like, what do you do? Sam's just like, you know, he's not, he's like, enjoy the movie or whatever it is you're going to do. That does involve speaking to me. <laughs> He's because he's like on his phone. He's looking like at his wife's Instagram or something like that. And there's like a picture of her with some other guy. Then uh, we see uh, there's, there's some teenage girl, Naomi. She's on the plane. She goes in the bathroom because there's this. Well, there's this other dude, which I should uh, mention. He kind of helped her. Like when she's going to put her luggage up, he like helps her. He's like, oh, I'm just, you know, old, old fashioned, whatever. And then, you know, they're both in line at the bathroom. He lets her go first because, you know, again, he's, he's a gentleman or something like that. She finds something on the floor. And she like looks at it and then she picks it up. It was like, we don't see what it is. So it's like, is it a pill? Like, what, what is it? She goes back to her friends and they're wearing like red jackets. I don't know if they're like in some team or something like that. And they're probably like late teens. I don't know. So she shows her two friends sitting next to her. And then she shows that random guy too. And she asks him, like, do you think it's real? And he's like, oh, we could, you know, we could tell someone, you know, a crew member. They, they probably have a list of, you know, this kind of stuff. And so they tell each other name. Her name's Naomi. He says his name is Marcus. And she, like, gives it to him. He says he's going to go talk to someone. So it, it turns out it's a bullet. So she found a bullet in the bathroom. So he goes up to the front, uh, like, you know, the, the, sec, the, the galley area right before first class. And he tells a, the flight attendant that he needs a word with his nephew in first. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry, you're not allowed. And he's like, oh, it'll just be a minute. And he goes anyway. She's like, sir. So he goes up front, talks to this dude. He's like, we have a problem. He's like, one of our lot left around in the toilet. And some girl found it. 
and so like Sam's like you know a couple rows back because you know first class so it's like spread out, and he's kind of watching. He can't hear what they're saying, but he he's just like looking at them. So this Marcus guy, he's he says he's like we bring it forward, and the other dude's like that's not your call. And Marcus like yeah, that's why I'm here to advise you to make the the call. And a dude, um, I'm gonna call him main guy, lead guy, main guy. Uh, he's obviously the boss man. Let's call him boss man. Boss man says uh, the plan was three hours. And Marcus is like, plan's gone to poop. He's like, they think I'm up here reporting it to the staff. So then boss man's like, right. He's like, go back and tell them you reported it and tell them they said it wasn't a problem. And he's like, how is it not a problem? And he's like, because Terry, so Marcus' name is really Terry. So he's like, because Terry, it belonged to someone who's allowed to have it, a soldier or something like that. And so Terry, Marcus Terry says, and if they don't buy it, so the dude gives him like a green cap. And he's like, that's the five minute warning. Go out the back wearing that and make sure every one of our lots sees you. And whatever you tell the girls, it's only got to last for five minutes. And we go on Jamie's call like we practice. So Marcus Terry, he heads back. He puts on the cap. Uh, this, you see like this woman, maybe this older dude or maybe the guy next to him, whatever. You know, they, they like notice. So he then he takes the cap off when he gets like his section. Because I think he's like in regular. So there's first class business and then economy or whatever i'm assuming so he takes the hat off right when he enters his section goes to naomi he's like long story short it's like we're okay turns out there's some sort of routine check here before takeoff happens about once a week apparently and one who was on board one of the dubai security boys asked to use the toilet and then at this point the guy in a row in front of him is kind of like listening so naomi's like and that's how it got there he's like yeah they're all armed see like foreign police it's not like london then she's like, so they weren't worried? And he's like, it didn't seem to be. It's, you know, not like the four of us. He's like, one thing she did ask more seriously was for us not to repeat any of this in case it causes any concern. So then one of the other girls, she's, she's like, I, I don't buy it. It's like some guy with a gun. She like, you know, whispers it, uses the bathroom and it just falls out. And, you know, she keeps pushing. And he's like, well, I, I went up there and told him and they weren't concerned. He's like, and that's the point. And the guy in front like looks up again because he says that kind of loud. He's like, they're not worried about it. So, you know, and he's asked the, he's like, so there's you know, nothing more to it. So he, he goes to his seat. Then the guy in front of, um, in the row in front asked Mo and the other girls, like, are you all right? Whatever. And she's like, yeah. So uh, boss man gets up and Sam kind of looks, you know, back at him when, when he like walks by. The girls are still talking about it. Naomi's like, why would they lie? And Mona's like, that's not what which, what I'm saying. You know, I just want them to explain. So she hits like the call button and, you know, Naomi's like, no, no. Boss man is carrying like some pouch or something like that. He goes to the bathroom then he comes back and Sam's like, you know, looking to see what he has. So it's like this, like a, like a travel kit or something like that, like a little overnight bag thing, whatever you want to call it. This other guy goes to like carry on bags, takes something out, goes in the bathroom. Mona talks a, a different flight attendant as a dude. And he, he's like, doesn't know what she's talking about. She's like, so it's okay what you saw? And Naomi's like, maybe it wasn't him that, that he talked to. So then the flight attendant's like, well, what was the item? And she's like, want me to say it out loud? He's like, well, that might help unless you want to draw a picture. And she's like, she's starting to get annoyed because he's annoyed. Sam gets up, flight attendant asks if he needs anything. And he's like, he's like I didn't get a wash bag. And she's like, well, you don't get a wash bag only on overnight flights. So... He's like, so no one has a wash bag? She's like, no. Then he continues back and he wonders, you know, she's like, sir, where are you going? Because he's going into like economy now. 
So the guy had a wash bag, and he's like, why does he have a wash bag? No one has one. I didn't get one. The bearded guy, who's I'm going to call him, he goes in the bathroom, and he takes a gun out of the wash bag. So what the girl's a dude in, in front of them, he like kind of gets up. He's like, you know, what, what'd you find? The flight attendant's like, well, if you think it's important, you need to tell me what it is. And Naomi's like, don't. But when it's like, the thing is, he's like, I don't want people to panic. Sam walks back and he sees like two other people with wash bags and he looks around. No one else has them. So the lady in that section, which I'm just going to call her lady, <laughs> um, and like the dude next to her, they like pull out their guns. And she's like, everybody down, down, down. So it started. Bearded guy comes out of the bathroom. He's waving his gun around. Uh, Marcus, Terry, the helpful guy that went and talked to him, he's waving gun around in his, his section. Sam just you know sits in a random seat. So then he tell everyone to ring calm, say in your seats, all this stuff like that. Um, at home, Sam's son is riding an exercise bike, kind of like in the kitchen. Uh, his his name is uh, Kai. Uh, mom thinks that you know if what was her name? Was her name Marsha? She asks if he wants anything, and then this white dude comes out, gives her a pack. He's like, "Good morning." And he kind of like Kai looks at him and kind of looks away. Then he stops writing, takes off his headphone. He's like, "Wow!" So Detective Daniel gets to sleep over now. His mom's like, you don't call him that Kai. And he's like, so uh, what are we? Are we all flatmates now? And she's like, we spoke about this. And so Detective Daniel says that he's like, it's okay. I get it. And then he's like, oh, nice bike, by the way. And Kai's like, yeah, I decided to get a fixed, you know, one fixed on the floor. And he's like, okay, go on. Because he's like waiting. He's like, so you and your mates can't pull me over for no reason. And then Daniel's like, ah, that's a, that's a good joke. I like it. And he's like, no joke. And, and she, mom's like, Kai, he's like, and you don't like it. And he like walks out. So the lady on the plane, Lady Terrace, she t- yells out. It's like, this is how it's going to work. Nobody makes anybody any noise. Nobody makes any trouble. And nobody gets seriously fudging injured. Bearded guy is like repeating in Arabic. Older guy, there's these two old, old guys. I'm going to call them Tom and Jerry. So the first guy, he's, he's like, hisses to his seatmate. He's like, there's someone speaking Arabic. And he's like, she's English. She's speaking English. But there's someone speaking Arabic. So he's starting to freak out because he's hearing Arabic speaking. So he thinks it's it's terrorists, whatever. Which they are terrorists, but they're all normally mostly English, I guess. So a guy from first has a bag. He's asking for phone, tablets, devices. The Wi-Fi is off. There's no need to be a hero. Sam notices like the, the lady next to him is like, really focusing on breathing or anything like that. So he's like, what's your name? She's, her name's Amanda. And he's like, okay, just breathe. He's like, my name's Sam. He makes her like drink some of her water like that. And he's like, we're alike. He's like, we have family loved ones. He's like, we have one job just to get through it for them. In the cockpit, the co-pilots look, looking at the peephole trying to figure out what's going on because like no one's answering them. The pilot's like, you know, try calling one of the other galleys. So flight attendant finally answers, you know, the phone's ringing and he whispers, he's like, he's like, they have control of the whole plane. And then uh, the lady with the gun sees him, like points a gun at him. And he's like, they have guns. And he hangs up. And then she's like, Colette Fisher. And it's like, what, what? Is that her name? Is she introducing herself? Pilot calls Dubai, says that they have a possible security incident. Then they see a dude with a gun on a camera. And then he's like, correction, we have a definite security incident. So one of the old dude, uh, one of the Tom and Jerry guys says that, you know, if one of them's Arab, they have to take them on. Then like Sam's like, a row in front of him, like off to the side. He's like, that's not a good idea. And dude's like, you want to let them crash into some capital city? Is that it? And Sam's like, oh, come on. He's like, is that what you think is going to happen? He's like, I have no idea, pal. And Sam's like, no, obviously. And then the dude's like, yeah, but I'm not going to wait and find out, am I? And Sam's like, so what are you going to do? You're just going to attack him? 
And then the dude's like, no one's asking you to join in. He's like, you'll get yourself killed. So then Tom, I'm going to call him. He's like, listen, if you not got the balls, all you have to do is say. So he's just being a jerk. So then this guy comes up to Sam, asks for his phone and tablet. He's like, I don't have it. He's like, this is not my seat. He's like, she told me to sit here. Yeah. And then the other dude comes up to like the lady, like with a flight, what's a uh, flight attendant, and they go up, and her you see her name tag says Colette, so she's Colette Fisher. So the two dudes, Tom and Jerry, get ready to move. One has his like his headphone cords like ready to choke someone, and Sam's like, no one is asking you to make this call. You know, just because you speak the loudest doesn't mean you have anything better to say. It doesn't mean that you've thought this through. And the dude's like, there's nothing to think about. You know, nothing to think through. And Sam's like, no, there is. You just haven't thought of it. This plane took off from Dubai. So there are people on this flight that only speak Arabic. So if you're going to hijack a plane, Arabic's a language you need to speak. Doesn't mean you're a suicide bomber. Just means you're prepared. And a bearded guy comes up asking for devices. And he walks by. And Sam's like, until you know who these people are, do nothing. Carol or whatever. Or Colette. What was her name? Carol Colette. I forgot her name. She's brought to the front. She she tells the, the dude, she's like, it's not going to work. They won't let me in. And she's like, not if something's happening. And he's like, that's right. And she's like, yeah, that's the rule. And he's like, that's why you're going to convince him. So then she takes the phone, talks to the co-pilot, and she tells a dude that she said no. And he's like, she? Because the co-pilot's a woman. So Carol, I think her name is Carol. She says that, yeah, she's a first officer. And then the, the dude's like, it's like, talk to the pilot. And she's says that, He'll say the same thing, and he. So she gets back on the phone. She says she needs to speak to the captain, and she's like, he, he says he's like, you know, I can't do that. You can't let you in, and she's like, that's what I said. You say so. The dude's like, talk to him about last night, about what it meant to you, the plaza. Then she's like, how do you know about that? And he's like, say it was magical. Say every trip to Dubai is magical because you get to be together because you love him. That she's like, Robin, they know. And he's like, say it, and she like whispers, she's like. I love you. I love you. And he's like, I love you too, Carol, Colette, whatever your name is. And the dude's like, either he opens that door or I pull his trigger. And she starts begging. And then the dude hangs up the phone. He tells the other guy, if they don't open the door, shoot this one and another and so on. So the pilot says that if they take control of this plane, they can fly it anywhere, do anything with it. He looks at the cockpit door switch and then he reached for it. And the co-pilot like swats his arm away. Then he like kind of grabs her by the throat. And he's like, don't make me fight you. He's like, I don't want to fight you. There's more like swatting, you know, she, he tries again. And then he grabs like a metal thermos. He's like, he's like, I will hurt you. And he like hits her like in the head with it. And more fighting or like that. And it's like, he had, the pilot had a picture of like, because his pilot has a wife and a kid, at least one kid. So there's like a picture next to his seat. So that like falls off. It was like on a monitor or something like that, a tablet or something like that. So that falls and everything. He hits her again. And then the door opens. So Dubai um, air traffic control says that, you know, they'll only have contact for 20 more minutes. And the, the pilot says the incident has, because he's talking to pilot, he's like, the incident has now been resolved. And he says it was a false alarm. But so they're like, but you said there was a definite incident. How is that a false alarm? And so the, the dude has a gun pointed at the pilot. The pilot's like, oh, it turned out it was just a couple drunk passengers trying to make a sick joke. He's like, we'll notify Heathrow. So the police are there to question them. They're like, do you want to see that? He's like, no, no, I, I got it. So it turns out Sam still has his phone. Amanda, she's like, there's no Wi-Fi. And Sam's like, if there's no Wi-Fi, then why are they taking everyone's phone? So he starts texting his wife. The 
you know, pilot was told to turn off the Wi-Fi. He's like looking for the switch. He's like, I'm used to the the three hundreds. This is a two hundred. You know, so he's trying to figure out like how to turn off the Wi-Fi. And then Sam manages to send a text. So then, what was kind of weird is this TSA lady, because she was in in line before looking at some stuff. Then she gets a call from like her husband or something. Like there's like screaming in the background. Tells her to come home or something like that. So she like leaves right away. Wasn't really clear like what was going on there. She arrives home because you know her husband demanded she come home, and you know because because he said to say that she was sick or something like that. So she walks in the apartment. There's like no one there. Then uh, we see Detective Daniels looking at like pictures, you know, family pictures on a mantle. Sam's wife or ex-wife says that, you know, it'll just take time, you know, and Daniel's like, you know, you've been saying that for months, you know, you know, but what does he expect? And then she sees her phone on a nightstand. So then, then she sees a text from, from Sam. So the flight attendant tells passengers on a plane that it is now under complete control of them. Outside communication with the ground has been severed. The crew has decided full cooperation is the best and only way forward. Just act normal. If anyone resists, they will be severely punished along with innocent random passengers as an example to the rest of the plane. So the plane is now six hours from London and then all this will be over. So Sam's wife talks it over with like Kai and Daniel because she says she told him not to get on that plane but Kai's like dad wouldn't lie about something like this and Kai he like wants he, he so he, he wants to read all the text so he can figure out like what's going on since they don't know like the flight number so they go through the whole thing and she's like don't get on and whatever I'm not ignoring you know all that and then Sam ended with I will get home I love you I always will so Sam's like sitting then he gets up and then they pull their guns at him. He's like, I'm just doing, as, as she said, I'm going back to my allocated seat. So the lady, you know, yells at him to, you know, get, sit to fudge down. The other guy in the next compartment asks him, he's like, what are you doing? Because he just walks forward. And he's like, I'm just going to get my phone. And he's like, I promise you, I, you know, I, I'd give you my phone. And here it is. So he, he goes like the compartment. There's like a, like a little compartment next to the seat where you can put like more stuff. So he acts like he took it out, out of there. And then he like holds out to him. And then he's, the, the dude's like, you came up here just for that? So he's talking to boss man. He's like, and to make you an offer. Daniel asks Kai, he's like, you know, what exactly your dad do for a living? And Kai like looks at his mom. He's like, uh, it's difficult to explain. So she's like, you know, he gets brought in by big companies. If there's a merger or takeover, you know, it doesn't matter where, they bring Sam in at the end of the process because when it all kicks off, Sam is the best at handling it. And then he, Daniel's like handling what and she's like the negotiation so that's all we know about what he does he's a negotiator Mm, or is it like severe negotiation (laughs) I don't know so Sam's like talking to boss man he's like now listen to me he's like all right it's like there are like some 200 people on this flight and most of them will do exactly as you say but let's face it there are some who will you know kick off and who will cause you some problems and the guy's like, sit down. He's like, no, no. Just like, let me just tell you where I'm at, okay? He's like, let me tell you where I'm at with this, all right? He's like, I don't care about any of those people. I just want to get home to my family. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to help you. And that's the end of the first episode. So after that, I'm like, what are you talking about? How are you going to help him? It's like, okay, so maybe is this show where he's not really a hero? Episode two, three degrees. What? Three degrees? What's that? So... Dude, the boss man, he asks, asks Sam, he's like, who are you? He's like, these people don't mean anything to me. He's like, but if they try something and one of you, you know, shoot and then the whole plane goes down, the dude's like, yeah, the plane is secure. And Sam's like, yeah, right now it is. Yeah. 
and boss man's like we don't need any help but sam's like well right now you don't but what if it all goes wrong again and he's like who the fudge are you he's like you went too early didn't you you were you was going to do this later on in the flight and then a man came rushing into first class and he was worried and panicking and then you gave him a green hat next thing you know it was all going off that wasn't part of the plan right so then the boss man tells the lady he's like go get his passport so Sam's like, look, it's all going wrong in the first hour. Imagine what could happen in the next six. So in the back of the plane, one of Tom and Jerry, the older dudes, you know, one of the guys like pulls this like thick cord from like the remote out of the, the arm seat. The other dudes like, I think he's putting golf balls or something in his sock to make like a slapjack. And then uh, the late guy, he's like, hey, oi, he's like, what are you doing? And when the guy's like mouths at him to shut up. Lady um, Terrace. She uh, tell, she hands Sam's passport to the boss man, or I think was it the boss man or is this another guy? I think it was the boss man that he's talking to. So she's like, he says his name, Sam Nelson. You, you look at it, he's a British citizen, and he like stares at Sam. He raises his gun to his head. He's like, "You think we're stupid?" And Sam's like, "No, I don't think you're stupid. I think you're very smart. But look, I think you get what I'm saying." Guy puts the gun down, and he's like, "Take him back to his seat." And then he like takes a picture of Sam's passport picture. First class is like staring at him as he sits down because they're like, why is he talking to this terrorist for you know all this time? So then the lady comes and tells him to open his phone. She's like, open it if you ever want to see them again because his wife and son are under. So he opens it. She looks at his text, like the, the last one he sent. And he must have deleted the last one because it's just all it says is like too late was the last one that, that shows up there. So he probably thought about it, knew that they're going to want to look at it when he hands them his phone. Bearded guy walks through the back section. Tom and Jerry get ready to make their move. Lady Terrace from up, you know, further up in the plane. She sees him. She yells out, no. First dude smashes bearded guy with the sock or whatever. Second guy puts a cord around his neck. Uh, they, they grab his wrist, like knock it against the wall, trying to get the, him to drop the gun. It hits the ground and goes off. So the uh, boss man turns when he hears the shot. They wrestled bearded guy. Uh, to the floor he's like reaching for the gun someone kicks it away one of the pastor then uh marcus terry that guy he comes up running and yells people sit down face forward and the first guy's like where's the gun then sam's there he sees it and he picks it up and he slowly points it to boss man's head and then he turns it like sideways and he hands it to him and he's like like i said i just want to get home so he could have shot him but maybe he's like, that wouldn't work because there's too many other people. You know, people are going to get hurt or, or whatever. Detective Daniel's walking down the street. He, he gets a call. So this lady, she's like, 7 a.m. is way too early to get a call from someone you haven't seen in about, what, five years? He's like, oh, I'm sorry. It, he, she's an, his ex or an, an ex or something like that. He said, I just need one favor. She's like, well, make it quick. You know, she's, she's about to leave for work. She's just getting a coffee. He says that his his girlfriend's ex is on a plane to London from Dubai. He messaged her that there was an incident on board, and she's like, "What are you asking me?" He's like, uh, "To check if it's if it's okay. You know, there must be someone you work with who." She's like, "Yeah." She's like, "It's not a counterterrorism issue, Daniel." He's like, "Well, it might be." He's like, "Please, I told her I'd try." She's like, "All right, an issue on board." He's like, "An incident." He, then he told her how much he loves her and that he'll always love her. It's, it's the way he said it. You know, he wouldn't have said it unless it unless it was serious. She's like, all right, what's the flight number? So Tom and Jerry, they get like zip tied in the galley. Lady demands ties from two dudes. Uh, then she asks a flight attendant for ice for some reason. And then she, she, but she says it's not for her. So I don't know what, what she's doing with the ice. Then she points a gun to the first guy's head. And she's like, 
whose idea was it to start this poop? And then she points it to the second guy. Then the first guy's like, it was mine. So she points it back at the first guy and then poosh, hits the second guy with the gun. <laughs> and she's like, maybe next time, you know, don't, you know, whatever. So then this, uh, this another guy, another dude brings Sam back to his seat and another terrorist dude. He's like, no one's interested in your BS. And then he, uh, Sam looks at the dude next to him and then the dude closes his privacy blind, you know, the guy on the phone because he's, he's like, you're a traitor, man. Uh, then we see this lady, I think her name is Alice. She's trying to get her kid ready so they can leave the house to go to school or something like that. So it's like, wait, who is this lady now? Um, she calls someone like, uh, at first I thought it was someone named Simon. I thought it was her ex, but it's actually her boss. So she's like, she's five minutes late. And they're like, oh, five minutes. Well, I've heard this before. And, you know, she's saying stuff or like whatever. Uh, the flight attendant reads final warning to passengers, stay in your seat. Her next uh, thing, next move will be fatal. Sam writes a note on, on, for the boss man. And he's going to be kind of like eyeing Sam. He's like walking around. The note says, pilot is a problem. Daniel's ex calls air traffic control about the plane. You know, can they contact the plane? And the guy he's speaking to is like, anyone can, you know, with the Wi-Fi. And she's like, well, the wi- that's the thing. The Wi-Fi is down. So I think she's talking to Simon. I, I think, yeah. And the guy's like, well, you know, we can try to Dubai ATC, air traffic control. Dubai guy is uh, about to go home. And then he hears another guy talking and saying, yeah, it was a false alarm. So then the dude asks, he's like, was that about the flight? And they're, they're like, yeah, it was British calling. So now Dubai guy, as I'm calling him, he starts wondering, his co-workers, he's, he's like, but you talked to the pilot. And then he's like, well, what if he was wrong? Or what if he was lying? And his, the other guy's like, why would he lie? And Dubai guy's like, well, maybe someone was making him lie. Or maybe he was threatened. So he's starting to think something's going on. Sam's like, you've got to get him out of there. He's like, look, you've got everyone where you want them except for him. He doesn't have to be in there anyways. Everyone knows that the pilots just do takeoffs and the landings. So the rest is on autopilot. And Bossman's like, so? And Sam's like, so? He could be taking us anywhere. Daniel's friend is told that Dubai contacted the pilot and it's confirmed that it'd be a false alarm. Sam is returned to his seat. More people are staring at him, you know, from the more stairs from the first class passengers. Bossman tells the pilot that he wants um, he wants it on pilot, on autopilot, and the pilot's like, "It is," and he's like, "Show me." He's like, he points something. He's like, "Explain it to me, whatever." Uh, so he like says, "Blah blah 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 blah," this and that, whatever. And then Bossman's like, "So you don't have to touch anything now?" And the pilot's like, "No, not until an hour before Heathrow." So Bossman's thinking about it. The by guy talks to one of the guards. He usually wants to talk. To, he wants to see the camera footage. So he's like, "Well, all I got to do is ask." The, this one glaring lady in first class, you know, she's told to move, and the guy like guides her by the arm, and she comes playing. She's like, "Ow, my arm! Let go of my arm! Ow!" And then the, the late guy, when she's brought to the little back section, he's like, "Hey, she's doing what you're asking." And then uh, she sees that Tom and Jerry were tied up and gagged, you know, with with the ties. This guy tells Marcus Terry to stay there. People start asking her, like, what's going on up there? And then she's like, a man up there has gone over to their side. He just betrayed us all to help himself. That's what's happening. So she's basically a Karen. Pilot is um, put in her seat. Uh, Other first class passengers are looking like, what's going on? Sam just puts on his headphone. Boss man's like stares at him like, okay, you know, what's he up to? Because he's not sure if he, you know, can trust him or not. And then uh, Sam just like turns on like a game, mobile game, just like on the, the, the screen, you know, the, the seat screen. And there's an option 
to chat with your opponent. Kai and his mom are talking. So again, I think pretty sure her name is Marsha. Um, she says that, you know, she's like, well, we just have to go on. Everything's fine. And, you know, that's what your father would want. So she has to go on with her day. She's like, today's an important day for me. So she tells guy Kai, if anything changes, you know, they'll call or text. She heads out. And then, you know, she's like out in the hallway or something like that. And Daniel calls with what he's learned. Kai like opens the door. He's like listening. And she's like, see, this is the problem. This is the man I'm dealing with. This is what, what Sam's like. You know, this is what he'll always be like. And Daniel's blah, 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 blah. He's like, yeah, but the thing is, you know, he's okay. So, and then, you know, she tells Kai. So the nosy Karen talks about, you know, the gun going off in business class. And, you know, that's all she heard. And then there was a fight and, you know, two guys try to, you know, take them on. And she says when they brought her back here, you know, she, she saw them, whatever. She's like, she wants to know, you know, what they're doing, you know. And then this one annoying mom that, you know, she has like kids and they're loud and everything like that. She's getting in the face of some other customers. She's like, so what did you do then? And she, uh, Karen's like looking at her. She's like, come on, you must have done something. And this other pastor is like, like, don't talk to her like that. And the mom's like, well, think about it. They put her here for a reason. Then, uh, you know, the Karen's just like looks at her like appalled. It's like, like, what what are you, you know, referring to or whatever. Sam's uh, trying to send a chat request to where the pilot's sitting. And then challenge accepted. Dubai guy watches the TSA footage. The uh, lady running the footage. She's like, oh, it looks all pretty normal. And then we see like boss man walk through or whatever. So the, the lady, the TSA lady that left, her name's Neela. Then we see where she gets a call and she like kind of turns away. And then she gets up and leaves. So then uh, Dubai guy's like, wait, what's, what's this? Was this the end of her shift? Or like, I don't know. And he's like, well, did anyone ask? So I'm not sure if she was in it because obviously they they got through with guns. So was she in on it? Is that why she? Because I wasn't sure why she left and why are they showing us this? Sam types anything. He's like, "What does ground know?" The pilot types in nothing yet. So uh, Alice, what are, the one lady that was running late, she drops her kid off at school. Um, Dubai guy is driving he's like talking to i think his girlfriend maybe about making you know, going out for dinner or something like that then he gets a call from security they're like yeah your friend neela did leave work early um because their their kids she invited his kid to a birthday party or something like that whatever that's why they're friends and she said that she was sick and he's like well she didn't seem very sick the pilot types on a thing iraqi atc will contact plane uh, but get no reply because there's no one in the cockpit and sam types so what will happen and then the pilot's like, they will contact Iraqi military. So Sam looks at the flight map to see how close they are to Iraq. Baghdad control, um, air traffic control starts calling the plane. And the boss man comes up. And then Sam gets up. He's like, we need to answer that. If it's air traffic control, we need to answer that now. This other dude's like, sit down. And Sam you know, points to the pilot. It's like, he needs to answer that. Him. This is absolutely needs to happen. Then his, uh, his seat neighbor or whatever, he's like, is he right? And the pilot like kind of shakes his head. And Sam's like, no, he's lying. And then the seat neighbor, he's like, how do you know? And Sam's like, listen to what I'm saying. He wants the ground to know something's wrong because he thinks this is going to stop, but it's actually going to make it a lot worse. So it's almost like, wait, Sam, are you like kind of throwing the pilot under the bus? Or is that right? So then boss man tells, tells the lady that, to get the co-pilot. And Sam's like, they won't speak to her. They'll need to speak to the captain. If they think something's wrong, they'll scramble the jets. And if they do that, they'll shoot us down. So the radio is like, we need identification. Identification. Co-pilot answers, and they're like, what's going on? We we tried five times, and she's like, we're here now. 
they're like, are you the captain? And she like looks back. The lady's like holding a gun to her. And she's like, yes. So the, the guy in uh, the air traffic control pulls up the flight records. And you see a picture of the dude. He's like, you're the pilot. You are Robin Allen. He's like, I must speak to Captain Allen. She's like, uh, he's away from the cockpit. Then the, the guy's like, then why did you say you are, were the captain? And he's like, I must speak to Captain Allen now for security purposes. So Sam's, you know, he's starts fussing with like a pilot seat, you know, trying to get his seatbelt off, and and he's like trying to stop and everything like that. Pilot's like, it's only going to make things worse, whatever. Then he's he's like, I'm not moving. And Sam tells the the neighbor, he's like, get the flight attendant. And then he, he like he shakes his head. He's like, I'm not doing anything. So then Sam grabs her, uh, Carol Collette, whatever her name is, and he's like, look here, right now. He's like, don't you know, don't make me do this. The other um, guy, like the number two guy, whatever, he's just like pointing a gun at them. He's like what is going on here? Cause they're like, this isn't their scenario. So then the pilot's like, all right. And then he kind of eyes Sam as he gets up. So it's like, is he mad at him? So he goes in, talks to them. So they're like, okay, what is your date of birth? You know, for, for whatever security confirmation. So, you know, then he asks them to confirm that they're safe. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I just nipped out to the bathroom for a minute. So then the guy's like, then where was a co-pilot? And the pilot's like, well, we've been having a lot of radio problems. So Sam says to boss man, he's like, so you've hijacked a plane and no one knows about it down there. Not one person knows there's a thing about, you know, knows a thing about this that represents success. So the, then the, the pilot's done talking. So the other, the number two guys like, okay, let's go. So as he gets up, then he turns a dial, you know, right before he, he walks out of the, the cockpit, the other guy doesn't see him and he, he changes it three degrees. Is that the name? That's the name of the episode. So then Alice, whatever, goes to work. You know, she's late and Simon's like, what happened to five minutes or something like that? And so she works at air traffic control. And so she's updated about what she missed. They're also told about the plane, Kingdom, whatever, 229. It's a false alarm after incident was reported. And she's like, wait, how's that work? It's like a false alarm. She talks to Simon, who, who took the, the call, her boss. And he says that, you know, he got a call in Dubai, already had a call. And then she's like, wait, that's two calls. Because they got a call from Daniel's ex. And then the Dubai got a call about this or whatever. So she thinks that that's really weird. So she's like, someone on board calls the UK and manages to get a message to them via counterterrorism of all people. But the passenger who's done that, uh, who's, who's like, who's, who's going to go to all that trouble? They've And they've also got it wrong. So then a lady next to Alice, she's like, well, maybe they've dealt with it. And Alice is like, but then, you know, why didn't the second caller say that too? You know, if it's all fixed, why didn't the second caller send any more messages? So Simon's like, uh, because for some reason the Wi-Fi is down. And she's like, oh, for some reason the Wi-Fi is down. So now Simon's kind of thinking like, huh. Then she's like, something smells dodgy. So Dubai, the Dubai guy calls Neela. Uh, and then, uh, then it cuts to Simon's talking to Baghdad, air traffic control. The guy says that, yeah, they weren't responding. They tried many times. So Alice tells Simon to ask for, to share their screens. So they, they see the flight path. They ask if that's a standard route. And then Alice asks, he's like, and that other line? She's like, ask them to go closer. So they like zoom in. And you see that there's like, you know, this other line. She's like, behind a plane. She's like, that's a deviation, no? So Sam goes to the game again. So the pilot wrote, your plan worked. So the pilot was in on this and Sam types, you changed the heading. And then he like kind of looks at him. He like gives him a little nod. 
So he changed the playing to go off course. So this other guy at, at working with Alice at the ATC, he's like, it's a message. He's like, that's the plane trying to tell you something. Alice's like, yeah, I agree. She's like, I don't, but I don't get it. And the guy's like, before 9-11, planes often veered off course. Now it's tightly monitored. If anything, it's a way to signal that there's a problem. And she's like, yes, if you're not able to signal it verbally. Then her coworker's like, are you sure it's not just the weather blowing it off course? And the guy's like, it's too straight of a line. It's a three degree shift. You know, it's meant to be at 320 degrees. Something's changed it to 323. Then Alice's like, so something has happened to Kingdom 29 and someone is calling for help. So Dubai guy arrives at Neela's. Her apartment door is like open. There's a couple guys in there. They're like in like work suits, like, you know, uh, jumpsuits or whatever, like blue suits. And like one guy's, you know, they're cleaning vacuums on or whatever. And Dubai guy's like, I'm looking for Neela. And the one guy, you know, they turn off the vacuum. He's like, oh, they're all upstairs. Then he's, uh, Dubai guy's like, and who are you? He's like, we're the cleaners, pal. Professional cleaners. They're moving out next week. He's like, want me to go up and tell them you're here? Dubai guy's like, no, no, thank you. He's like, I, I will go. And he calls up. He's like, Neela. And the guy's like, yeah, down at the hall, the end of the hall or something like that. So then the guy tells the other to turn on the vacuum, closes the, the, the front door. Dubai guy looks, goes around the bedroom, goes in the bathroom, blood in the shower curtain. He sees Neela and her husband are in the bathtub. Maybe the kid too, I'm assuming. We don't see that. Then, uh, then the guy is behind him. He's like, do me a favor and take a step back. And then he's like, bathroom's easier to clean. Dubai guy tries to jump at him. He falls back, dead. So, <laughs> what the heck is going on? So, Neela, I don't even know what she, if she was involved with it. If she, was she paid off? Was she, you know, told to let them through? Did she? Because I didn't see that. And I really don't want to go back and try to watch it again, that one scene. So, she's dead. Her husband's dead. Kid's dead. Dubai guy, who was on it, he, like, realized, he, was, he figured out something was wrong. He's dead. Oh. But, yeah. So what what is Sam's deal? He obviously he's he's not working with them. So he's he's you know he's he's on it. He's trying to you know figure something out. So that was the first two episodes. Apple TV Plus. Okay, then with uh, Secret Invasion. Oh, I, I forgot to mention it in news. So one of the things that so obviously spoilers. Um, I'm assuming you either watched the first episode or listened last week. So um, where it left off with uh, Maria Hill. Because, you know, the thing is, is she really dead? Or is she going to turn into a scroll? Because like, there was blood. How long does it take for the, the body to revert? We saw the, the dude at the, the art dealer place, whatever. He changed pretty quickly. She doesn't change. We don't see her change. And Colby Smolders has, like, done interviews talking about her, reflecting on the character and everything. And she even said that, you know, she was surprised that it didn't leak out. She's like, I've known about this for years. So she's like, you know, it's, it's pr- pretty cool that, you know, people respect that, you know, that didn't spoil anything, that no images were, you know, snuck out or anything like that. So it looks like she's gone, which, which sucks. But I guess it's supposed to make it more real, you know, but I, I just think it's dumb. With uh, episode two, Promises, it starts in 1995, where we see young Nick Fury. He's like, I'm Nick Fury. I've been writing a desk the past six years trying to figure out where our future enemies are coming from. So there's flashback to Captain Marvel. Like, you know, he's got this badge, official shield business. We see um, where he's in a car with Coulson, who's dead. Turns out to be a scroll. Then he's talking to Carol. And then he's talking to this other dude. You know, it's like, like you're saying this 
thing look like Coulson, Fury's like, talk like him too. So then Talos is like, you know, shapeshifters, can't trust anyone. And he's like, not even our own men. Then Talos in the scroll form, he's like, now I stand before you as my true self without deception. He's like, I just want to talk. He's like, many people lived as, or he's like, my people lived as refugees, homeless. And then we see Talos reunited with Soren on the ship. Monica's mom, you know, says that, you know, they won't be safe there. They need their own home. Then it cuts to 1997, Brixton, London. We see a bunch of scrolls gathered. Nyx uh, meets with a scroll, Vara, and she wants him to meet Gravik. So we see like young Gravik. So his head's like hanging down, whatever. He won't look at look Fury in the eyes. And Fury, you know, tries to put his arms on his shoulder, and he like moves back. Vara like steps to the side, tells Fury that his parents were killed in the last stand against the Kree, and he escaped from behind enemy lines. He piloted a ship all on his own. She's like, he's smart, Fury. He knows how to survive. She's like, we could use someone like him. And Fury's like, he's a child. And she's like, only the human eyes. She's like, just talk to him. So Fury sighs. He goes up to him. He's like, Gravik. He's like, sorry to, to hear about your parents. And Gravik's like, they died a brilliant death. And Fury's like, I'm sure they did. He's like, this work here, you know it's very dangerous. And, and Gravik like, lifts his head up so you know, they're making eye contact. He's like, I'm not afraid. And Fury's like, I can see you're not. Then he puts his hands on his shoulders and they like touch foreheads because I guess that's like the scroll thing, whatever. Then Talos speaks. He's like, I want to thank you all for joining me. He's like, I know it's been a, a rough journey. We went looking for home, found nothing but violence and hate. All of us have lost someone or everyone and our entire species is scattered across the galaxy. But for those, enough, those of you who have braved the journey here to Earth, you did so for one reason. This man, he points to, to Fury. So this is like a little later. He's like, this man that I trust. He's like, you know, I don't use that word lightly. And Nick's like, thank you, Talos. He's like, my friends, ever since I, let me rephrase that. Almost ever since I met Talos, I believe that humans and scrolls can help each other out. He's like, that the world is facing a serious threat and I could use your help. It would mean putting on a new face and keeping it. This is the promise. While you work to keep my home safe, Carol Danvers and I will find you a new one. So who will be the first to take the pledge? Soren steps forward and changes to human. And he's like, thank you, Soren. He's like, you have a courageous mother, Gaia. Gaia's there as a little girl. A uh, little squirrel girl. And others start stepping forward and changing to human. And then Nick's like, you keep your word and I'll keep mine. So then the present, chaos at the square... Gravik walks away. Gaia sees Fury. I think she looks at him like bending over Maria. She's laying on the ground. And then Gaia's like walking next to Gravik. So they get into like the station wagon. Fury gets grabbed and thrown into a van. He's like, so he's like arrested. But then the, the guy that threw him in there is Talos. Because this other dude gets like thrown on a, on a hood of a car. He gets put in a van too. Separate van. So then on a train, the train's going from Moscow to Warsaw. Some Russian soldiers are knocking on train cars. This woman opens her compartment. They're like, yeah, we're looking for it in Russian. They're like, we're looking for a black American. And she's like, hey, black American on a train from Moscow to Warsaw? It's like, it'd be likelier to encounter aliens. And then she kind of flirts a little, whatever, closes the compartment door, turns into Talos. And he's like, they're gone. So Fury's like wearing a hat and glasses. And then he asks if, if he's heard from he has Talos if he's heard from Gaia yet. And he's like, nope. Fury talks about how he and his mama used to take trains when they were a kid. He's like, nowhere near this elegant. You know, coming out of Alabama, they always had to ride in a colored car. 
He's like, it was hot, it was sweaty, the bathroom didn't work half the time. He's like, we couldn't go in the dining car, so we brought food in the shoebox. And he's like, the fr- chicken would be gone, you know, right away before, you know, before you leaving the station or whatever. So like, they'd make up games on a long ride. He's like, tell me something I don't know. He's like, that was one of her favorites. So then he's like, one time she said, tell me something I don't know about you and Susie. So then he's like, me and Susie had a standing game of doctor that we'd been playing behind old man Jackson's barn. Suffice it to say, I wasn't about to tell her about that. So I made up something crazy like me and Susie saw a bullfrog with polka dots. He's like, my mama would just smile. And even though I lied through my teeth, the mere fact that I did that told her everything she needed to know about me and Susie. Then he's like, so you want to go a few rounds? And Tal's like, sure. Tell me something I don't know about the destruction of Skrullos. And Tal's like, you know everything there is to know about it. And Fury's like, name of the game is tell me something I don't know. So Talos is like, we were overpowered by the Kree. We held them off for as long as we could. When we couldn't hold them off any longer, the million of us were, that were left, we fled. And Nick's like, interesting. Tell me something I don't know about the scrolls that fled. And Talos is like, they're here. And Nick's like, who's here? Talos is like, all of us. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're telling me there's a million scrolls walking amongst us right now? Have you lost your reptilian-ass mind? And Talos is like, I sent out the call, and every scroll that isn't in Emperor Drogue's colony, they answered. You lied to me? And he's like, hey, we were being hunted across the universe. I had two choices. I could let my people be annihilated or summon them here to Earth. What would you have had me done? He's like, this ain't about me. He's like, oh, right. But you're fine using us as your spies and your errand boys as long as it's on your terms. And Nick's like, the host gets to set the terms of the visitation. And then Tal's like, and what happens when the, the host disappears, huh? Because you were gone, and I didn't think you were coming back. I really didn't. And even when you did come back, there was no talking to you about anything real. Your boots hit earth, and it's like, oh, it's too heavy here, man. I got to go up to my space station. You've been up there for years. And he's like, you knew how to get in touch with me, Talos, and you didn't because you didn't want me to know. And Talos is like, my hope, my, my hope that with your help, scrolls and humans can coexist here on Earth. And Nick's like, humans can't coexist with each other. You've been here long enough to know that. We've been at war with each other since we could walk upright. This is, there isn't enough room or tolerance on this planet for another species. Matter of fact, neither is this train compartment. I think this is your stop. So he makes him get off the train. So he gets out, changes back into the woman that he was before. Fury just sits, puts his head on his hands. He's like exasperated. So there's a million scrolls on Earth. In London, a casket is taken out of a van. American flag is, is draped over it, lifted by soldiers onto a plane. There's this, some woman mourning. And then she heads over when Fury starts walking up. He's like, Elizabeth. And she's like, were you there? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, shakes her head and asks, like, how did it happen? He's like, it happened quickly. And she's like, don't you be one of those bastards who gives me a platitude when I'm looking for the truth. He's like, that one over there, he, you know what he told me? He told me that my nation owes me a debt of gratitude, but he won't even tell me where on planet Earth my daughter was killed. So this is uh, Maria's mom. So apparently facts are not included in that debt I'm owed. So Nick's like looking at her. Then he's like, she died in Moscow. We were there trying to stop an attack. Someone set a trap. And she's like, for her? No, for me. Someone wanted to hurt me, so they hurt her. And she's like, oh. 
So you're the reason I'm taking my daughter back home in a box. He just kind of bows his head and whispers. He's like, I'm sorry. He's like, I couldn't protect her, Elizabeth. And she like shakes her head. She's like, you're Nick Fury. Maria believed in you. She would have followed you to the gates of hell and back. And she sighs. And she's like, look, I don't know what Maria died for out there. But whatever it was, don't let it be for nothing. And she walks away. So news talks about several bombings exploding at an annual celebration in Moscow, killing at least 2,000 uh, civilians. There's one suspect in custody, Martin Wallace. He's identified as leading as a leading member of an online fringe group, Americans Against Russia. UK Prime Minister quickly denounced the attack. NATO Secretary General uh, Sergio Caspani says that they're acting swiftly to gather intel on the bombing. Um, it looks like Russia is getting ready to retaliate over what seems to be an all-out declaration of war by Americans. So it's like what the scrolls wanted is, is working. Uh, Gaia is driving with Gravik, and she's like, how did you know Fury would be there? And he's like, I didn't. Not to a certainty, but I hoped. I wanted to see how much of him was left. And she's like, and? He's just vapors. Old, you know? He's like, I could have killed him if I wanted to. He's like, but you don't punish a man by giving him what he wants. So he's like, you just get me to the council meeting. He's like, I want to see their faces while Moscow is still burning. So they arrive at this place. Guy is told that she's not allowed in the like the little room, back room. She's like, that's not happening. Gravik like takes out his, gives her a gun. He's like, if I'm not an hour, in an hour, he's like, shoot him in the head. The guy standing at the door. Inside, he greets the council. One guy's like, he's like, oh, you must not have gotten a memo, uh, and you know, about appropriate attire. And Gravik's like. Well, I also didn't get a formal invitation, Mr. Secretary General. So the Secretary General of NATO is a scroll. And he's like, and I'm sure it was just a curious oversight. So the Madam Prime Minister, she's a scroll too. So this other lady, Shirley, I don't know what, where she's from. She's like, they're pleased to see him. She's like, please sit. And he's like, I see you all dressed up in a man's finery, drinking the man's wine, playing the man's game, using a man's fork and knife. So NATO dude's like, better to behave as a human than, than as a dog. And, and uh, Gravik's like, well, I quite like dogs, in fact. He's like, I prefer them. Dogs aren't hypocrites, and they don't lie, and they don't lock each other up in cages, and they don't pimp poison, and they don't go out of their way to degrade and destroy their own habitat. So the Secretary General's like, a naive reading of human history. And Gravik's like, it's the only reading of human history. And so then he's like, are you done? The Prime Minister suggests they get on with what they came here for. Shirley says that the attacks across the globe, most recently in Moscow, severely undermine the stability that the Council seeks to preserve. The purpose of tonight is to determine what punishment, if any, should be meted out on an individual who has imperiled us all. She's like, you murdered over 2,000 innocent human children, and yet you don't seem remotely re remorseful. So another one asks, like, you know, what the heck gives him the right to disobey his counsel. And he's like, what gives me the right? And he starts speaking in the scroll language. He's like, Fury promised all of us. He's like, we were there. We all heard it. You keep your word, I'll keep mine. But that never happened. He's like, no, Fury abandoned us. The humans cast us aside. He's like, I promise you, Earth will be our home because I will take it. Then in English, he's like, I think it's a war. He's like, I think it's a war. And he pounds his fists on the table. He's like, hmm? He's like, and unlike the last war each of us around his table fought in, I'm not going to lose this one. Humans are doomed to self-destruction long before we arrived on this planet. They were destined to consume themselves. So for anyone flinching at the thought of innocent death, let me assure you that we're only hastening the inevitable. Sergio, the NATO guy, says like, and what happens if the Avengers return? 
And Gravis like, you don't think I thought about that? Put your faith in me, and I promise your loyalty will be repaid. He's like, well, Madam Prime Minister? She's like, we need to streamline our chain of command. Democracy is fine for peacetime, but whilst at war, we need a single commander whose war power is total and unchecked. Shirley's like, my God. And then Prime Minister's like, therefore, I nominate Gravik to the post of Skrull General. Sergio calls, like, you're a traitor. You were in on this with him the entire time. She tells Sergio to seat himself down. She's like, I'm not done yet. And then he's like, who do you think you're talking to? I am the commander of NATO. I can mobilize a million troops to the snap of a... And grunts. The big dude, like, karate chopped him in the throat. <laughs> he's like, shall I remove him, madam? She's like, oh, I don't think he'll be any more trouble. All those in favor of Gravik as our new general will submit. So she stands and she changes the scroll. Others do too, like one at a time, including Sergio. Shirley is still seated. She's like, I fear each one of you has forgotten our history. We did not end up homeless refugees because we were unwilling to wage war. We ended up homeless refugees because we were too willing. I do not support your coup and I will not support your war. And I do not submit. Gravik's like, if I had another hundred like you, I could take on the universe. You go in peace, sister. You will not be harmed. She gets up slowly. And then Gaia gets up when, when she leaves and she like looks inside. Then outside, Shirley calls Talos and tells him that the council voted Gravik as her general. Um, he has control of her people and her future. And she's like, is there anything she can do? And Talos is, Talos is like, yeah. It's like, set up a meeting between me and Gravik. Public place. And she's like, Talos, he will kill you. He has changed. And Talos is like, so have I. You know, Soren's dead. Just tell him I want to talk to him about my daughter. And Gravik walks out of the room. Guy hands him his gun back. Back at New Skrullos, the whatever place, people cheer as he walks in. Guy just observes from a distance. And then she starts following Pagan. He goes into this lab section. And there's this lady, Rosa, I think her name was. She's at this microscope or whatever. And, and says, like, oh, you don't have it? And he's like, Harvest wasn't there. Then she's like, then it's back to scavenging. Our DNA section remains extremely limited. He's like, I'll send out teams. And she's like, I was told this phase would be over. And he's like, so was I. Gravik has given me multiple locations for the harvest. All of them empty. Our fearless leader isn't always right. And she's like, perhaps I misheard you? And he's like, do you need anything else? She's like, your absence. So she's like, basically, get out. So guy keeps spying. The lady sticks like a vial of something, DNA or whatever, into a machine and has this other dude like flip a switch and this like big bright light goes on. So uh, DNA, who, what, what DNA are they looking for? What are they harvesting? This is not going to be good. Uh, news reporters talking about the growing concern. Washington has been all but like commanded to account for itself. You know, so there's this emergency summit in London. So Rhodey is being questioned by a panel. Uh, they're like, Colonel, are you denying that two of your citizens, a Mick, Mr. Nicholas Fury and Miss Maria Hill, were present in Moscow at the scene of the attacks? The chair next to him is empty. He's like, Rhodey's like, says, we are aware of allegations that Mr. Fury and Miss Hill may have traveled to Moscow, which, if true, would have been in their capacity as private citizens. So then this other dude from Italy is like, if the photos they have are, are they confirmation of fact? And Rhodey chuckles. He's like, respectfully, Prime Minister, I can't take the authenticity of Russian-supplied photos at face value. However, I will be more than happy to have them analyzed at our facilities at Langley. This woman from Slovakia, like, scoffs at his remark. And he just, like, you know, looks at her. 
So then uh, France asks, how does he explain Mr. Fury's presence in Moscow? And then he's like, uh, alleged, alleged presence, madam. Gets another scoff from Slovakia. He covers a mic and says to like some lady, that his aide or something like that. He's like, if Slovakia rolls its eyes at me one more time, I'm going to put on a suit and carpet bomb him. So then uh, this lady, Pamela from the UK, asks, why is he here? Because they're like, you know, you are not head of state. Surely President Ritson is aware of the seriousness with which his international partners regard this allegation. Rody's like, well, I'm here as a courtesy, Madam Prime Minister. President Ritson has a pretty busy day job running the most powerful country and military in the face of the, of the planet. He doesn't just hop to when summoned, not by France, not by Italy, not by the UK. Now, while we are sensitive to your concerns, until such time as you can present an actual shred of evidence to back up those concerns, I'm afraid sensitivity is all you're going to be getting from us. All right. So outside the, the room as he's walking, you know, in a like big, you know, lobby or whatever, he gets a call. It's Fury. Nice suit, Armani. Rody sighs. He's like, Briani. And, and he like whispers, it's Fury. to like Secret Service. They start like looking around. And Fury's like, pretty expensive for a government salary. He's like, yeah, well, my other suit's made of titanium, so this actually constitutes considerable savings. And Nick's like, we have to meet ASAP. And Rody's like, great, tell you what, let me just finish mopping up this globe-sized bucket of steaming hot caca you tipped over yesterday, and then we can get a drink. Sound good? Nick's like, you sound frustrated. What's the matter? Croatia talking about, or talking crap? And he's like, Slovakia. And Nick's like, well, carpet bomb their ass. So it's like, what, did he hear the whole thing? So Rody's just like, Burner's Tavern, one o'clock. He's like, do me a favor and try not to pop off a nuclear holocaust before you get there. So Fury enters a tavern. He gets frisked by Secret Service. Place is empty, so there's no one else in there. Fury sits. Rody's already got a drink um, waiting for him. And F Nick's like, should I be worried about poison? Rody's like, you should be worried about spending the rest of your days in the Siberian retirement community. He's like, don't let the relaxed ambiance fool you. I'm this close to handing your ass over f to the Russians. And Nick's like, forgetting your rank here, Colonel Rhodes? He's like, you do not want to be playing mine is bigger than yours with job tiles right now, Fury. Trust me, I'm the last friend you've got. And Nick's like, are the Russians really trying to pin this on me? He's like, your face is all over CCTV footage. He's like, I was there trying to stop the attack. He's like, oh, well, excellent job by that, by the way. 2,000 dead so far? Number will probably triple once they clear all the rubble. Meaning, you not only set the stage for World War III, but you simultaneously flip all of our allies to Team Russia. Security dude brings in a couple more drinks. Fury asks, how well do you know your security detail? And Rhodey's like, I know they're catching bullets first if I get shot at. He's like, what do you mean, how, how much do I know about them? And Nick's like, what if I told you they were all spies? And he's like, spies for who? The Russians? Well, not state actors. You know, global reach, borderless operations. And Rody's like, Hydra? He's like, yeah, if Hydra was a bunch of green guys who could shapeshift into your daddy. Then it's just like silence. Viri chuckles and he sits back. How long have you known about them? And Rody's like, about 15 years ago, I was part of an eyes only top secret presentation. It was about a shape-shifting alien species that had sent a few of its ships crashing to Earth. The Pentagon was concerned that they might get into their heads to invade us one day from the inside. And Nick's like, that invasion is real. It's happened. And Rhodey's like, that's, that's not possible. 
And Nick's like, yeah, that's what I thought too, but it's true. And here's the crazy part. We're being invaded and we can't even tell who the invaders are. Moscow was just the beginning. Rhodey's like, maybe we should call our friends. And Nick's like, no, 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 no. He's like, we can't jump the gun on that. You know, we get them in a fight with the scrolls. Next thing you know, they find themselves duplicated and turn into terrorists. It's like, this is my war, Rhodey. I need you to back me on this. Rhodey sighs. He's like, I, I can't do it. He says, Ain't no can't in our business. There's only what you can do and what you will not do. And Rhodey's like, you're right. I should have said I'm not doing it. I just spent all the political cap- capital I have in getting Maria Hill's body back from the Russians. Nick's like, are you really talking to me about politics right now? Rhodey's like, I'm here as an envoy of United States government, Fury. The job is political. I remember when your job was protecting the planet. Fury says that, you know, he's he's helped them get the seat at the table. They owe each other or whatever. And he's like, you know, men like them don't get powers from their, you know, from who their daddy knows. So, you know, they're talking about basically race stuff. And he's saying, you know, all the, the Alexander Pierce's of the world, you know, they get what they want or something like that. So he's like, so how about you help a brother out? Security dude comes up and he's like, the car is outside, Colonel. Fury's like, Colonel Rhodes will let you know when he's ready to leave. And Rhodey's like, the car's for you, Fury. They'll escort you outside. You're going to go to the airport. Then he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know I had travel plans. And Rhodey's like, I made them on your behalf. Have you even listened to a word that I've said? And Rhodey's like, yeah, I have. The world is on the line. The enemy's a million times more dangerous than Hydra, but they can only be vanquished by you alone. And you want me to make... The power means something by helping a brother out, but you should know better than most. The reason we wrestled this power from mediocre men who don't look like us was not simply to turn around and hand it to mediocre men who do. So he basically just called Nick Fury mediocre. He's like, the point of this power is to be uncompromising and to be able to sit across from a man we greatly admire with whom we share an entire professional, personal, ancestral history with and to tell him without any reservation that he's fired. And that's what this moment right here, right now, is about, Nick. Nick, like, scoffs and he chuckles. They sent you to fire me? And Rhodey's like, nobody sent me. I volunteered. And not just to put too fine a point on this, but that mess that you created in Moscow that resulted in getting one of our best people murdered? You earned all this smoke, brother. The security dude tries helping Nick up. He pulls his arm away as, as he gets up. Rhodey raises his glass you know, to him. Security dude tries shoving him. He's like, move. And Nick grabs and twists his arm behind his back. He's like, are you seriously under the impression that just because you stripped me of my titles, I relinquish my DNA? And he pulls out the dude's gun. And Rhodey's like, careful, Fury. And he, like, you hear like a snap. So he broke, snaps the guy's wrist or finger or something like that. Rhodey's like, shakes his head. Fury unloads the gun, like sets it on the table, and he puts on his hat. Rhodey's like, and you wonder why you're out. Nick leans even closer to Rhodey. He's like, I'm Nick Fury. Even when I'm out, I'm in. And he walks out. Then he goes around and he like, it's like wheezing and he sits on a park bench. <laughs> so he's not doing so so great. That, that took a lot out of him, I guess. So uh, Sonia, the MI6, she enters this butcher shop. And the butcher comes out from the back in the Russian. He's like, that door was locked. In English, she's like, yes, and now that door is unlocked. What does that tell you about me and doors? He's like, who are you? She's like, I am above your pay grade. Where is he? So she walks through the door to the back, picks up like some like clippers, like scissor clippers, trimmers, things, walks into like this walk-in freezer. There's a dude chained to a chair. Several other dudes are standing around. The one in Russian is like, this one won't talk. The other guy yells in his face, 
where is your safe house? Speak. And then she's like, didn't your mother ever warn you that you could lose an eye by beating your meat like that? Ha ha ha. He's like, sarcastically, he's like, what are you doing here? She's like, oh, I'm taking over. She hands him her phone. And he's like, hello? Of course, sir. And he like orders all his guys out. He's like, I've thrown everything at him and he hasn't said a word. What makes you think that you can get him to speak? She's like, oh, I can be quite persuasive. Uh, oh, before I forget, where is the escape hatch in this dump? He's like, why do you need to know that? Oh, just a hunch. So he points to the floor. She's like, oh, wonderful. Make yourself scarce. So he like grabs his coat and like smacks the guy in the back of the head. And then she puts like a bar over like, like or this hook on the back of the door to like barricade them inside. She's like, alone at last now. Shall we do this the easy way or the other way? And he's like, I'm going to break these chains and I'm going to break every bone in your body. So she chuckles. The other way it is. She picks up the scissors, the, the whatever things, cuts off his like index finger on his right hand. He like screams and grunts. And then she stares at the finger and then it turns green. She's like, well, now that that's confirmed, let's party, shall we? So he's a scroll. Guy goes his computer. She looks up Rosa Dalton, like she's in this conference room. Then she looks up like DNA that she has in files, like something like that, maybe. What comes up is Groot. So they have Groot DNA, Frost Beast, Cull Obsidian. So that's that's the, the Thanos dude whose hand got chopped off in a portal. And was it Endgame? Infinity, whatever, you know. Then there's like ex Extremis, and then Gravit comes in. He's like, What are you doing here? She managed to change the screen, whatever. She says that she's checking out the progress of their newest recruit, Beto. She's like, he'll be ready for a face before long. He's loyal. And he's like, loyal. You know, I remember you when, you know, you first came to me, guy, the daughter of a failed general. I thought to myself, what kind of coward sends his daughter to do what he wouldn't? But, you know, then I realized that kind of coward just doesn't have it in him. It's like our man on the inside located Brogan. He's like, let's go then. So Scroll tells... Uh, Sonia, she's wasting her time. He'll never talk to her. She's like, well, that's very brave, but everyone talks when their blood starts to cook at 160 degrees Celsius. She has a syringe and she's like, it's a biochemical imperative. The smart ones start talking earlier than that. She's like, are you a smart one? He like struggles in his chair. She's like, right, didn't think so. So he's like, go ahead, put in my arm. I don't care. And she like jabs him just above his butt or whatever. And then, like almost right away, his skin starts like turning red and his veins start like bulging. Gravik and Gaia, they get in the station wagon and the fridge, the freezer, the scrolls like groaning in pain. Sony's like, where is Gravik's compound? He's like, I swear, I know nothing. He's like, please. It's like, I'm afraid, sorry, dear heart, can't work with nothing. Now I need to know where Gravik is and where he'll be. I, I don't know. I swear. Gravik keeps everything a secret. And what secrets doesn't he keep? He, he's building a machine. What kind? I, I think it's to make us stronger. So maybe it's something to do with the DNA. Like if they're getting Groot and Frost Giant DNA. Gravik pulls out a gun from the back of the station wagon. He tells Gaia to stay in the car, keep the engine running. So Sonia asks like, who's helping you? I don't know what you mean. Who's leading the science? He's like, some married couple. What's their name? I can't, please. Gravik will kill me. I'm terribly sorry, but if I don't get a name, Gravik won't stand, won't get the chance to kill you. He's like, Dalton. The name's Dalton. So I was like, Rosa Dalton. She's like, you see, that wasn't so terribly difficult, was it? So there's no uh, Rosa and Mark, whatever, husband, Dalton in the Marvel comics. So we'll have to wait and see who they are. In the, the kitchen, main guy tells another to get him a sausage. So he goes up front. Just as he's about to chop, he gets shot. So Gravik and another enter. 
They throw a couple flash grenades in there. They enter the kitchen and they're shooting. In the freezer, Sony's like, sounds like your lift is here. She tips his chair over. Gaia tells uh, Beto, I think, that she's going to go check around back. And tell, she tells him to stay there. They might come out with Brogan. So I guess Brogan's guy being interrogated. More fighting. Sonya goes down to escape hatch. She should have closed it behind her, but she doesn't. They blow the door open. They see Brogan. Dude grabs him, says, that, you know, let's go. Gravix stops them and asks, you know, what he told him. And Brogan's like, nothing, just lies. And he's like, nothing, just lies? He's like, that's all, I swear. He's like, take him to the car. Gaia drives. Gravix is silent. Brogan's groaning. In the woods, he tells her to pull over. Brogan asks, he's like, did we make it? He's like, are we there? And a dude, some dude helps him out. They, they walk a bit. And then the dude gets back and hands a gun back to Gravik. Gravik just kind of glances at Gaia as he takes a gun. So I don't know if he's trying to see like what her reaction is, if she's like totally okay with this, because they just killed a scroll. Fury goes into this like old garage, pulls out a tarp off this like SUV. Then he drives to his house. There's a scroll inside cooking in the kitchen. When he enters, she changed her form into a black woman. And then she's like, aren't you forgetting something? He steps back and, he like, and then he puts on a wedding ring. He's like, better? She's like, almost. Smooch. And then try a little tenderness by Otis Redding is playing. The music swells. They, they're together. Credits list her as Priscilla. And she's played by Charlene Woodard. So supposedly, this is Nick Fury's wife. Which I thought she left him. He mentioned that before. At one, I forget what, when he said that. So I was like, wait, what the heck? Nick Fury has a secret wife? What the heck is going on? I don't know. So that was the second episode. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I really don't know where they're going. And and that's, again, I, I like that. You know, I, I don't want to read any interviews or anything what's coming up. You know, are we going to see any Super Scrolls or anything else? I have a feeling, you know, we won't see any Avengers, you know, anyone else get duplicated. But it's crazy. If there's a million scrolls there, it's like, you know, how many are there? I was thinking Rhodey was, was changed. I was like, is Nick going to shoot him right there and he turns into a scroll? But probably not. So we'll have to wait and see. And now for the movie feature, the main feature, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Going into this movie, I, you know, try not to... I feel like I'm saying this about everything. I mean, you should know by now. I try not to, to know too much about going... Uh, into it you know I, I obviously saw the trailer wasn't really sure what to expect and you know the, the big question is is this the the last movie is this it, Harrison Ford's last movie he he has said it is and you know one of the big questions is is he gonna die in this my my gut reaction is like well he can't die in this because if young Indiana Jones Chronicles Adventures Chronicles if that's canon we see him I still remember there's one point where he's an old man sitting he has an eye patch he has like a missing finger so that still has to happen unless that happens here or maybe they're just saying well whatever we're not gonna you know worry about that it's just you know because I'm I'm sure Harrison Ford's kind of you know he he probably has no no um I'm sure he doesn't mind doing these maybe but it's always hard to try to tell with him. But I'm sure, you know, it, it takes a lot to do these. And he's probably at the point where, like, well, you know, why, whatever. Why do I have to do this? You know, he, he doesn't need to do this. Apparently, um, <laughs> I was reading, I, I think it was like, I, I think I saw it on Wikipedia, where at first I thought it was a typo. They're like, plans for 
the fifth movie were ma- made b- between like uh, Sp- Lucas, uh, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg back in the late 1970s. I'm like, is it, wait, is that right? Because apparently they wanted to do like five movies. I, I don't know about that. So this is the, the first movie that they're not involved with. You know, uh, Spielberg didn't direct it. George Lucas isn't doing the writing. So you, you kind of have that. And I, I think some people going into it, they're like, well, this isn't a real Indiana Jones. You know, this is something different or whatever. And, you know, there was a comment Steven Spielberg was like, I thought I was the only one that could make these, you know, jokingly saying that he thought he was the only one that could make them. As far as where it stands now from what, where actually when I last checked, on Rotten Tomatoes, the critic score was at 68%, which I guess is fine. I don't think it's that great of a score. Audience is at 89%. I um I thought it was a fun movie. I, I thought I thought it was good. You know, I, I haven't watched the last movie in the longest time. But I feel like this was a better movie than that. And you know, maybe I need to give that movie another shot. But I thought that this was was good. There's there's a lot of interesting things about this. You know, it takes place. I forget the the year. Let's see. Can I find a year? Um, I think it's 1969. Pretty sure it's definitely the 60s. And we you know we see an older Indiana Jones. You know he he's a you know college professor. He you know he's he's old. He's kind of grumpy. And you know he's. I'm sure you know he misses part of the the, the action and adventure. But you know he's he's doing what he's doing, and he's actually you know about to retire, so you know he doesn't have a lot of time for you know nonsense and stuff like that. But actually, before that, what's really cool about the movie, actually, I, I don't know if I should get into the movie yet. So what I just want to say about about the movie, everything is it's very fitting. You know they 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 touch into the fact that this is an older Indiana Jones, and that you know he is going to be a little grumpy and stuff like that. But where it's really cool, you know, using the DH technology or whatever you want to call that, it actually starts off in 1944. So we get this really, it's it's almost close to, it's like 25 minutes or maybe like almost 30 minutes, like sequence of young Indiana Jones, like uh, with fighting Nazis on a train. And, and this is where we first get word of um, the, the dial of destiny from you know, Archimedes dial and, and everything like that. So it, it all leads back to that. I mean, there, there's that specific reason that, that we get this. So this dial, you know, whatever um, it's supposed to be, can, uh, I think it was like open like portals to time is, is what it, it predict fiss- fissures in time. It can figure out when, when there's going to be one or something like that. So that's where you kind of get into the supernatural aspect because, you know, most of what Indiana Jones, you know, he's he's going after archaeological relics or, you know, trying to find them, bring them to museums and stuff like that. But like he says, you see it in a trailer where, you know, he doesn't believe in magic, but over the years he's he's seen things. that, And so he knows that there are things that, you know, that can't be explained by, you know, science or math or whatever. So, you know, you always have that, that kind of borderline aspect where there is something more going on, but... You know he he doesn't necessarily want to believe it all, but he he can't refute like what he's seeing. It jumps to 1969, and um, uh, I don't know want to get into. To, to, we we find I mean basically, Indiana Jones is is not in a good place. You know he's about to retire. He's uh, 
not with with Marion. You know, where's Marion? Where's uh, where's Mutt? What's his name? Shia Shia LaBeouf. So you know, we, we we do find out why why is he alone, and you know that that kind of plays into like where he is and who he is and how he's kind of reluctant to you know he doesn't want to jump into an adventure because he's he's done with all that. And then that's where we get uh, Phoebe Waller Bridge, who is his goddaughter, who is actually a Toby Jones, um, you know, a Toby Jones. He was like uh, an associate friend of, of Indiana Jones, and he was actually in a 1944 adventure part. So she's there looking for the dial, but then you know she's also ha- has a. It seems like she's she's more interested in maybe in selling items. You know, she has she's incurred some debt. She's a bit of a swindler and everything like that. So it's like you know where do her true intentions lie? Is one of the things that that goes out throughout the movies. Um, just other people that are in the movie, like and, and Tony Banderas is in it. And at first, I'm like, wait, I didn't recognize him at first. And I was like, oh, that guy looks familiar. And then I I realized that. And uh, we we also have uh. The, the dude who played uh, the Corinthian in um, The Sandman, and I think he was also Narcos, he he's he plays a role in here. And, of course, Mads, Mads Mikkelsen, where Mads Mikkelsen, I mean, he must, I mean, I'm sure he's a nice guy and everything, but he, he, he plays a good villain. And, and you know, so he, he does a good, good job here. So I don't want to get too much into the specifics of it all, but... You know, so the idea is a, is searching for this dial because, like, and then it turns out what they had is like only half the dial. So, like, where's the other half? And and Indiana Jones and uh, you know the Goddaughter—they're not the only ones searching for it. You know, there are also like the evil forces that are are trying to get it. So it's like this race against you know time and blah blah blah. With with a you know wh- while that the idea of this dial that can detect fissures in time and possible time travel whatever that might seem like a bit much like like really but I I feel like it works I I, I feel like it's you know it it is that sense of this we have we had Indiana Jones talking to a dude with the you know who is guarding the Holy Grail so I think we can accept the fact that time travel maybe might be possible. And you know he had an arc that melted everyone's face off, so I think you know it's it's okay to have have these things. Uh, so I I feel like the hook, the object, the relic, whatever you want to call it, I feel like it's credible enough. And the locations where we go, or you know, we're, we're taken and everything like that, I I feel like there there's a lot of cool Indiana Jones esque locations and adventures. I, I I think it's it's all very fitting, even though. Harrison Ford, even though Indiana Jones is, is older, I, I feel like there is enough action. It's like maybe more than than you know more action that I could handle, but I I feel it all fits, and it just everything to me it just just worked out. I, I'll admit that that Phoebe Waller Bridge's character was a little annoying sometimes, but she's supposed to be you know where she's like kind of pushing things or whatever she's doing and whatever her motives may or may not be. That I, I found out to be a little, eh, you know, whatever. But the overall, the whole whole thing, I I enjoyed it. Then and when you get towards the end, it's kind of like, um, wait, wait, what's gonna happen? Because if this is the last one, what does that mean? You know, if, if this is the last one, it's like, wait, what are they gonna do with Indiana Jones? How 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 are they gonna end this? How you know how what's gonna happen right before the credits roll? 
And that, I think, you know, that's a, that's a big decision you have to have to make there because if Harrison Ford's like, I'm done, they've said that they're, they're not going to recast. You know, they, they, they wanted to do, you know, Disney, Lucasfilm, whatever, you know, they want, or Disney wanted to do uh, a series, but I, I think the series was going to be more of a prequel to Raiders, kind of like after Indiana Jones Chronicles, but before Raiders. They're, they're, they canceled that or put that on hold because they want to focus on Star Wars or whatever. But if there's no more Harrison Ford, how do you end it? Because, you know, do people want to see the end or do we just want to assume that, you know, whatever and, and not know? So that that's, you know, that's an important decision that they had to make how to end this movie. And as you're watching it, knowing that that could be coming. So this is why, you know, you want to avoid spoilers. Because, you know, as long as you don't know what's going to end. Because when it's getting there, it's like, wait, what's going to happen? What 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 are, what are they trying to tell us? Like, what does this mean? It, 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 you know, so it, it kind of gets there. So I, I feel without going into specifics that it was it was a it was a good ending. Uh, I, you know, maybe would have wanted something a little bit here or there or something to be added to it. But I thought it was fitting for the character that we've seen all these years. And that's the interesting thing. You know, when, when you look at this, like, how is this movie going to do in, in the box office? Because the the budget is like I think it was like two hundred ninety five million dollars, and and uh, let me see if I can find look up like where the box office. I think it was sixty five million. They're saying sixty to sixty five million is a projected gross. Uh, a worldwide gross hundred forty million. So that's not great, um, but apparently you know they're they're saying that the audience there wasn't a lot of people under 30 going to see this and and that's the the unfortunate thing is i i you wonder you know the younger generation did they even know or did they even care who indiana jones is because you know they may have not seen the movies and you know maybe they don't care about some archaeology dude running around with with a whip so i i think that 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 could be a tricky thing you know in terms of trying to get people in the theaters i i, I don't know but i i thought it I thought it was was good. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Um, I would definitely... I'd, I'd watch it again at some point. Um, I'd probably <laughs> maybe watch this one. I'd, I'd be more willing to watch this again before the fourth one, which I need to watch that again. But there's not... I guess there's not much else for me to say. I mean, I, I thought overall it was really... I mean, it was cool seeing Indiana Jones in the... I never thought we would see Indiana Jones in the 60s. And even though him riding a horse down New York City during in the middle of a parade, you know, you see that in the trailer, it's it's pretty nuts. I, it's but it's 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 fitting because you know you're you're seeing this almost modern era, you know, indie, and it's it's just it's weird clash, and it's it's just it's just fitting, I guess, because as he's getting older. So I enjoyed the movie. I think it's good. I think it's worth seeing. I think it's worth definitely worth seeing on a big screen just to, to see everything. And the, the the John Williams music. I mean, when you hear that Indiana Jones theme, it's almost like it, it's too easy. You know, you just want to put it up there and then you, you're going to have that nostalgia. It's like, oh, it's Indiana Jones. You know, even if the movie was really bad, that music would, would, would pump it up. But the, the movie wasn't bad. I enjoyed it. So that, that's it. It's good. I enjoyed it. I think you should watch it. 
I don't know what people would complain about. I, I just, I think you just, just kind of enjoy it, you know, not just get so hung up on whatever little things, you know, yeah, there, there's always room for improvement, but I don't know. I, I didn't really have any major issues with it. So I guess that's it for this week. That's it for the podcast. There's not much else to say. I, I enjoyed it. I liked it. And I do like uh, Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken because they are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter, and I'll like you too, by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Um, I'm currently on like a Silver Age Superman. Superman is, is a jerk um kick looking at some of these just random old superman comics that i usually pick up when i go to comic conventions and and they're they're just they're a blast i mean i i think they're they're, they're just a lot, a lot of fun sometimes i talk about movies sometimes i do random comic uh topics and stuff like that but if you can't commit to a monthly commitment you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. That is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. So what is going to happen next week? The main feature is going to be Insidious, the red door. So I, I, I enjoy these Insidious movies. I, I like a good kind of creepy, um, you know, it's suspense movie. I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd call them horror movies, but you know, I, I, I think they're a lot of fun. So we'll have uh, the the season finale of Silo. Have another crowded room. Um, that we'll do the last uh, Black Mirror episode. One more hijack. One more secret invasion. And uh, I think that'll be it. Hopefully, we'll see. So I hope you're doing well. Um, if you are in the United States, um, I hope you have a happy and safe Fourth of July. Since I will be talking to you after that. So I hope you're doing well, hope you're taking care of yourself, and I hope you remember, be good to each other.